Welcome to the Star Wars Forum UK podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show. This is episode 12, That's No Spoon. Joining me tonight from the bleak north of the country, our vintage to modern loose collector, it's Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Next up from the lonely Welsh Valleys, a Star Wars completist and a focus collector who spends all his spare cash on used cardboard, it's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Happy to be here. We also have the podcast giant, a layer collector, a Padme collector, and soon to become a micro collector. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Flaky Pete. Don't even go there with that one. And finally, our newest podcast member who smashed it in his first show. He's a Luke X-Wing focus collector. It's Jez. Hello, buddy. Hello. I just want to issue a correction from last month's podcast. During the Ross Barr and Jason Smith discussion, Jason stated that Toy Tonys have been banned from being sold on Star Wars Forum UK. This statement is incorrect, and at present, toy toners are still allowed to be sold as long as they have a disclaimer. In an early podcast, we did a look-alike for each of us. If we remember rightly, Pete was Rancor, Rich was Hammerhead, I was Luke Bespin, and Grant was Salacious Crumb. Now, Jez wasn't around at that point, so who do we think Jez looks like? Let's let's give him a character look-alike. So, Pete? I'm going for 2-1-B. Interesting, yeah, I can kind of see that, because he's always got his mouth in that round... Exactly, he's also got something in his gob, hasn't he? It's all like, yeah, when he's flying his planes. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Grant, what do you what do you think? Okay, okay, I've been thinking about this a lot, right? Now, Jez is in the Royal Air Force, so I was thinking if you put, like, massive headphones on the side of his head and give him a really big comb-over, he'd look like a B-wing pilot. He's never going to have a comb-over. Have you met him? Rich, what do you think? Well, it was a toss-up between two for me, C-3PO and the Death Star droid. So I come down to, do I think that Jez would have ginger pubes or grey pubes? And I went with the ginger because he's got a kind of ginger feel about him. So I'm going to go C-3PO. Oh, interesting. I've, I've got down um, the blue snag because he's not short, but he's got like that kind of look, his hair cut. So yeah, to me, he's very, very similar. Actual facial features to snag, he's very much on it. Jez, who do you think you look like? Hang on a second. <laughs> blue snag, he's... Not kind of short, but he's got that look about him. Okay, all right then. Ginger? Um, no offence to any gingers out there, by the way. Um, other hair colours are available. Yeah, who do I look like? I was just surprised none of you said Lobot, because I was looking at my collection of figures, and I just thought, well, he's the only bold one there, really. So um, either that or Rankle Keeper without his hood. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with any of those. I like the B-Wing pilot. Thanks very much. Well, we need a unanimous decision here, boys. I think Jez has to choose one from the four that we put forward. There you go, Jez. 3PO, B-Wing, Blue Snag, or what did you choose, PD? 2-1-B. 2-1-B, of course. He is 2-1-B. If you've heard him in the radio dramas, that is Jez. No, I'll go, I'll go with 2-1-B. Uh, 
Oh, good man. Medical man and, and all that sort of stuff, so yeah. I'll go with 2-1-B. 2-1-B joins the, joins the gang, the first droid. Anybody who's attending Celebration, you're a keen listener to the podcast, please, please go along and support the boys. They've got a wonderful show planned and lots of truly magnificent giveaways. Get involved. Right, let's go on to this month's purchases. What's everyone been buying? Grant's. Oh, really lucky this month, Stu. Got a little story if we've got a little bit of time for it. Um, I was trying to collect these TIE fighter pilots, and uh, towards the end of last year, I got contacted by a good friend called Jonathan Gladwell, who's on the forum as JN Scorgi. He's a major car back collector. Hopefully, we'll have him on the show soon. Jonathan showed me a link to this Spanish forum where they actually showed a PBB Empire Strikes Back. 45 back TIE fighter pilot which I never in all my research in two about two years at that point I'd never even come across it and then I was contacted by Mark Darth Stanley uh, about two weeks ago and he showed me a link on eBay to a three day auction and there it was so um, yeah I managed to win it this is it's only the second one I've ever seen so I'm thinking this is uber rare and the first one, it was a really heavily pixelated photo, and some people actually doubted that it was real. Now, I've gone on the Star Wars uh, Collector's Archive. There's no information about it there. Only this one image I found on this uh, Spanish website. Apart from that, it doesn't exist. So, yeah, I'm over the moon with it. Beautiful. You're lucky you haven't got a wife spending that sort of money on um, a piece of carpet. Th- that's the reason I haven't got a wife. I've said my Star Wars co- <laughs> uh, collection is the greatest contraceptive I've ever come across. It's 100% effective. <laughs> Um, have you bought anything else? Or is that your uh, Anaheim money spanked? Uh, yeah, there's a few other little bits and bobs, but I, I can't think at the moment. Nothing really important. That's the main one. Pete, have you added any more pregnant figures? No, there was, a, there was still a pregnant Amidala out there somewhere with my name on it, but I'm hopefully I'll find that at Anaheim. So I've been pretty much... I can't think I've bought anything over the, since the last podcast. Um, my the, the last of my Princess Leia's carded figures has turned up for me in so I should be putting a picture of that at some stage when I get around to it I've all my five princess layers on cards but that's about it really Pete a question for you you said a pregnant Amidala is she still an Amidala when she's pregnant or is it a pregnant Padme she's still a name isn't it so there's, there's, two, there's two pregnant Amidalas and also there's a, an Amidala with babies so so you've not bought anything <laughs> let's go back to the question pretty much no Jez, have you added anything to your collection, or is your funds all for Anaheim? Just today, received some Japanese theatre programmes, which I'm slightly concerned about, really, because I obviously did the latest acquisition thread uh, last time, uh, where I spoke about cinema programmes and this and the other, and it kind of wet my whistle a little bit, and uh, I started looking, and yep, lo and behold, I found those. So I'm just a bit worried that I'm starting a trend here of whenever I look at stuff. It's part of the latest acquisition. The following month, I'm like, hey, guess what I've just bought? So, yeah, I've got Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi um, Japanese programs, which just arrived today. And um, I haven't even flicked through those yet. But even if I did, I wouldn't be able to read what it says because it's all in Japanese. Through the Facebook and speaking with Todd Chamberlain with the X-Wing Luke find, um, I've managed to get myself two more Luke X-Wing mocks, which I'm going to collect in Anaheim. So... Gonna purchase them already, but just don't have them in hand yet. Rich, you've been buying anything? Not a lot for me this month. I got a Power of the Force sand skimmer. I got two of the Palatoid desktop stands, which brings my total up to four. I'm still missing two, so if anybody has two at a reasonable price, um, get in contact with me. Can you remember when you stole that uh, Sigma Yoda mug off us? I think that was way back around about episode six, episode seven time. 
I've finally got a replacement at a decent price. I think I paid a full 99 cents for the Sigma Yoda mug with a box. So I was pleased with finally picking that up now. Obviously, I kept it quiet because I thought you would just steal it again. And I picked up some more Episode 1 carded figures, which means I'm only six short now of completing the Episode 1 run. But I'm firmly convinced that I'm going to finish my collection this year. Oh, I'm going to be very, very close to it. What do you mean, finish it? Everything I want, yeah. I think, I'll, I think I will be very close to it this year. Have you got all the Attack of the Clones figures? Well, that's not necessarily one. That's just more of something I bide the time. So uh, so there'll be an article in the uh, Job Centre then looking for another podcast to come December. Yep. We don't want non-collectors on here, do we? Well, I could sell my collection off and then buy it all back again. <laughs> do you know what, Rich? If anyone else said that, I wouldn't believe they'd do it. But you, I would actually <laughs> believe you would do something like that. Rich, I think you should put it out there. Uh, get someone to, to select what you should collect. There's so much Star Wars stuff. You're the only person on the planet in collecting who doesn't have another thing to collect. That's insane. That's a good idea. That way, come December, if I've got everything that I want, we'll throw it out. What should I collect next? Don't collect uh, pregnant Padme figures because uh, Pete's got the market corner. Yeah, there. yeah, just stay off them. I could get my own back on Stu, couldn't I, and just collect whatever he wants. Or you could collect TIE Fighter Pilot mocks. What about you, Stu? Um, I've had a very quiet month because I'm still in my non-collecting non-collecting months. All I've bought is a couple of loose figures. Finally got three of my Sigma mugs, um, Chewie, Vader and Klaatu. I bought the Star Wars radio drama book, which I don't normally bring up the books if I've bought something like that, but this is really strange. I've never listened to the radio drama, and all I've done so far is read the first chapter, and Luke sounds a bit of a whelk, to be honest. I don't know whether it comes like that over in the drama. Dude, the drama's really good, man. You want to listen to it? I can imagine it being good. I'm, I thought I was going to, I'm going to read the book first before I um, delve into it. Apart from that, all I've bought is a, some oddball bits and pieces. But one thing I did buy in that, which I thought was quite strange, was um, a small full bottle of layer cream rinse, which the words fascinated me because as a teenager, layer cream rinse was probably the routine that I would have been doing. So very, very peculiar, but not a lot. I will have a few bits next month because I have got every one of the remaining Sigma mugs on their way to me, plus a couple of mocks which I've bought. So next month will be a a bit busier. Right, Pete, I believe you have a question for us. I do. I need you to relax, all of you, and put yourself into a transient state and transport yourselves to a big Star Wars conference where all the big Star Wars people are there. Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams, and they need to think about the second Star Wars standalone film. But they're stuck for an idea. So who are they going to ask? Obviously, the biggest experts of Star Wars figures on the planet, which is the Star Wars FUK podcast team. So they approach you and say, right, we need a figure for the next standalone film, but you can only select from the vintage line. So, or goodness knows how many of them. And um, you can't choose Luke, Leia, Chewie, Han, R2, all the the main characters. So it's got to be someone out of that section. And you've got to come up with a title and an idea of the film. So let's go round the table. Stuart, you start. Do you know we said some questions could have been done with a bit of a notice? Is yeah, right exactly. So that last time I did, you didn't want it. So you've got to go for it now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just having a little think. Just looking at my figures, okay? Off of your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, Stu. You have a think. Rich. So I've got to come in and save the day again with a question on the spot. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm going to go with the creatures from the Mos Eisley Cantina ending of the standalone movie is them all actually appearing in the cantina so that's going to be the ending when Luke walks in and the story's going to be how each of the individual characters ended up there okay so they're all following their own pathway they've all got a different story lots and lots of um, mix and matching going on uh, each character having its own chapter 
down if it is if it was a book. Title for it could be Wandering Creatures Just Make Last Orders. <laughs> wow, I can't wait to see oh, that. Oh man, that's that's unbeatable, that is. I'm sorted, Pete. Come on, sorted. Oh, oh well, back to Stu then. Come on, Stu. I would like Give to see more of like a, a documentary type of film like March of the Penguins, but Tontons in their habitat and their breeding pattern. Title is? Mark I like Tom the Tom. idea. I do like the idea. I think any of that with uh, any of the, the creatures you could do that with, can you? Really quite fascinating. Let's go to Jez. What about when Grand Moth met Mon Moth on Hoth? Ah, but the, the, there's a problem there, Jez. Neither of those are vintage figures. But they're the ones which should have been made. Ah, vintage <laughs> figures. Rubbish. Okay, come back to me in a sec. I do like the title, though. I think I'll, I'll, I'll let you get away with that one. I was just thinking about that for ages without <laughs> actually thinking about the question. Like, what, what, what rhymes? What rhymes? But I back. do like it. I do like it. Keep that one. Come on, Criddle. Last, last but not least. I'm thinking, because I've, I've got an entire script or a film in my head based on a Ralph Quarry painting. And the first time I saw the Ralph Quarry painting, I just had this whole script for a film in my head. And the painting is the uh, Hoff soldiers in the trench with the Atats walking by. And I thought, what a great side movie would be just to follow the story of those Hoff troopers, and they get left on Hoff, so they're there whilst the Empire's, you know, sort of mopping up Hoff, and they have to try and get off the planet. But just to see the remnants of what happened after the Battle of Hoff, I think would be brilliant to see. So you could do it like a Saving Private Ryan type affair. Yeah, Real yeah, like war. Saving Private Ryan. Title, Grant. Title, I have no idea. Oh, yeah. I'm just, uh, stuck in the snow. <laughs> Cracking. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's an amazing title. And the um. The title for the second standalone movie is Stuck in the Snow. <laughs> did you come up with one, Pete? I did. I'd go for a man, a man, a man, a man, a man. And the story would be about his journey to Jabba's Palace, obviously. And uh, it will be putting the skulls on his staff. So it would be the stories of how he came about those skulls would be quite bizarre. And I thought it would be some sort of like Indiana Jones-style font for his for the movie. And it would be along the lines of a man-a-man -man and the skulls of somewhere. So, I don't know, Dantooine or something? Some old nonsense. Pick a planet, stick it on the end of it. Oh, no, but, he's uh, from... Um, a man uh, in Norseman. They're from Utapau. But somewhere like that. He could be, he's travelling around. He's a bounty hunter, I suppose, at least. So I want to see who those skulls are. I've got one. I've been looking now. And I'm sorry I've been quiet, because I've been looking at my collection, just looking for inspiration. So I thought, Fifty Shades of Grey, though. Someone boot him. <laughs> what a mad image I got in my head right there. That's quality. That's quality. So you got Greedo with some sort of, well, I, I, I don't know, this is a U-rated show probably, so maybe I can't go into that, but you've got, yeah, Greedo in some droid factory and, and there's stuff and, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. What, I'm, I'm going to stop now. What about two Ewoks, one cup? <laughs> I would have given you the Fifty Shades of the Grey-Limbed Hothtrooper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. Oh, I like that, Rich. Take someone's else's idea and run with it. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, Rich. Sorry, we know we've got to be nice to you, haven't we? Great, great answers, lads. Great question, Pete. Right, should we carry on then and go in over to the uh, vintage Star Wars in the news? T.S. Rendell reveals detail of his new proof book. <coughs> you grade in petition to be presented to AFA.
Joe O'Brien re-releases Trilogo General Medina article with major updates. <coughs> Star Wars collectors panels announced at Anaheim. <coughs> and Star Wars Forum UK podcast smashes past 10,000 listens. Rich, you've been chatting with Matthias Rendell, all to do with his new proof book. Let's have a listen to what he had to say to you. Okay, well, if Billy D. Williams is the coolest guy in Star Wars, then who I've got today is quite clearly the coolest guy in Star Wars collecting. I'm joined by Matthias Rendell, all the way from Sweden, to discuss his new book, which is uh, out soon, called A New Proof. Good evening, Matthias. Hey, good evening, Richard. Has the level of interest um, surprised you at all? Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been pretty amazing, amazing actually. Um, I, I'm stunned actually. Uh, the sales hasn't started yet, so we actually don't know how how the interest really is. But the interest so far, the questions, the, the this kind of interviews, and the share of feedback from the community has been amazing. I'm overwhelmed. You've created a new Facebook group, haven't you? Um, has that came about because of the interest that you've had from the blog, or were you planning to do the Facebook group anyway? I actually don't know. I, I, I was so taken by surprise. I did an interview with Ron for the, for the archive. I intended to do like a small Facebook group uh, and then a smaller web page followed by pre-orders. But uh, I couldn't imagine uh, there would be so much interest. I work in marketing, so this is like... Uh, a catastrophe compared to what I do for uh, for a living. So, if you do an interview, a press release, you should have like your uh, pre-order site up and running. You should have like be prepared to ship your stuff, uh, etc. And uh, I was uh, totally unprepared. So I started the Facebook group, and it's become like over five hundred members in like three days, I think. I've got to say that um, you may not be aware, but all of the forums have got threads on your book and lots of people asking questions, so lots of people are really excited for this book. Your book is called A New Proof, Can Our Star Wars Packaging Design 1977-79. Can you clarify what you mean by packaging design? Well, it's, I wanted to clarify that it was a book that wasn't only about proof cards. Proof cards is like the biggest collecting area in 2D pre-production uh, stuff, of course, and it's Proof card is also the kind of things that most collectors can collect. Uh, but this book is so much more. I wanted to have all the uh, production process in it, to have sketches and drafts and notes from meetings with uh, the designer and the kind of folks. And, uh, so it's a, more in general uh, about the process, about the packaging design, which led to the proof card. Oh, wow. So, so it's from the very first um, initial sketch designs. You've even got stuff yeah. like that in the book. Oh, fantastic. Exactly. It's so much of that stuff that has been saved, uh, especially by one designer, the art director that the desi- that Kenner contracted to do the design. He saved a lot of it, like first meeting notes, uh, uh, sketches, everything. And I got access to that stuff and included that in my book. Brilliant. So it, it's actually quite a key piece of history then, not just a, a great presentation of some artistic information. Yeah. It's, it's, it's history. It's historical. Exactly. Right. Can you tell our listeners about the book? What would they find inside the book and how would you intend it to be used? Mostly as inspiration because the packaging design, the collectors, we, we all love it because we've seen it in the toy aisles for like uh, hundreds of hours when we were kids. So I think 
there's as much nostalgic to the packaging as to the toy itself. And I want people to, to feel inspired and see what all the work that went into that design. There's so much work that went into it and, and get an understanding for that process. And so many actually collect proof cards. That's the biggest area in 2D pre-production uh, collecting. Uh, since there are most of those items out there. And I think it's nice to, to get an idea what, what what's happened before the proof card. It's clear you've got an, an interest in graphic design. So with your professional knowledge of this area, what challenges did you face in making this presentable to the broader market of collector? Biggest challenge was to, to get the pictures. I wanted to have a book that was as comprehensive as possible. My, my own collection, uh, if I will include my own collection, it would be like two page book and uh, that would, wouldn't be enough. So I've been hunting down collectors, asked for their permission to use their uh, items uh, in the book. That was the biggest challenge overall. And then next step in that challenge would be to, to get those pictures to look like they were almost photographed at the same time using the same backgrounds to get a nice feeling in the whole book. I think it's 35 contributors in the book. Hopefully you get them a feeling that it's document that seems like they were photographed at the same time. Wow, that's brilliant. So it's, it's, a, it's really the community's pulled together to um, help you out with this book. There's some, uh, it sounds like you've had a lot of help. A lot of help. It, it wouldn't be possible without it. At an early stage, uh, there's a guy if, that most collectors are aware of that's called Tom Nyheisel. Yeah. Uh, he saved a lot of the, the proof and crumbling stuff back in the day when, when Kenner was supposed to, to throw it away. And uh, early on in the process, he allowed me to use his old photo archive, which helped a lot to, to get this project going. Uh, and when I knew that he was allowing me to, to use his pictures, I, I, I immediately knew that the, this was going to be like a very comprehensive book. You've mentioned Proof and Cromlin a couple of times. Would our listeners who've got no idea of what Cromlins and Proofs are from reading your book, will they be able to get a very, very clear idea of what these are? Or is it too high level and technical for them? Yeah, I certainly hope so. Or you will get your money back. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a catastrophe if I wouldn't be able to explain that. It's it's definitely not a high-level book. It, I've tried to, to not take it... I could have gone much more in deep with so much of the printing techniques, yes. the process itself. But I want to keep it like more in general what... Uh, the the community, what's out there and what you can collect. With the wealth of resources available on the internet, what will we find in the book that we can't access already online? Actually, a lot of stuff. There's so many never-seen-before items, and especially, like, a lot of the sketches and drafts and stuff uh, that's never been shown before, uh, some artwork that's never been shown, and there are some fantastic if I may say so myself, interviews in it's published for the first time. Uh, and especially having everything assembled in one place. You can find a few of the items gathered around the internet. I've, now everything is like in one, at one spot in one book. You mentioned in the Star Wars Collector's Archive interview that you'd like the reader to get a wow, I didn't know that moment. Did you yeah. get anyone conducting your own research? Sometimes I did, because maybe more about the wow effect of getting access to, to some of the really early stuff uh, and get to know the original art director behind uh, the design. Uh, that was a true wow effect, talking to, to the original 
uh, guy that has the same profession as me, and he hear everything from the horse's mouth. That was that was a true wow effect. I suppose the true wow effect is why why is all these things being kept for so long? Because as you say, most of it would have been thrown away back in the day. Yeah, I, I'm quite sure that the Star Wars hobby is quite unique with this kind of stuff. Every other hobby, and I'm working with this design stuff as well, and, and you keep uh, archive of your stuff with uh, proof printings uh, and uh, samples, etc. But after a couple of years, they get thrown away most of the time. And so, so the Star Wars hobby is, is quite unique, uh, having all this saved like 40 years after it was made. And it's mostly thanks to only two people. Somnaya Heisel, which I mentioned before, uh, who saved a lot of the stuff uh, from being thrown away. And there's one other guy, Steve Denny. Yeah. Uh, he saved like the rest uh, of the stuff. Without those two people, we would be collecting some Revenge of the Jedi proof cards. <laughs> that would totally yeah. be it. I hope in 25 years' time people aren't cursing you, Matthias, for throwing away some of the stuff that you've created in your own job. <laughs> uh, no, I can wake up in the middle of the night thinking about that, but uh, I haven't worked with this kind of iconic lines yet. I don't know if people would care about a Heinz ketchup label in 25 years, but who knows? Um, so you mentioned that this book is a first in a quadrilogy. When did it dawn on you you had so much material that one book just wouldn't cope with enough uh, material? Yeah, I, I understood that quite early on. I wanted to... My, my first intention was to do, like, this big, huge uh, book uh, about 2D pre-production stuff that included all the lines, everything, everything, everything. But quite soon I realized that would be a project that would take too much time. And I wanted to get something out and to get the process going. So I decided to divide uh, the big book into four different ones. Instead instead of releasing one in ten years, I can uh, release one each year or so. Your first book you've called a new proof so will, will the second book be similarly Star Wars themed perhaps something like The Proof Strikes Back yeah exactly uh, but I actually named it uh, The Cromlin Strikes Back <laughs> why did you decide to focus on the Kenner packaging and not the European packaging that you would have be been more familiar with when you were younger because there's basically no European pre-production material out there uh, so it's I would love to. I've tried to investigate the European uh, market uh, as much as I could. Your fellow countryman, David Tree, has uh, tried a lot as well for Peltoy. Uh, and there's simply not enough material out there. And the reason for that is, like, the Kenner stuff, it was mostly pure coincidence it was saved. Like I mentioned before, it was Tom and Steve who saved, like, 95% of the stuff that we collect. And if if McConnell had had one guy like that and Pelso had one guy like that, then it would tell a different uh, question. It's all about coincidences. And uh, it's not that Europe didn't have the, the same proofing process, uh, printing process. But coincidence what's out there and not most of the time. And basically, the, the, the Kenner stuff is, of course, the, the mother of everything and the original artwork and sketches that the European design is based on, of course, come from the US. So uh, that's the yeah. Well, that's the reason. I would love to include it if there were more stuff out there and more information out there.
If only Steve Denny had done a European tour back in the early 80s. That <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That would have been perfect. You were clearly the brains behind this project, what we would call the project manager. But a lot of people have clearly helped with this. Is anybody that you would like to give a shout out to and explain how they helped you um, in the process of this book? Oh, there have been so many. It's, it's, it's crazy. But like I said, uh, Tom Nyheiselt, that he allowed me to use his old uh, photo archive was was awesome. Uh, and then there are two big collectors in the US, Lisa Stevens and Vic Verts, and they have an awesome collection that's amazing. They allowed me when I visited Seattle to, to go through their flat files and taking pictures of most of their stuff. And that's uh, a lot of stuff. And uh, there's a US collector called uh, Tim Eckholt and yeah. he has an amazing 2D Star Wars collection for most of the characters. And without him, there wouldn't be as much proof cards as there is in the book. Uh, and Cromlins, he he helped a lot. Those are like the main contributors for, for the book. Then Gus helped me with the language and edited the whole book. And uh, without him, no one would uh, understand a word of my <laughs> writings. I'm an art director. I'm not a writer even. Yeah. So, and writing in a different language. It was a task. But most of the well-known co- uh, collectors out there have country given their input and info and items in some way, like Todd Chamberlain, uh, Ron Salvatore, Derek Ho, Tracy Hamilton, a lot of collectors. So I think um, what you've done really is you've took some of their collections and presented it to the world now, haven't you, with this book? And, and thanks to all those guys for certainly being so generous and sharing this information, because the likes of me, I wouldn't see this kind of information without you going out there and without their generous, um, you know, allowing you to take photographs, etc. So thank you to all involved in this. Can you tell our listeners about your book then, um, the price, number of pages, what kind of cover it's going to uh, have, and how's, how's it broken down in chapters? Yeah, it's uh, it's 152 pages. It's one and a half centimeter thick. It's quite big, large actually. It's a US letter size, like A4. Yeah, it's it's quite big. It's nice. And since I divided like the large, my first intention to doing the huge book, um, I wanted to do um, uh, soft cover versions. So you can uh, have, it would be faster and a bit cheaper to print. Yep. But I wanted to have like a hardcover feeling of the book. So I've worked a lot with the cover and there's some silver miler printed on it. So it's, I'm quite sure like most of the people will think of it as a hardcover coffee table book and not a soft cover one. It is going to be $45 US. Yeah, that's a fantastic price for 152 pages and, and the size of the book as well. That sounds like a bargain, $45. Oh, the, uh, thanks. I, I certainly hope so. I was I was aiming and trying to do it like, try to get the prices down as much as possible. But the, the printing is quite expensive. It, it's printed uh, domestically. I haven't printed it in, in China because I want the control of the process. Right, finally, how can I get a copy of this book? Um, can I collect one in Anaheim? I've had a lot of people asking about if they're going to be available. Yeah, a lot of people are asking about that. Like like I said in the start of the interview, it, it was quite taken by surprise. Uh, I'm still figuring out how to get as many books as possible to Anaheim. I'm not sure about that yet. Uh, my intention is when, when my site goes live on Tuesday... I hope I will be able to have a pre-order with local pickup in Anaheim. I'm still li- looking into shipping options, so 
despite most of the work is done, no, the, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with the logistic, uh, logistic and the site and everything. So I, I certainly hope so. And um, I guess uh, like in a few days we will know. Uh, so hopefully, yes. Will you be available to sign any of these books if any of our listeners wish for a signed copy? Absolutely. If people want uh, me to destroy the book with my signature, I would be happy to do so. And uh, it's not that it's quite limited as well in, in printing. So I'm starting to get nervous about. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, maybe I should do a second edition really soon because I only made like 500 copies. Oh, wow, when you've and already got so 500. If everyone in the group buys one, then, then they will be sold out. Yeah. Okay, so there's a warning for everybody. As soon as that pre-order link goes live, you need to get your pre-orders in. How, how can I pre-order a book? You've mentioned your website. Where would I go? On this website, dearpublications.com, D-E-A-R, publications.com, in one word. And on Facebook, you can find the, the group is called uh, the, the title of the book, A New Proof. There will be info there as well. Yep, and there's links on both Rebelscum and Stores Forum UK. Okay, thanks very much, Matthias, for your time. Fantastic interview. I wish you well in Anaheim. I hope you have a fantastic time. And sorry I can't make it. I would love to go over to Anaheim this year. That's bad. It's bad. It is bad. Hopefully next time, Richard. Next time I will be there. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, Keep awesome. up the good work. Awesome, Matthias. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Right, so now on to our next article then, which we're going to look at the continuation of the U-grading and reproduction campaign, which we talked about last month. We were lucky enough to get Ross Barr on again for the follow-up, and Grant has been discussing this with him. Okay, guys, I'm back here this month for an update with Ross Barr. Ross, welcome back to Star Wars Forum UK. Hey, Grant, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Okay, Ross, what's been happening in the last month? Well, since we last spoke, I think we were kind of left that there were some moves made on Star Wars Forum UK and Rebel Scum to take some action against repros and uh, against U-grades. I think we also discussed that UKG agreed uh, not to do any U-grading as well. So it's all very positive steps in the hobby. Recently, we've put together a petition to AFA as well to stop U-grading and it's kind of made the rounds in various groups and trying to gain some momentum to present that to them at uh, C7. Okay, brilliant, because obviously AFA will be at uh, Celebration Anaheim. The petition itself, uh, you said you have a target for it. Yeah, you know, I we created it on uh, an online petition uh, site that asks you to put what, whatever your target is. I wasn't really sure what exactly made sense. Put a soft target of a 1,000 signatures on there. Out of the box, we did really, really well. I think a couple hundred within the first couple of days, and since then, it's stagnated a bit, to be honest with you, and currently, there's about 300 signatures to date, so a little short of the goal, but you know, there's a lot of people that really care about the, the U-grading and, and asking AFA to stop. There's been some really, really good comments made there, and hopefully, you know, in my mind, whether it's... 300 people or 3,000 or 300,000, there's certainly a strong group of people that care about it and, you know, people that want their voice to be heard. And, you know, again, if there was three signatures of 300, the the intention was to present that to AFA and hopefully get their attention and maybe make a difference in the hobby. Okay, that's great. How can we push this? How can we get behind this and uh, and try and get to this target of 1,000? Well, it, you know, it's been it's been posted. The petition itself, the actual petition link, has been posted in a lot of the various Facebook collecting groups. I've personally posted it 
in on Rebel Scum uh, in Star Wars Forum UK. You know, other ideas would be good, such as people posting on their personal Facebook walls. And there's folks that have friends that aren't in, maybe on Facebook, that aren't in a particular Facebook group, don't go on the forums that often, but are still collectors that could see the petition that way. That would be a great way to do it. You know, certainly you having me on the, the podcast right now is great publicity for the petition and, and the effort and what we're trying to do. So again, I, you know, whether we hit the thousand signature goal by April 15th or 16th, when, whenever the plan is to submit it to AFA at Celebration 7, you know, if we don't hit a thousand, I don't think that the petition fails. I don't think that the, the, the reasons behind it are any less forceful or important as they were before. So it would be great if we had another 700, if we had another 7,000. But, you know, I, I think the goals of educating people on U-grades is, is already there. And hopefully AFA does listen and stop U-grading. But if they don't, the, you know, again, the goals of educating and getting the issue out there and have, most importantly having people discuss it and understand what it is, um, they've all been accomplished, so it's already been a success. Excellent. Okay, so let's let's get behind this and let's push this. Do you have the address for the petition? Handy, I, a link I could certainly provide it to you. Um, it's kind of a long hyperlink. Okay. Um, I don't know that I remember it offhand. If I tried to do it, I would get it wrong and confuse a lot of people on your podcast. <laughs> no worries. Okay, well, we'll, we'll bump those wherever we see them across uh, the social networks and the and the forums. Uh, Ross, also, you've got some T-shirts, I believe, at the Star Wars Celebration. I do, I do, yes. As we described on the last podcast, a lot of the, the Facebook groups, um, Star Wars Forum UK, took a repro badge that was made by Matthias Rendal um, and some of his friends in Sweden and a U-grade logo that was made by myself and Josh Blake, the actual designer. I was came up with the concept, but I'm not artistic enough to be able to do it, so I'd employ someone else uh, who has those skills, so... It's the actual U-grade logo that folks have seen all over the place at this point. I made some T-shirts and a few buttons to give away at Celebration 7, but you don't get a T-shirt unless you sign the petition. Well, Ross, I, w- I want you to do something uh, within the next couple of days. I want you to have a look at that petition, and then I'm sure you're going to see the f- uh, figures going to go up. Cause, uh, I hope so. I'm going to start contacting some friends, and we're we're going to start making that difference. Well, you certainly you made a difference as well by having me on and by talking about it, and certainly appreciate it very much, Grant. All right, thanks for coming on, Ross, and uh, see you in Anaheim. Thanks, Grant. Take care, bro. Joe O'Brien has re-released his very informative Trilogo General Medine article, but he's made a major update. Rich, what can you uh, tell us about this? Yeah, this is on Joe's own Trilogo.info uh, website, and he's updated his article on the General Medine. I think we had so many questions about Medine, and he just wanted to dispel some of the myths. Why is he so hard to find, and how many are believed to exist? Now, the first thing that he wants to cover on there is discussing fakes. And it is quite easy to spot a fake for a Medine. Not only are the telltale styles of colours, the size and location of the punching bubble, but often the Medines that you see come in the larger, common-sized bubbles, which many of the other Trilogo features appear in. Now, those are fakes because General Medine did not come in that typical large-sized bubble. Uh, and most of the fakes that you see on eBay do have those large bubbles on. So to answer his first question, why are they hard to find? Jez, any ideas where you think why General Medine is hard to find on Trilogo card? Well, they just weren't generally available in, in all of the countries, were they? They, they were very, yep. very limited. Um, was it just France? Yep, that's correct. They were only available in France. 
Obviously, it can only be hypothesised, but it's arguable that there were so many on the Return of Jedi callback still available that it just weren't worth releasing as Trilogos. There were unpopular figures, a boring character that only came with the pointy stick. You know, there's, there's not a lot of play value in them. Is it that the uh, Trilogo General Medine is only made in uh, Macau? Did that affect it at all? Like a lot of the other figures that came over were made in Hong Kong, China, Taiwan. Is this one made in Macau? Maybe that's why it's a bit rare. Maybe that, that was something to do with the distribution of it. It could be. He doesn't mention that. The only thing he mentions about Macau is that some of them have the made in Macau on, and others don't. Yeah, there, there are some with the sticker on, but not not all of them. Right. Uh, other reasons why they're hard to find, obviously, like all Trilogos, these are fragile. You have two types of bubbles, the double stem bubbles, and obviously these stuff have been cracking due to uh, the position of the feet, and the hybrid bubbles, which are prone to yellowing, and therefore they're very brittle. Everything's going against finding Trilogo Maydeans at this point. So, how many other out there? Pete, how many do you think uh, Trilogo Maydeans are actually out there? Considering that everyone's, well, not everyone, most people are calling these rare. I don't know, it's probably silly, like 90. Do you know what? I was going to say 91, and you said 90. Right, we're going to go for something in the 90s. Well, Joe can account for around 25. I thought that he had said around about 29 or so. Obviously, you've just said 25, but that's that's the ones which we're aware of, and with yes. like AFA population um, reports and stuff. I, I think with this, there'll be a lot stuck in collections where people yep. just um, the people who don't necessarily put their collections online, uh, you know, for fear of goodness knows what. But probably, I don't know. You, you might just be able to say, yeah, easily double that, uh, and that might be close to the truth because you, these yeah these are the ones which we know about but there are so many guys out there yeah I totally agree with that I think on his he, he put a quick population report together and I think he, he only identified possibly four or five in America and I'd be very surprised if there was only four or five over in the States Joe thinks he can account for 25 possibly 27 but I think it's arguable that there's at least double that amount you know in, in collectors hands that we're just not aware of um, it's interesting to note though that in two of the last big French discoveries Trilogo Maydeans were found in them um, and Joe notes that it's very likely that there are more out there just sitting in warehouses ready to be found with numbers like that can you really say that the Trilogo Maydean is rare? Yeah. You would say it's still a rare figure? I think it's possibly classed as rare in that so many people are looking for them to finish off their Trilogo collection. Exactly. Uh, I, yeah I think that's how you can class it as rare but it's not rare as in the, the numbers that's available. If you wanted a Trilogo Maydean you could prize one out of somebody's hands. Now I've got prices for Trilogo Maydeans. Uh, I've got a price for a resealed one and I've got a price of a mint on card. Now, bear in mind the mint on cards aren't usually in great condition. We started for the reseal. Stu, how much do you think a reseal Trilogo Maydean would go for? £500. Well, I'm not going to ask everybody because that was absolutely spot on. Just Is about. it really? It was just shy of £500. It was a very, very good condition card back, and um, it was the original bubble, so it, it was a pretty good card. Right, what about the mock then? Bear in mind that most of the mocks that you see have either got a cracked bubble or the the, the damaged, uh, as in the yellowed in some way. Pete? I don't know. Grand? Grand? Uh, you need to specify whether it's got a cracked bubble or a bend in the card there, Rich, because they would well, it's, change it's, a couple grand there. Right, it's, it's a small crack in the bubble, possibly yellowed. Well, I've absolutely no idea, man. Say so about two and a half grand. Yeah, well, that's, that's absolutely spot on. I think you've been looking at my notes here. Yeah. Two and a half thousand is a typical price for a mint on card, generally a Dean with a very, very slight damage. Right, and then the last one, a very, very good condition. Now, obviously, you probably are talking super rare here. A very, very good condition, no cracks, really nice card back, perfect seal. And what do you think one of those would shift for, Jez? 
think in this market nowadays, you're probably looking at five to six thousand. Yes, six thousand or just over six thousand um, is what the last one sold for. So try to me and Dean rare only to those who are looking for them to complete their collections. If you've got the money, you can get one. Right, so Rich, we've finally got an overview of the collector's panels at Anaheim. Okay, the event that Star Wars fans across the galaxy have been waiting for since CE2 kicks off in a few days, and for us, it's the collector's panels which hold some of the most interest. Not only are the talks always fascinating, but it's great to meet up with fellow collectors and look at the merchandise on show, not to mention collecting the store tots, which will generously be given out over the 20 panels. So which panels should you attend? Go for all of them. But if that's impossible, I've summarised the vintage collector's panels in the following three categories, and whichever ones you attend, you're sure to have a blast. The firstly, we have the ones for the Oddballs collector. We have wearable fandom, t-shirts, belts, hats, underoos, etc. from Duncan Jenkins and Todd Chamberlain. Star Wars comic art from David Mandel. Worldwide Star Wars oddities from Joe Y, Ron Salvatore and John Alvarez. Vintage Star Wars coins from Mark Salotti and James Gallo, who were the authors of Coin in the Galaxy. Proof cards and chromelins from Matthias Rendell, author of A New Proof. And original props and costumes from Brandon Allen, Jack, Gus Lopez, Stephen Lane and Tom Spina. So Grant, you're uh, an oddball collector. What's obviously missing from that list? Uh, Plastic Galaxy? Well, Plastic Galaxy, I was, I was thinking of Helix items. I think, Helix, uh, items. Helix items, you know, where's, where's the Helix items? So Grant, you've, you've heard those five panels here. Which one of those are you most interested in? Uh, the Proofs is obviously a big one for me, and I think the coins would be interesting. I, I'll be honest, I think you're on a winner pretty much wherever, because they seem to have covered all the different aspects of collecting. But for me, definitely the, uh, the coins and the Proofs would be a big one. Secondly, for the social and historical collect, Bab, we've got four panels. An exclusive 40-minute screening of the not-to-be-missed Plastic Galaxy from Brian Sturman and Gus Lopez. And then we've got three panels which focus on stories and discoveries from the old guys collecting. The Dawn of Star Wars Collecting from Michael Novak, Steve Sonsweet, Todd Chamberlain, and Pete Vilma. Great stories of Star Wars Collecting from Chris Fawcett, Matthias Rendell and Tommy Garvey. And finally, the Star Wars Pickers, which is an interesting um, panel, which is all about collecting stories from the super sleuths, Chris Fawcett, Shane Turgent, and Bobby Sharp. So, Grant, social and historic collecting, any interest in any of those areas? Uh, all three. All three seem like super strong panels. I'd uh, definitely be interested in, in seeing all... In fact, all three of those are marked on my app, so, yeah, I'll hopefully be at all three of those. Those are super strong. Yeah, Dawn of Star Wars collecting really fascinates me because um, it's not it's something that we don't really hear a lot about, so I'd, I'd love to go to that one. And finally, um, for the action figure purists, we've got five panels. Customising Star Wars action figures from Jamie Fordis. The Ewok collectibles beyond Return of the Jedi with uh, Jason Smith. Oh, sorry, I've misread that. Amy Schroberg and Jared Clark. Star Wars toy innovators presented by Lucasfilm employees. The many sides of Kenner's Star Wars collectibles, Matthew Fox and Ryan Bayes. And finally, the elite character focus collecting, Bill McBride, Bill Cable and Sky Payne. So, Grant, five exciting panels there. The last two for me are leaping out like a sore thumb, the many sides of Kenner's Star Wars collectibles. I would hope that that one would cover the, the large size action figures as well as the, the three three quarter inch. Um, and the last one, the elite character folks collecting, but are you thinking about picking any of those up? Yeah, I think I agree with you, the last two. I think it's another strong full day of panels, but yeah, definitely the last two. And especially as a focus collector, I'd love to see that focus panel. So anybody going to any of these panels, be sure to enjoy it and remember to pick up your star tots. Right, then, and finally, brilliant, brilliant month for um, the podcast. Rich, we hit 10,000 listeners, or listens, maybe, not listeners. Well, we've reached a big milestone on our listeners. I would 
delighted to say that we've reached 10,000 downloads and plays from 32 different countries, 57% from the UK, with strong support from the US and Europe, especially from the Scandinavian countries. A special shout out to listeners in Cambodia, China, Kenya and Oman. We're kind of shocked to have listeners out there, so please, wherever you are, a big thank you for listening to us, and drop us an email at swfukpodcast at gmail.com, and who knows, we might have you on the show at some point in the future. Peter from the Star Wars Forum UK podcast team. You know, from the market section. Usually about three and a half hours into the podcast. I wanted to let you know that at Star Wars Celebration 2015 Anaheim, in Los Angeles, on Sunday, April the 19th, between 12pm and 1pm, we'll be appearing on the podcast stage in room 208A. There's absolutely nothing else going on during that time. So, please come along, get some free stuff... Listen to us discuss vintage loveliness with some special guests and marvel in our wonderful show, live at your table. So, I hope to see you there. And now, the advert in American for our American friends. Howdy doody there, Star Wars fans. Us Limas are saddling up to hold down with you at the Celebration in that there Anaheim, L.A. West Side. We're put on a rootin' tootin' show for all you Star Wars padres. So get down and party. Be there or be very square. Yeah! <laughs> Right, now on to this month's interview. Joining me tonight is a huge Han Hoff variant collector, a die-cast fan with in particular a love of die-cast TIE Fighters, and most peculiar, a love of the INT-4 mini-rig. With just short of 6,000 posts on Star Wars Forum UK, he's one of only 11 users to hold the white Grandmaster lightsaber. It's Andrew Norton. Good evening, buddy. Hey, Stu. How you doing? Not too bad, you? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, I didn't realise I was one of only 11 with the white lightsaber. I think yeah, no, uh, yeah, look that up. Quite a poster. Clearly got a lot to say, so looking forward to this. Yeah, <laughs> been around for a few years. I think that's probably more to do with it, but yeah. Now, Andrew, I've just got a few short questions here that I want you to answer yes or no, just to get us warmed up, okay? Okay. Was the lead character in 1980s hit children's TV show Button Moon an inspiration to you? He <laughs> was indeed. Uh, there's a, a close family resemblance there as well, I think. Did you once join a band but couldn't actually play an instrument, so you stood at the edge of the band playing spoons? Yes, yes, indeed. Have you ever been to prison and been spooned by the largest, most dangerous convict for the duration of your stay? <laughs> that's, a, that's a no on that one. Do you have a large collection of cutlery? I do, particularly after uh, Father's Fun this year, where I got given three teaspoons by my secret centre. 
are you known amongst friends and family as a bit of a stirrer? Uh, that is that is actually where spoons come from. That is why I'm called spoons. Oh, is it? That's uh, what I'm going to ask you because you you go into spoons <laughs> on all forums, don't you? I do, yeah, it's a, and it's what a lot of my friends know me as as well. Apart from the prison-related one, in various points in life, told people that's why I'm called Spoons. And you got some teaspoons for Secret Santa. Was that on your list? It wasn't on my list, <laughs> but coming back, having spent a pretty penny, I gave those to the other half. <laughs> she was very pleased. <laughs> you know how to treat her then. <laughs> right. As we heard in your intro, you are an INT4 collector which is totally random to me. During the time, during the podcast, I've come across people who have an interest in the mini-rigs as a whole, but no one until today that focuses on one specific mini-rig. So firstly, why? When I was a lad and had my Star Wars figures, um, the only sort of big spaceship I had uh, was the Darth Vader TIE Fighter. My brother, I think brother had an X-Wing. One Christmas, everyone's family is different, isn't it? But we used to get stockings at Christmas, and normally... Hours are full of, you know, like um, comedy pencil sharpeners, notebooks, bouncing balls, you know, just little stocking fillers, I suppose. And then we got used to get our main presents with the family under the tree, so any, anything decent size. And there was one year where me and my brother got a mini rig in our stocking. You know, it's not not a massive, not a massive present, but it was so different from the normal normal stuff we got. And it was Star Wars. Uh, you know, it just really stuck with me. It was absolutely fantastic. And and since that time, INT4, INT4, is, has always been a favourite. And I, I also love the way that I think most of the mini-rigs, maybe, maybe maybe a couple of them could fit in the films, but a lot of them really didn't look like they belong in the film. And my brother got the MLC3 that same year. And I quite like that one. Again, it's got, it's got Han Solo, Hoth on the, cover, on the box. I wouldn't mind picking up a few more of those for my focus. You know, I don't really think that one looked like it would belong in the films. In 4, looked like it belonged in the films, and the fact it fitted in the back of the Atat, you could imagine, as they're coming across Hoth, they're, they're full of those flying out at various points. So, I think, yeah, it's kind of worked as a, as maybe a toy that could have been in the films, and, you know, it's got, got quite a special memory there for that, that Christmas when I got one. I didn't actually realise it could go in the back of the Atat until I was looking up for this interview. Um, it actually states on the box, doesn't it, that it's the Atat can carry INT4 into battle. Is that on all the boxes? Because I know you've got a fair few. I've never noticed that before, but then there's uh, there's quite a few things I've never noticed until someone points them out. So I, I will do a quick check right now because they're in front of me. Seemingly on the outer flap. I'm looking at a Return of the Jedi Kenner one. Yeah, it's on all of them. It's at the bottom of the box. Yeah, no, I've, that's something I've never noticed before, Stu, so, <laughs> so thank you very much for that. I must have known that when I was young. I never had an ATAT, but um, a lot of the kids in the street did. My info used to go into the back of other people's ATATs. And I might, yeah, I must have looked at that picture a hundred times and seen it in there. But yeah, I've never noticed it. It actually says that on the box. So, so, the, uh, so the toy actually fitted comfortably inside the ATAT? Yeah, yeah. You couldn't get any people. You are. You've only got the little pegs for the, the foot, the feet. Inside, uh, you couldn't put um, a stormtrooper on one of those uh, those pegs with the in four in there. But um, yeah, it does. It fits in well. I suppose that makes sense now because on the actual artwork on the front of the box, and I haven't got one in front of me, but it's actually got the attack driver in the cockpit, isn't it? It has. Yeah, uh, another one yeah. stood by him, and then the um, attack commander stood by. So very much an attack link. Uh, maybe that you know. Maybe that's why we're not ever having the attack as a as a kid. It's kind of, it was almost, you know, sort of the next next best thing, albeit on a much smaller scale. Now, in your limelight picture, you appear to have six boxed INT4. Seven. Seven. Are they all, all different boxes? They are all different boxes. Could try and go off some memory. My, my favourite is the Canadian one, which is just, it's just in a great, it's a great condition box. And also, I, I love any of the vintage items that have 
the foreign writing on being terrible at languages. It's kind of you know adds a a bit of mystique to them because I can't you know I can't understand them even if I uh, use common sense really because presumably all they say is Empire Strikes Back but in uh, in French. Yeah, uh, I've got a couple of Empire Strikes Back Kenner ones. Uh, one of which is the uh, the one dollar rebate, and then a Return of the Jedi Kenner one. Fairly recent acquisition is the Lily Leddy one, which is in a way again my, I suppose all my focus is. It's nice to be able to get as many different pieces from as many different countries. There's never a, a Leddy Han Hoth, uh, and as far as I'm aware, there's never a Leddy TIE Fighter, so, uh, a die-cast TIE Fighter. So having the opportunity to get a Leddy item through the four focus was, was quite good. It's a bit of, bit of a battered one, but um, I'm still very pleased with it. And then there's um, the, the Palatoy ESB one, and the Bi-Logo Return of the Jedi sort of Palatoy one. If my sums are right, that should be seven. Is there many differences to the boxes, or is it just a matter of the logo? The picture's different, or is it... No, as far as, as, far as I'm aware, again, um, you might well be pointing out something I've not seen, but the, the pictures are the same on all of them. Um, it's just just the logo. So when they're all lined up, um, it, it depends on space, the, the, most of the differences are on the, the side flap, in terms of the certainly the foreign writing with the Canadian one. It's not instantly obvious... Uh, the differences between them um, but yeah if you've got a bit of space and, and show them to their full extent the differences are there a little bit more but essentially yeah essentially like anything it's it's the logos in the uh, the bottom right corner uh, whether they're ESB or Return of the Jedi in the top left and are there many other boxes that you're aware of that you haven't got I think I've got them all um, actually there is um, there is another difference the the which again was, was pointed out to me fairly recently is the the photo art on them is using uh, a first shot rather than actual production. Um, I don't think there's, there's any more boxes that I can get, um, but there are several kind of pre-production items. Uh, I'd also like to upgrade my, my Lily Leddy one. Uh, it's not got the inserts or the instructions with that, and I've, I've seen those around, uh, so I'll probably do that at some point. Regarding the actual vehicle, is there many like variations to the actual vehicle, or are they all pretty standard? No, um, again, the, uh, the Lily Lily I thought might have a different copyright. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not particularly a, a copyright chaser, as it were, but the Lily Lady has the same copyright, you know, the coup stamp as everything else, uh, except it's covered by uh, a Made in Mexico sticker. And you have, to me, was probably the most impressive part of this little run is your you've got an INT4 Chromalin, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm very, I'm very pleased. It's the only chromalin I own. It's not a popular ship. There's not a lot of people looking out for pre-production for that. So I got that for a very good price. It's the things with, um, you know, the proof and chromalin sheets for for box items is they take up a lot of space. I've had the opportunity to buy chromalin with actual sort of changes marked on it. You know, I'm aware, but the, the chromalin is really is the the actual proof stage of the box art design so the box art is made up the chromalin sent out and people mark on comments when you shift this logo a bit to the left uh, spelling mistake here it's, it's those kind of um, changes that are made at that stage because my my uh, chromalin is the one dollar rebate one everything's already fixed so I've, I've not got any comments to that effect on it but it's you know it's got some it's got the person that signed it off uh, a signature on it handwritten numbers and things at the bottom I, I really do like it I've also had the opportunity to pick up in the past uh, things called Diluxes. Essentially, they look like um, blueprints. We get them in this sort of black, uh, blue, orange. They're the 
the whole artwork is printed off in one colour. Um, Dialux is the is the um, kind of the trade name, otherwise known as Blue Line Proofs, and they're really nice, really interesting part of the process. They're sort of very cheap proof that could be produced quickly, yeah, produced at the first stage. Make some changes there before you're producing a more expensive chromalin. Unfortunately, they're not the they're not the most attractive of uh, pre-production things. So, again, because it's take up such a large space, I like to have all my collection out on display, uh, and you kind of run out of wall space with big things like that. So I've, I've turned them down in the past, but sort of just this week, I've been looking at some of the pieces I've turned down, some of the price they've gone for. And it's been crazy, really, in retrospect. So I'm actively on the lookout for um, for one of those now. Where do you find something like a, an INT for chromalin or a... Um, it's mostly our friends over at Rebel Scum. Um, you know, they, they kind of either come directly from... I don't know pronounce his name, but Tom Nine Heist, is it? I think I've got a, I've got a Revenge of the Jedi Atta proof, which came via... I think it was one person via... Uh, before him, or sorry, after him. And I'm trying to think, I think... I think the $1 rebate might have come directly from him. So apologies... If it wasn't, and I bought it off someone else out there. But yeah, off the top of my head, I think that actually did come direct from him. So he was the guy that basically did a lot of skip diving when uh, when Kenner were throwing all this stuff out. Inevitably, they're going to have an American source for them over here in Britain, uh, unless you know, unless someone's already bought it over here and you, you're buying it off them on the secondary or tertiary market. You just mentioned there your um, your attack proof, which is it's a lovely piece, and obviously, <laughs> being for the attack is clearly very very large. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, actually, it's about framed up. The Int4 chromalin and the Atat proof take up the same amount of space. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, they do actually take up similar amount of space. But yeah, they're, they're, the Revenge of the Jedi Atat proof is, is, again, you know, fantastic item. Absolutely love it. It's I, I do have a, a boxed Atat, but don't really have the space for it. So it's up in the cupboard. Quite nice that after what we've just been saying about the Intfall being able to go inside the attack, that they're the two that you've got to, as these two items on the wall. That is coincidence, and uh, <laughs> I've never, yeah, never leaked that before. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, that does, that does actually work. In fact, yeah, the attack is clearly shown on the uh, on the chromium as well as the proof. But yeah, I think they're, they're great items, and it's it's a shame we don't seem to have the same. Um, not, I don't think any quantity do we of of palatoy proofs and chromolins, and they must have existed. You know, just someone saying Palatoy logo goes here. You know, they must have existed, but we don't see them. Unless, you know, I'm aware that there's the the guy that did certainly some of the artwork for Star Wars, a lot of the artwork for Paraction Man. I know he has all his stuff in his loft, so you never know one day some of these things might materialise, which I think would be great for the British side of the collecting hobby. Well, let's move on a bit, or back a bit, maybe. Be a better choice of words. So let's go back to your younger days. Born in 73, is that correct? Born in 73, yep. Yep, so you're at that prime age throughout the original trilogy. So when did you first see one of the Star Wars movies and what impact did it initially have on you? I didn't, didn't see Star Wars at the cinema, uh, but I did see Empire Strikes Back. And you know what memories are like? I kind of would have sworn that it was for uh, my 7th or 8th birthday. But the, the maths don't work. I'm a, I'm a March, March baby, so I would have been 8 in March 1980. And I believe Empire Strikes Back came out in May that year. Yeah. Um, so it could have been my brother's birthday, who was, he was May, but he's a bit younger than me. It could have been uh, just as a treat, and I'm aware back in those days, films kept on being re-shown as well, didn't they? So it could have actually been a year later, could have been for my eighth birthday in March 81, if the local cinema was still showing it. We 
we lived in London at that time, so, you know, could have gone down the West End and seen it, but <laughs> either way, it was kind of, you know, when it was first, around the time it was first out, and, you know, I was just totally blown away. I think, I think when you're that kind of age, don't really take everything in. I remember seeing an attack later and not really remembering it from the film, which, which sounds, might sound a bit crazy. I remember the, the legs in the film, these, these big things, but kind of when I saw an attack toy, I didn't really associate it with the, what I'd seen in the films. But yeah, it was just, you know, opened my eyes to, uh, to another world. Um, I, was, I was aware of Star Wars already, uh, that we must have been like a, a babysitter or, I don't think it was a close mate, but after school I used to go to um, this lad's house and he had the Imperial Troop Transport, made all the different noises. And I remember playing with that and mum coming to collect me sort of for tea time and take me home. I'm guessing uh, whether it was just another lad in the class and we, we reciprocated or actually a childminder son, I don't know. But he had this, so that I kind of was aware of this Star Wars world. And, I, and after that, when I was bought these toys... Suddenly, it, um, you know, it, it, it kind of made a bit more sense. Although saying that, one of my first toys was Walrus Man, who would have meant nothing to me until I saw Star Wars on VHS. Probably, I don't know, I mean, that, that would be when I was around nine or ten, a couple of years later. So I'd have had Walrus Man being a key key member of my Star Wars games. Yeah, but not really knowing who he was for for another couple of years. So Walrus Man was your first figure. He was. I, I kind of um, there's a, there's a photo of me and Holiday in Spain, which I um, submitted to I Grew Up Star Wars. Through that, it features at the beginning of Plastic Galaxy, Brian Stillman's um, film. And in fact, Brian, Brian Stillman emailed me today saying there might be some advertising company or something, there's something going on with these photos and they might want to ask permission to use them. So it might, it might be used again in something, which is great. Um, and in that photo, I'm, I'm on holiday in Spain. I've, I've gone there, I think, with a... Orlando, a Walrus Man, and Han Hoth. I certainly remember Han Hoth being one of my first figures. And I remember there was this this kid. I think he lived out there. I was I was my uh, granddad and uh, granny used to have a, a villa out in Spain back in the days. And <laughs> the thing to do. Remember, so we were on holiday there, and this lad next door swapped me a Jawa for my Orlando. And I, you know, I, I think I must have been a bit of a, a bit naive because the Jawa is missing everything. His cloak, his gun, has also been chewed by a dog. So I just remember he was riddled with tooth marks. <laughs> looking at that photo, that Lando was pristine, so he got a, he got a pretty good deal. He's holding up a hand hoth in the in the photo, so I don't know whether that's mine. Yeah, I've say I've seen that photo, and he's got a pretty firm grip on the hand hoth, actually, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> it could be his, could be my. But hand hoth was certainly one of the earliest ones. A few years later, this probably was after Jedi. There's a, a mate in the street who, I mean, I, when I sold, I sold all my Star Wars stuff to buy BMX bits brakes and, and tyres and whatever which must have had them for six months and then got rid of the bike so we, we do regret that now there's a lad in the street who was about a year ahead in terms of BMX so he sold all his um, Star Wars stuff to me and I suddenly went from having just a handful and this, this Vader tie to loads so I got a, a land speeder off him still nothing nothing big but he had tons of figures I remember bought them all for about 40p each when I sold them because again I sold them to kids in the street I sold them for 50p each a year later, and he was he was furious that I was profiteering off his generosity. I, had, um, I got a 12-inch 3PO and Luke, bought those off him as well. So I, I did, yeah, ended up having quite a lot of stuff. And uh, my brother brother kept his. He didn't he didn't sell that. And, he, yeah, he must have had about 15 figures or so. So I guess I would have had a similar amount. Does he still have them? He does, yeah. He um, Well, I, I kind of took them 
and I had when I first started collecting, I took his figures and had them on display as well. I think when he bought himself a, a flat, I then gave everything back to him, and he he bought a few. Uh, he bought himself a, a falcon as well to go with them. He's not he's not an active collector. He's got his childhood collection and the falcon. He's, he's still got those, which is really good. Um, I think I did actually sell one or two of his childhood ones, which I replaced, but I felt, <laughs> felt quite guilty about afterwards. You know, there's a couple of uh, couple of beaters. Actually, it reminds me we used to seen other people say this but mum used to put nail varnish on their feet so that we knew whose was whose so I, you know, I don't, don't remember my mum ever wearing silver and gold nail varnish but they, they were the colours that, that marked our figures so brother had silver and I had gold on the feet and it also meant that when we used to play Star Wars with the kids in the street you also knew who was yours um, I mean when the, when the films were first out I was, uh, you know, to say when I went to see Empire Strikes Back was when we were living in London, but we moved we moved out of London not long after that to uh, an estate out, uh, out near High Wycombe. And there were loads and loads of kids. They're mostly a couple of years younger than me, but all with loads of Star Wars stuff. And there's um, a couple of couple of brothers that each one of them had one of everything pretty much. They each had an Atat, each had a Falcon, and summer holidays would all be out there in the front gardens of everyone's houses, playing Star Wars up and down the street everything getting mixed together so you can see why why mums would would mark the feet of your figures so at least had a chance of um of getting them back and it was still relatively real my mum and dad had their garden done over probably 10 years ago now new flower beds that kind of stuff and they and they uh, they found a couple of figures then which i still which they gave to me so i actually have a couple of childhood figures despite selling all my stuff they might not be mine i should be able to tell but they got nail varnish on the feet they could be <laughs> Some other kids in the street that lost them in the garden, but um, I've got a, a Sam person and a Rebel soldier from those days, which um, which stand alone in the collection, away from the rest of my loose set. And actually, the painted foot's actually a really, really good idea, isn't it? I, I, well, I think kids today are a little different. Though. Certainly, we don't mark uh, our kids' toys no. with anything. They tend to play with them in the house, I and mean, we live on a, an estate, much like the one I grew up on. They're out there on bikes and things, but there don't seem to be the street-wide games that there were back in our day. <laughs> so you you sold your collection. So when did you get back into it, and how did you get back into it? I was um, a student, first-year student um, in 1991, and there was a big flea market. You know, I, was, I studied in Bradford, and there's a big flea market there called Cannon Mills. And, you know, there's like, lots of, sort of rooms, you know, kind of divided off just tables, really. So all kinds of crap. And in one of them, they, just, they had a lot of loose Star Wars figures, but they had um, this Luke Stormtrooper, and I'd never seen it before. I must have stopped playing uh, toys before the Power of the Force or the last 17 figures came out, so I'd never seen this Luke Stormtrooper, but recognised him instantly as being of that age. Memories are a funny thing. I, I'm convinced I paid 99p for him. In reality, I can't imagine someone at a flea market wanting 99p for something. It'd be 50p or a pound, wouldn't it? So... I think I think that's my mind playing tricks on me, but that's in my head. I paid ninety nine p for him, uh, and that was the start of it. So then, pretty much every Saturday morning, I get up and there was a, another mate there, still good friends with. He was a, a keen Star Wars fan, had all the toys when and he was young. One of these British collectors that refers to Greedo as Green Greedo. So we used to pop along to these this flea market, a few um, car boot sales and things around Bradford, and I just started piecing together a loose collection. 
Uh, I then um, did a, a six months work experience in York. York car boot sales held at York races has to be one of the best car boot sales out there. I've not not been recently, but back in the day it was absolutely amazing. Completely massive. It'll take you, you know, three hours to wander around it. And back then, it's when everyone was just selling off all their toys of that age. I remember buying um, Pirotry Transport for 5p. It was that, it's that kind of, you know, just someone would turn up at the, kind of the middle of the day. What, what do you want for that? Oh, I don't know, 5p. And, and so I just ended up buying loads of stuff. Most of it a bit battered. In fact, most of the stuff I bought then, now my kids now have actually. So, you know, I've, I've upgraded to boxed items bit more conscious about condition and and they've ended up having sort of you know b-wings with a gun snapped off somewhere that you know you can't really replace um as as their toys about they've got some stuff that's a bit better than that as well but um so i yeah, ended up getting a good run of uh, ships most of the figures from um york car boots i also remember seeing the proper dealers back in the day there and so they'd have a stall at the car boot and so I remember someone selling yak faces had loads of yak faces about £10 each I was aware that um, he was a more desirable figure uh, Sand Sweet's book had come out the one with the, the gold cover uh, and the Darth Vader is it concept screen collectible screen collectible yeah yeah that come out so, so that, in fact, yeah, that was coming when I was still in, I think, my first year, maybe first, second year. So suddenly, this Luke Stormtrooper was put into context. Because remember, me and my mate just trying to remember all the figures there were, you know, kind of making out names, missing out names. And suddenly this book came out with uh, the photo showing all the figures you could get. And so, you know, I don't, don't remember these. And uh, another friend back in Bradford, he used to run a comic shop. And so he was aware I'd started collecting these loose figures. And uh, he gave me one of the toy collecting magazines at the time, the American one that had been imported. And there were actual articles on it on vintage Star Wars collecting and, and I think some, you know, prices for stuff being sold, you know, just in the, uh, in the adverts in there. So suddenly I was aware that what started off as a kind of novelty, or oh, I remember these toys, I'm going to buy them back again. Suddenly I was aware, well, actually, there's, there's other people out there doing this and, and some of them are more expensive than others, hence, hence the act face never thinking they were sort of major money. Um, I did buy a, a mint-on-card figure at York Car Boot Sale as well, a, a Trilogo Emperor. It looked like someone had folded it up in their hands into a ball and then unfolded it, and it was totally battered. And, and one of the first things I sold when I uh, got onto eBay, regret now, and it probably, probably ended up U-graded, I think, something like that, and I'd, I'd gladly have that back in the collection. So I, I ended up getting a, a decent run of figures from York Car Boot Sale. And then went on another six-month student placement into Edinburgh. So I carried on looking out for car boot sales. Didn't seem to be the same quantity up there. Maybe it's a bit spoiled with York car boot sales. But where I worked in Leith, there was a proper vintage Star Wars shop. I don't know why, why the guy was into it, because he must have been 50s, if not 60s, um, who ran it. He said he was his wife ran a hotel, and he was allowed to run this shop as a hobby. And, he, and I never saw anybody else in there. And he spent a lot of his time making customs out of the figures. So he's, he had biker scouts that had bent knees that could sit on their bike, on their speeder bikes. Um, so, and, you know, so he, he had all this in the back room, so he'd show me that. I don't think I ever bought anything off him. I bought a, a Yoda snake. That was about it. Because, again, it was all... It was proper prices rather than car boot prices. And I knew that, oh, I could I could pick this up at the car boots yeah. and there's no, there's no point in me buying it. And then, I think, coming back to Bradford, there was a, must have been the heyday, I think, for for loose stuff. It was only a few short years, really, after it had been sold in the shops. 
Uh, although at the time it felt, you know, it felt like a lifetime ago playing with toys. But if you think about it, I was, it was 91. I mean, what was still on the shelves in what 85, 84? Yeah. Um, in fact, I've still got, a, I have still got a Klaatu that uh, another friend in Bradford. There was a toy shop in town that had the, you know, it's always Klaatu, isn't it? He's the, the proverbial shelf warmer. They had a bin full of Klaatus, and she came back and said, "Have you, have you been to this shop? They got loads of Star Wars figures there." So I rushed down, and it, yeah, it was a bin full of Klaatus. The bubbles were all yellow, even then, peeling off anyway. Um, although I had no qualms about opening him back then, so I opened him out. I've still got the card back, and and that mint clatu sits in my shelf. Um, but yeah, again, going back, I would have probably bought the whole bin and and, and sat on them. But it's it's interesting though that the, the bubbles were yellow even then on on those figures back in '91. And then um, finished uni, started work, hadn't really bought anything new for a long time. And uh, did a did a few jobs in London in uh, Greenwich, and there used to be a vintage Star Wars shop in Greenwich, and and back in there you know, I dig holes for a living, as you might be aware, an archaeologist, and on these away jobs we'd be given weeks of assistance, so he you know we given spent you know food food money for the week as as well as your wage because you're working away from home. So I used to spend my subsistence at this shop in Greenwich uh, on vintage Star Wars and kind of live off pot noodles for the week. And so I, I remember what I bought. I bought a Jewback. I remember that cost me £40. And this must be, what, 98 which is a lot. I wouldn't spend £40 on a Jewback today, I don't think. But um, it was, to me, I'd never seen one before. Uh, just a loose Jewback wasn't in its box, and its reins were slightly split. I picked up a Barada, I think, for about £45 back then. It's probably, it's probably not changed that much in price. I don't yeah, know. Not, not, yeah, not up on um, those prices. <laughs> Let's go on to your uh, your limelight, which shows your beautifully displayed collection. Your love of Hanhoff is remarkable, and your collection of Hanhoff brilliant to look through. How long have you been focusing on Hanhoff? It must be since around 2006, because when it was um, it's kind of with collecting, it kind of stalled, and so just with the odd odd toy shop uh, until eBay. And I remember first discovering eBay and thinking, oh, wonder if I can pick up a, a vintage Star Wars weapon. But not knowing the term vintage Star Wars, all I could find were applause figures. I remember the first thing I ever bought on eBay was uh, applause, Jabba the Hutt and Han Solo from the uh, the, the special editions. An awful toy, really, but that's, that's what I bought. And then after that, I think, I don't know how, I, I must have discovered the, the actual the loose figures and, and soon completed my loose collection. So this would be around the early 2000s. And then discovered Rebel Scum. I remember first being on there and seeing all these focuses and not not really getting it. And I think there's um, actually commented on a on a on a post saying I don't really understand these focuses. And then, but I thought, well, I've got I've completed my loose run. Dabbled a bit with um, Mint on Card. I bought um, a couple of Beta Twelve backs, Kenner Twelve backs, a, a Jawa and a Death Squad Commander. And I think I bought a Handhoff thinking, you know, that's one of my favourite figures as a kid. A lot of sentimental value. And it was from that point on, I thought, right, I'm either going to have, you know, I'm either going to want to buy more. Do I just buy my favourite figures from the line and have just like an odd collection of, of random figures? I'm never going to buy all 90 odd because I just haven't got the room for them. Why don't I, I start a focus? And I, and I never intended to, to go the route I had with. I just thought, well, let's get a, an ESB Han Kenner. Let's get a Return of the Jedi Kenner Han and a couple of Palatoy, you know, a, a Palatoy BSB and a Tri-Logo. And, you know, I thought that would be a, a nice little run. And I still, still do think it would be a nice little run. 
inevitably, there's, particularly with Kenners, actually, there's all the different offer ones. So I ended up buying all those, and then I, I, st- I went for all the different car, uh, car back variations. So I had all the entire Kenner run, apart from a 79 back, which at that time wasn't known to exist, I don't think, since examples have been found in, in Australia. Uh, and I thought, well, I've got this run. Again, space is an issue, and, and I do uh, admire all focus collectors, but to the, the untrained eye and to myself, the collection can look very samey. You know, you've got umpteen cards, all with exactly the same card front. Certainly, yeah, I was getting comments from friends and family, and like, what, what on earth are you doing? And uh, didn't have the space to display them. So I sold off all my offerless Kenners. You know, I kept one of one of each, so one ESB, one Return of the Jedi. But other than that, I just had the offers. So kind of a nice, nice run. I was really pleased with that. Uh, then, but only last few months, I picked up a 79 back. Um, unfortunately, bit of a bubble damage in the post, poorly sent and, and very yellow bubble anyway. But it's such an elusive hand hot. I really wanted one. Now I've got that and know that I can complete the run, I'm I'm very tempted to do that again. So I just picked up a 65 back. So suddenly I've got uh, three Return of the Jedi's all exactly the same front. Uh, the way I've got them displayed, they're sort of side on. Uh, so they, they, they appeal to me. I'm not, not looking at the whole card face. But um, since I, mean, I didn't sell them that long ago, it was um, about 2011, I sold most of those for about £50, there or thereabouts. Been looking on eBay recently for the offerless 41 backs, and they're now sort of three times that. You know, if we get one for 120, be lucky. And, I, and because it's, I'm, I'm wanting them for a sense of completeness rather than a massive desire to own them, if you see what I mean. There's, yeah. there's a different, I'm really, I really would now like to have a full can of run just for that achievement. But individually, the cards aren't actually going to do that for me. Uh, I'm yeah, a bit loath to spend that money, so I might just see uh, see if things come down a little bit. I think I will I will end up buying them again um, if things start going up again. <laughs> I'll probably have to bite the bullet. Uh, and then the the power toy run, got fewer cards in that run. I nearly got there, but then the the explosion in power toy prices over the uh, last couple of years, uh, I can't see myself ever doing that run now. So Gary. Gary sold me his 30A uh, for a very reasonable price a few years back at Milton Keynes Collectomania. Then a B came on the market, which Gary and I were sort of in, a, in an eBay bidding war for, which uh, Gary's got deeper pockets than me, and he won that. And, you know, hats off to him. You know, the one, the recent ones have gone for about a grand, and I, I know I'm just not prepared to, to spend that on um, on vintage Star Wars. You know, there's there's other things in my life. Uh, the other half would string me from the roof anyway if I if I was spending that kind of money. So um, yeah, it's probably not to be, which is a bit of a shame. But I've got a decent decent run of the of the Palatoy, so I don't feel like I'm I'm missing out. And there aren't you know there aren't really a lot more reasonably priced hand hot out there. I mean that, that was actually one of the other attractions to him back when I was first collecting him. You can go get a hand hot. There's a major character minute on card for fifty quid. You know that's um, that's a good reason to do a run. Today, yeah, it's um, it's going to cost a bit more than that. You did actually get yourself a bargain recently, didn't you? I did see on um, the latest acquisitions that you picked up a, a 65 back for £45 on eBay, which is an absolute steal yeah. in this day and age, isn't it? It's indeed. I mean, I, I looked at what I sold. My, I, I um, And I'm a punch one. In fact, the only difference between the one I just bought and the one I sold, and I sold that for, I think it was 55 maybe 60 uh, back in 2011. So I was really pleased to, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, you'd probably pay an extra tenner for a unpunch, so it was there or thereabouts. But I think I also said in that thread, 
but I'd seen a 77 back go for sort of way over 100. And 77 backs have got to be the most common hand-hoff out there. It's not it's not even ESB card, it's nowhere near debut card. I don't understand why people are paying that much for 77. A lot of them have got yellow bubbles as well. I picked up the 79 back for less than the 77 went, and that was about the third I'd ever seen. Yeah, I just, I just don't understand the mentality out there. Do you know many other like, Hanhoff Focus collectors? I only know one other, and he is Mr. Hanhoff. I think he's one of the, the first ever Focus collectors anyway, and that's uh, CJ Fawcett. Um, who's over on Rebel Scum doesn't doesn't post very much. I've, I've asked his advice on a couple of um, first shot purchases I've made in the past. He's very helpful. He's got first shots coming out of his ears for, for many characters. Uh, he's got hard copy Han Hoff as well. He's also got the the unproduced 12 inch. I think he's got some of the Hoff Han Hoff clothes for that line. Yeah, he's, he's got tons. And someone like that. I'm never going to compete with. But it's quite interesting, actually, because I heard him being interviewed on the Kivecast, and he's it's almost like a very different approach, because he's been in it from a very early stage, and one of the guys going out there finding um, a lot of these prototype pieces, he's looking at it from a, a slightly higher level, I suppose, and because that, you know, that's out of... A lot of these things are locked up in other collections, price aside... It's going to be very difficult to get hands on those, although I, I do appreciate also the likes of uh, Ross Barr, who's a relatively recent collector in, in terms of guys like that, um, who's been picking up some amazing Hanhoff pieces. He's got the, the unproduced Power of the Force uh, proof card, which I, I absolutely love. Seen seen them go a few times, but normally out of my, my kind of price range. But he's, he's got one of those. And in fact, I sold him one of my first shots recently, so he's, he's building up quite an impressive Hoff collection, but you hand hot in there but, but anyway from my my perspective I suppose I've been very much more focusing on production line so I've, I've got a very good understanding of what figures come on what cards uh, what combinations what backs are rarer than others I, I get the impression the likes of CJ don't have just because they've not had any interest in that I mean he's got QC sign-off handholds in his collection he's more interested in that in that sort of production uh, pre-production side um, than, than what was available on the shelves. That, that's my take on it. So I, I think the two two collections actually complement each other quite well, really, from that from that sense. With regard to you were just talking about Palatoy hand off a minute ago. These were often packed with Stormy Blasters, weren't they? The Return of the Jedi Palatoy ones, and there's a bit of debate about this. I've always called them PPB hand halves, and a lot of the European collectors say no, 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 they're not PPB. PPB figures came on PPB cards, and I and I fully appreciate that point of view. But there's something weird going on with those. Palatoy cards. Um, it's this uh, the 45 and the 65 back, so they, they've got, got the Palatoy logos on, both of which can be found with a Stormtrooper blaster, but only on the figures that tend to have either the sort of the very pale pink face uh, or, or the bright pink face, and those are, are known as the PPB figures. They've got this sort of scarred out coup on the back, and a lot of the PPB figures do seem to have different paint jobs to traditional tri-logo or um, well, sort of more traditional Palatoy figures. Uh, Dengar jumps to mind. He's sort of got a sort of darker hue of purple on his suit. And my feeling for that is that these figures were being assembled or painted in a different factory to the figures that we were seeing. Um, whether that was Spain or whether that was elsewhere, I don't know. You know, I'm not. I'm no expert on that. But there's clearly a difference there. And with these pale face and pink face hand hoths, 
not only are the, the paint jobs different to the, the standard hands you're seeing on a, on a Palatoy card, and they're also packed with a different weapon. So my, my feeling is that Palatoy is producing these cards. Where that's being done, again, you know, that's, that's outside of my, my knowledge. But they're producing those cards, and some are being shipped off to a different factory, whether that's in Spain or somewhere else out in the east. I don't know, but there's, there's something different going on. But with these Stormtrooper blasters, they're actually as common, if not more common, than the normal Hanhoff with his normal blaster on oh. those backs. So I, I keep seeing, there's like a big bug there, and people must be getting bored of me writing it every time some of these comes up for sale. Because you see them saying, Holy Grail, Han Solo Hoff, Miscard, Blaster Error, when they're, you know, when they're all like that, it's not, it's not an error. There's another, there's another one, actually, it's the 47 back on a Kenner, and he's more often than not with a Bespin Blaster. In fact, actually, half jokingly, I did wonder... If, if we were seeing another Tony here, because the he's not the forty-seven bat doesn't have a waffle seal, has a very um, plain seal. And so it's kind of like, is this being done somewhere else? Of course, wherever I said that, no, no, of course not. Don't be so silly. Um, but yeah, there's there's a difference there. So it's either someone in a factory has just got it wrong, which you know, clearly has happened, but they've they've done quite a long run of these figures before someone said that actually that has a hand blaster, not a Bespin blaster. With the um, with these PPV figures. I don't think I've seen a PPV figure actually without the Stormtrooper blaster, so it just seems that they they were shipped with those. So you do you do see a lot of those, and if yeah, if you're tempted to pay a premium for one, don't. You've got a um, a Trilogo miscard with a Hanhoff on a hand Bespin card. Has that has that got the Bespin blaster with it, or has it got its proper? Yeah, it's got its proper blaster. That's one of my favourite pieces. That actually, um, you know, just the visually it looks great. I think the the green of the Bespin, you know, the the green rectangle where the figure goes against, and the blue. Pan works very well visually uh, and just a, just a great piece. Um, so I've been tempted to go get a few more miscars, not Han Hoff necessarily, but, um, but other ones. I, I just think that, again, for a, a focus collector, they sort of break it up a little bit anyway, so that's probably why I like that one so much. But they're just very, they're just very interesting, really. So I suppose um, part of the production, you know, that just getting rid of any leftover figures, sticking them on whatever cards... It, it's just interesting, isn't it, in the, in the history of Palatoy and, and Trilogo figures, and, and you know ones like that where they're actually trying to match up at least the character with his similar, you know, the same character's card. So the Clatoos, don't you, Clatoos skiff? Yeah, no, it's, it's one of my favourite pieces. That I'm assuming Han Hoff was available on the majority of foreign card packs. I'm aware of him, and he probably. One of a, one of a grail, yeah. Meccano, um, you know, the, the square cards get yeah. off on that. I've never seen one for sale. Uh, I think I've seen a card back a few years ago. Um, absolutely love one of those. Um, the other one I'd really like is the Poc one, so the the Spanish one, and it's the one where the the back is unlike any other. It's landscape rather than portrait, with all the figures in a row rather than uh, the little boxes. And then there's the PPB, which is the return of the Jedi version, so when Pox being assimilated into um, with a, well with a few other companies, um, which is a bit more common, but still a fairly hefty price on those. So okay, I, I, but I'm not, I don't really see those for sale ever. I don't know whether they're just sold privately or they're not keeping a close enough eye on the on the Spanish eBay. They're the ones that I'm aware of that I'm missing from my collection and, and would really like to add. There's no Power of the Force one, there's unproduced proof, and then there's the uh, Power of the Force coin, which I do have, uh, but which never was released with the card, but I guess you sent off for it. Um, 
the, the offers at the time, but it's, I can't remember, there's various categories of them on it. It's one of the harder to find ones, but still relatively common. Now, one thing I did notice about it being on the cards, when it was released on Empire card, it had Han Solo Hoff outfit. When it appeared on the Jedi cards, it became Han Solo Hoff battle gear. <laughs> yes. Have you got any idea why? I might have read something a long time ago, and I'm <laughs> pleased to say that actually something I was aware of, <laughs> the difference in my, <laughs> in my focus collecting. Um, I wonder whether it, it just sounds a little bit more Cindy or Barbie-like, I suppose, having him in a, his outfit, whilst Hoff battle gear makes it sound a bit more boyish. But I don't know, are, there's, are there other examples of... Is he is Luke in Bespin outfit? Or is Bespin fatigues, isn't it, for Bespin him? Bespin fatigues, yeah, lovely word. And so I wonder, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how many others were ever in outfit and whether they've changed. I mean, maybe Le- Leia, is it Bespin outfit, is it? Is it or Bespin gown? Yeah, Bespin gown, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's why there's quite a lot, you know, as I was saying before, the 31s and 32s are the most common, perhaps because they say outfit on them and <laughs> they were peg warmers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, I sometimes think things are overthought because I, if I went into a shop for a lot of figure, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm not buying that because it's got outfit. It's funny you should say that. I don't, I don't remember looking at the card backs at all when I used to get my figures. I remember one of the last figures I ever got was a Stormtrooper for, um, for a birthday. And I just remember seeing it was a Stormtrooper, ripping it off that card as fast as you like. And not, you know, the backs were interesting because you could see what the other figures were. You know, you could see it as a Stormtrooper, I didn't need to read it. So yeah, exactly, yeah. Just want to touch on briefly on the um, loose variants of him because looking at this, I've, I've never looked at a figure and found so many different variants. There's some, some real minor variations. How, how far do you go with your loose collection? Do you just uh, go with major variations? I would say major. Um, I'm aware Rich from the podcast would uh, would disagree and say that some of my major are, are not quite major enough. Uh, you know, everyone's uh, everyone sees it a little bit differently. I did at one point have a run of different coups as well, but they really weren't doing it for me. You know, okay, they, they were all different, but as a as a collection on display. It, it yeah it didn't didn't do anything with me so I've I've gone for sort of distinct leg colours as the only real variation that I care about yeah uh, and and I've got seven of them I would say four are clear differences one's one's the moulded legs version and then there's yeah probably a couple of the the lighter tan end there's some that are a little bit closer but as as a run I think you can see see the differences I do also have loose PPB versions with the light pink and the dark pink faces and these are sort of really vivid pink and um, certainly ones you would you would see associated with a hoff outfit i think rather than battle gear if they got a bit too much rouge on and then and the the pock figure which is actually one of my more recent buys he goes with the the leg color variants i'm less bothered that he's pock it's more the fact that he's got these very dark brown legs and uh, and it's a clear difference you also got a non-sonic welded one uh, the guy doesn't post it anymore on the forums gusty who picked up a job lot, I think it was about 20, the lighter brown-legged hand hoths off eBay. Most were pretty mint condition. They were, they were landfill find, apparently, by the person selling them. And one one had a strangely painted head, because he, he gave that to me, and it like some kid had coloured it in. But the rest were all pretty pristine, and they came with this one that was sort of non-sonic welded. So where they came, I do wonder if they were Palatoy factory clearance, you know, everything's gone, and in the corner of the corner of the building there's this pile of hand hoths that someone's just binned because um, it's quite odd to find them all together like that 
Uh, so he sold them off all individually at, at good price, if I remember rightly. So I got the non-Sonic welded one off him. So, but yeah, other than that, I don't have too many loose variants. When I, when I was looking through them, they were scarves, but they had minor things, belt buckles, emblems, the length of his thumb. I was just thinking, oh... <laughs> It's just, where would you stop, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I should say that because my, my uh, are all Hong Kong coups, they do tend to have this long thumb, and the belt buckle is is to do with when they were made. So the, the thirty one backs have this hexagonal belt buckle and this quite heavy eye paint. So the the eyebrows and the eyes are very dense black, whilst they're sort of a bit more subtle further along in the line. So if you see one with a um, a six sided belt buckle belt buckle, can't say it and heavy eye paint then you know that's one of the earliest ones so that's a, if you if you're trying to get a cheap molded legs hand he will always have those two things this six-sided belt buckle and the and the eyes it's double in jeff's brilliant thread isn't it with all the different different changes and there's there's stuff that i only learned last week about bits on his belt with nodules and things that's fantastic but i i'm i'm, I'm not going to go and, and try and collect every every variation i would assume that some of them would go together um, you know, they'd be from the same. So the you know long thumb goes with a certain type of scarf. So they, so inevitably, if you've got one, it's going to have the other. But I might be wrong on that. One thing I do love about the half uh, figure is the um, is the working holster. Yes, <laughs> lo- lovely touch on a figure, isn't it? Is is there any variants of it where that's not in use or not not there, or do they um, have that? You get a few. Um, is it a short paw? So the holster doesn't actually link up to the body. So there's a bit of a gap. I've got I've got one or two like that. Um, but that is actually something that I, I've known since I was a kid. My Hanhoff, when I was a lad, he had his blaster in his holster. It was probably one of the few figures that didn't lose it as a result. And all mine are on display with their guns in their holsters as well. You know, I, I think that's, that's... I don't know whether it was meant. I'd love to speak to the guy that designed him, uh, or lady, and uh, and see if they actually meant it to do that. Because it's not, it's, not um, it's not the handle... It's not the, uh, the the grip that fits into the holster. It's actually the magazine. So it's it's not you know it's not it's not a realistic function. It's just quite it's just quite neat. And uh, yeah, that's that's one of its appeals. So this this is probably the biggest question, isn't it? His coat, blue or brown? It's blue. It's always blue because that's what is. I'm I'm a collector of the toys more than I'm a fan of the films. But <laughs> I think it was brown in the films. I've seen the I've seen the debates about it and about the blue tint used for I can't remember what the reason was, um, which has made the coat look browner. But he looks wrong. If he's got a brown coat, it looks wrong to me. I've got the two of the Kubricks Hanhoffs, and one's in a blue coat and one's in a brown coat. So uh, there's, there's variations there. But for me, because it's a vintage figure, it's a blue coat every day. I know you know you're just talking about pre-productions a minute ago. You do actually have a first shot. Yeah, that's another one of my um, favourite figures, um, favourite pieces. It's uh, it's it's known as a, a head pull test, essentially to see how easy the head came off. So that these there's quite a few of these for the Hoth characters. I've seen a few of them kind of moulded in this translucent plastic. Um, doesn't have any limbs, so it's just the torso and the head. Um, but not, you know, the, the hand hot coats normally moulded in blue. So again, a very visually, it's instantly something different from from the loose run. Um, and again, it's also something early on in the process. It's, it's used to test to see if that figure works. So I, I don't know whether they produce those for every mould. I would I would think not. I, would, I think that's probably one done at the early stages of, of production to to make sure it actually works. I did, until a few weeks ago, have a second first shot, 
which was entirely production colours and a fantastic piece and it was a huge wrench selling it uh, I sold it to free up funds to buy something else but yeah fantastic piece but part of my reasoning for getting rid of it lined up with all my other hand hoths he was identical didn't have any copyright markings there was no, no coup whatsoever so you know it was a, a definite first shot there are some Star Wars figures that don't have any copyright markings whether they're production or not but with Han Hoth he always does so it was um, it was something quite different the as goes back to what I was saying before about the hexagonal belt buckle and the and the dark eyes this had a five sided belt buckle so my my gut feeling about it is that it's um, it's a first shot from quite from further down the line so once a, a mould wears out and they replace it and this decision to change how his belt looks was made for whatever reason it's it's a later first shot so there's already thousands if not millions of Han Hoths kicking about in the world before this first shot was made well before we uh, we come off Han Hoth then just got a little quiz I was um, looking at the um, the Empire boxes for ships playsets and monsters oh okay okay so purely Empire boxes now there's nine in total which box fronts does Han Hoth appear so if you get one wrong, I'm gonna we'll eliminate you at that that number. Okay, well he's on the attack because I'm staring at the revenge proof. He is, yeah. He's also on I think just one of the snow speeders. I think it's the pink. Well, I've got a pink box snow speeder where he's on, but I don't think he's on the blue one. Yeah, he's on the pink one. I've got snow speeder down. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's on. Is it uh, creatures as well? Because he's on the tauntaun. Yeah, he's on the tauntaun. He's on both of them. So that's yeah. both of them. Yeah. He's on MLC three. He is. That's a good shout. And PDT eight. Yeah, another great shout. I know that. I bought they're both recently you know saying I've run out of hand hot things to buy I bought, <laughs> I bought those recently pretty much for that three more and now it's getting how many did you say there were three more in total now you've got six three more Ooh. Um, is he on one of the other mini rigs as well is it the is he on the radar cannon no oh <laughs> the other three I've got down turret and probot oh of course yeah I've got one of those imperial attack base and I've got, I've got that as well yeah and the Hoth ice planet oh no I wouldn't I don't have that's the, is that just kind of release only isn't it that one yeah that was the uh... I don't have one that would have, oh, I'm annoyed not getting the other two I'd have forgiven myself not getting that one right I wanted to talk to you about your die cast because you've got a big love of die cast haven't you I do um and this is again it's it's nostalgia we were on in fact it might have even been the same holiday as um, that photo is from we were on holiday in Spain and it was my brother's birthday and my mum being the ultimate in fairness it couldn't be someone's birthday without other people getting a present as well <laughs> so maybe we used to kick off or something if we didn't get one so uh, but yeah we used to get these unbirthday presents so I just, yeah, just a little thing so on my brother's birthday in Spain I got a die cast TIE Fighter and absolutely loved it and played with it to death and in the end my dad screwed the wings on with floor screws it was a fairly uh, a fairly industrial job but it, it worked and I absolutely loved that TIE Fighter brother of the X-Wing and then I, can't, I think he might have had a snow speeder as well and I had the land speeder but we had a, we had a few in the house the the scale land speeder scale always I found puzzling because it didn't fit with it. it didn't fit with the other die cast and it didn't fit with the bigger toys no. so I, I was never that impressed with that but the others were sort of small enough that it didn't matter you know it didn't matter they didn't work with the figures because they worked with themselves you could have a space battle with those and then land and you, you're playing with your figures again so I, I really love those from that time and the, and the certainly the um, the diecast run started as wanting just to get one of every ship uh, mint on card or mint in its box 
and which I've done bar the, the Thai bomber and I've passed on absolute steals on those in the past thinking oh, I'll get it another day and as time goes by you kind of add £50 a year whatever to that price so uh, but I will I will get one one day light pan half a bit like in four you kind of get to the end you complete what's quite a short run really and where next and because the, the TIE fighter had such a you know strong attraction to me as, as a lad um, I thought I'd focus on getting those and, and not you know I'm not out there scouring sales and, and eBay and uh, online stores or whatever for them if I see one every now and again and might get it or might not so it's quite a slow slow process which which works really because it, you know, it'd be over quite quickly so there are there are a few I've not got. I'm also asked for an Empire Strikes Back one, which which is really nice because it kind of breaks up because all the car backs, car fronts, sorry, are very similar apart from the logos. Um, although the it's a 21 back Kenner one where they change the name from Tie Fighter to Imperial Tie Fighter, so that's a small change there. I am on the lookout for the ESD one. I've seen a few. I've e- I even bought one from a guy in Canada. Um, I'm not going into it too much here, but the, he forgot to post it, and I was a, I was a bit miffed after uh, a couple of months. <laughs> so I uh, asked my way back, which was a, another chore. So um, so it's a shame because that, that chap also had the small wing Darth Vader Tie Fighter on a Tie Fighter card, which is kind of very uh, the, the small wing. Darth Vader TIE Fighter was never sold in shops, only in sort of pre-production form, and the earlier versions of that is actually on a TIE back, and I'd love one of those, and he had one of those for sale as well, which I'd have been quite happy to buy if I hadn't fallen out with him, really, so, so uh, I could have uh, bit my lip and, uh, and bought both off him, but I, I had my principles, so I, uh, I still don't have those, although I, I do now have a, a Darth Vader small wing TIE fighter on a Darth Vader unproduced car back it's a, it's a 20 back and the, and the 21 back was the one that was actually produced so that's what I sold my uh, my first shop to fund so I'm very very pleased with that yes an impressive run there I, I did notice I don't know when you posted this whether it was been recent or whether it was years ago but you did mention on the forum that you was tempted to put together a diecast website is that still something you're thinking of and, and do you know what um, I've just been today I've been re-photoing um, a few of my items with kind of that in mind um, Just pick, I've, I've got this one of these pop-up light tents which is great for um, for big items but it's I use a couple of halogen lamps with it and it's very orange glow and I'm, I'm no artist or photographer so it uh, uh, things tend to have a sort of bit of orange glow on them and I, I saw this great small light tent which came with a couple of little lamps with daylight bulbs in so I, particularly actually my Darth Vader TIE fighters they, they, they look like they've got really yellow bubbles when they don't I've redone them in this little light tent today and they've come out great actually so I do yeah my, my dad does websites so he's, I've chatted to him about the complexities of it and it's something I, I wouldn't want him to do for free but so I'd, I'd like, a, you know, I'd like to try and do it myself, um, but I do appreciate that it's a, it's a skill that people charge a decent amount of money for. I don't expect to, to do that overnight, but it, it's something that's really lacking out there. You know, I was I was looking up special offer diecast ships. There's a, in the Kenner ones. There's some that came with these um, these little posters of essentially of, of scenes of those ships, the, the Y-Wing, the Falcon and the um, Imperial Cruiser. And I was just looking for information on them, just for my own benefit, really, and there's just nothing out there. Um, so it's, it's kind of a really unloved line, I think, Diecast. Everyone always says, oh, that's, you know, that's cool, that's brilliant, I like that. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem to um, get the nostalgia going for as many people. I guess there's not as many people had them when they were younger. Uh, they, they weren't continued into the Return of the Jedi line. A lot of the ships are only Star Wars, are only, I say a lot of the ships, um, a lot of them are only Empire Strikes Back. 
and there's only 11 chips in total so it's um it's yeah there's not a huge amount out there but for me i i i love them mods you know i think they're, they're great they're on they're on cards like the figures um again for for han hoff didn't there was nothing produced in the star wars line so having these tie fighter run with the star wars car back that's that suits my collection well gives it has a little bit more variety so uh, yeah i think they're brilliant yeah so watch this space on the website then yeah yeah indeed i mean <laughs> let's say uh ask for that question in a year's time and i and i would like there to be something up there i think i'll have to uh, be asking other people for um input as well because you know I, I know i know what i know but i'm conscious there's a there's a lot of gaps there so yeah. so there, there's a time limit on it as well then so the first of april next year i'm gonna make a note of this in my Yes. <laughs> well, we'll come back and uh, see where it's at. Right. So, in, in one sentence, what what does Star Wars mean to you? A kind of nostalgia trip, but a kind of legacy that's that's going on even today. You know, my my kids all love Star Wars, and we're we're kind of nearly forty years on from uh, from Star Wars. It's uh, you know, it's it's. It's phenomenal, really. That's what it is. And finally, the question I ask everybody, if everyone was being moved from this planet to another planet, only room for one part of your collection, what piece are you taking? Now, I know you've mentioned five or six pieces which you really are fond of. Yeah, and do you know what? I don't think it would be any of those. I think it would be it would be my 41-back Palatoy Hanhoff, which I bought from memorabilia uh, a few years back. Um, from, um, I think it was from KFC Carl. He's, uh, he's a dealer who's been on the circuit at the farthest from certainly last but one when I was there and it's it was the first buy for me that was because a lot of the a lot of the deals are, are done on eBay and things so this thing is actually handed over hard-earned cash for this figure it's, it's in good condition you know just that that memory of buying it heart going a little bit thinking, am I really spending this, this money on a toy and loving it to this day it's my um, it's my avatar on Star Wars Forum UK that's the that's the picture of that hand and I think yeah, that's that's my favourite piece in the uh, in the collection. Well, Andy, it has been a privilege, mate, to uh, have sat here and uh, chatted to you about it. I know that your collection has so so much more in it as well. We're obviously going for the photos, but obviously time has uh, has won tonight. But brilliant to have you on, pal. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me, Stu. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Talking to the droids around the halls. 
It gets a little lonely in these corridors Just watching the stars go by And they're trying to We've all lined up for you Just let us win We know the force is with us And it's us or them What if we bomb Naboo? Do you want to kill some rebels? That was the Frozen Star Wars parody by Randy Turnbow. Please take the time to check out the amazing video they did for that song, and a big thanks to Randy Turnbow for allowing us to use his song. More songs next month, and if you have any tracks that you've made yourself, or would like us to play any songs that you've come across, please let us know on swfukpodcast at gmail.com. Well, yet again, it's been pretty crazy on the latest acquisition thread this month. It's difficult to know where to begin. There's loads worthy of comments, so I'd just like to give a quick shout-out to... Um, if you look at page 1653, you can check out Gary Smith's Clipper bot bag, which has got a kid with a sort of similar haircut to I had, I think, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, I regret to say. Just checking these out, there's a big variety in the prices of these as well, but what I do know is that Fathers From 8, there will be some Clipper Darth Vader bot bags for sale, so if you want one, better be there. Blimey, how do you know this sort of stuff? I, I know, I know these things. I, I, I follow my pop bags around everywhere. <laughs> um, um, moving on, we've got Darth Sith Lord, old Liam, um, recognised, doesn't normally put up modern stuff there, but he's just recognised the fact that on uh, page 1653, he's got a Rebels Imperial Troop Transport, and he's put it as a comparison to the original Vintage Line Troop Transport. I don't really collect modern ships, but uh, Dark Sith Lord is really Dark Horse Lord. I mean, he's a... He's got a lot of stuff, and he collects a lot of modern stuff as well. We often bump into each other on the uh, the internet highways of modern purchasing every now and again. It's a really interesting, bizarre kind of selection to, to, to put this into Rebels and kind of release a new one and then make it different. So, I mean, I, I have to say, I do prefer the, the vintage one, and the, yeah, the rounder edges on the front rather than the sort of square angle side. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think we, we've covered the, the amount of vintage nods to Kenner Toys within Rebels, and uh, this is kind of the, the, the biggest geeky kind of nod to that line in the Rebel series. Well, long may it continue. I certainly hope so, anyway. We've got Chipstake, then. He's bought himself an... The Atari, um, the old uh, game system flyer, 
Now, recently, Grant, you picked up something yourself, didn't you, with regards to Atari at Farthest From? Yeah, I got the uh, the back glass plate that sits on the back of the chair there. And, uh, you know, he's picked up the flyer for it. And it's great to see a lot of love for the 1983 Atari arcade. Just a quick question to Stu, though. Stu, both me and you have had people crash into our cars this year. This arcade is up for sale for £3,000. Do you think it's that time where you just forget about cars and just buy this arcade instead? It's a lot safer. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm going for it, man. I'm actually thinking, dump the car, get the arcade. Yeah, I don't know whether my wife would be able to get to work without the car, but it's a, it is a good idea. Perhaps she'll have my dinner on the table in time if we do dump the car. <laughs> well, moving on, Savory 100 on page 1654. He's just uh, recently got himself a couple new hand mocks. He's got the Try and Return of the Jedi. He's just lined them up, all lined up together. They look fantastic, so that's definitely worth a look. Um, Betty 100 on page 1655. Stu, you were looking at this. He's got a clipper squid head which um more and more people are putting clippers out at the moment we might have to look into that in the in the future yeah i think um if you go back a few podcasts most people will remember the story of where grant made me buy a clipper squid head within five minutes of being over the belgian border and it's identical to that one yeah lovely now moving on this is something which really not quite sure how to take this lee gray's put himself um on page 1655 vlicks now it's a graded vlicks and um it's not something which has ever really tickled my fancy with regards to the droids and the Ewoks. What about anyone else? Any Anyone else got anything on a Vlick? There, there are two types of Vlicks, aren't there? And, and Lee's bought back a Vlicks that he previously owned, so I think he had regrets selling it. And the one that he's got is the Glass Fleets one. It's a nice item, but, you know, it, it's a butt-ugly action figure. And uh, it's a hell of a lot of money and probably more than what it's actually worth, uh, from my point of view. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I share the thing share the same feeling as you but it's nice to know that you know Lee, Lee had it moved it on regretted it but it's actually been fortunate enough to get it back because I'm sure we've all at one point or another had something sold it on and then just think oh, you know I wish I hadn't done that and um, I've definitely done that a couple of times um, so I, I'm chuffed for Lee that he's actually um, got it back in his possession then moving on just thought it was definitely worthy of no Banton 989 old um, Adam He's got a new drive for Tri-Logos, and he's got an incredibly impressive run, uh, which should really belong in the showcase section, but he's bought so many recently that on page 1656, you can see a really, really impressive run. And talking of impressive runs, Nopi um, took a huge haul at a weekend um, in mid-March at one of the uh, meetups, and if you have a look at that, page 1660, it just starts off with some leaflets and then suddenly having you think, oh, right, yeah, not too bad, look at the first photograph. And then it's just photograph on photograph of this guy must have just gone home with a huge um, boot full of stuff um, straight after that meetup. So that was really, really cool. One of the other things which I saw old sub-level puts on the Palatoy 1978 trade catalogue on page 1659, which is definitely something which I'd be keen to get myself trade catalogue with loads of pre-production bits and pieces in grant would you happen to have one of these because i know that you you know you've gone for this sort of stuff in the past i was thinking about this earlier actually jez i'm a star wars fan i'm not a toy fan and i this kind of stuff doesn't interest me i'm much more directed straight towards i would prefer to pick up you know like a star wars frisbee than something like a toy trade catalogue so not for me but you know seems to be really popular with collectors yeah, well, you know, I've, I've got the programs and there's something the other. They don't take up a great deal of space. I think it's just something a little bit different. But yeah, to- oh, fair enough. I totally get your point. One thing definitely worthy of note, Max F bought himself a Beta Hand Tri Logo for £16 as a buy it now. So there we go. For everyone who's just thinking prices have gone crazy and everything's skyrocketed, 
Yeah, it's a beta, but I'm sure if you whack it in one of your GW acrylic cases or or, or anything else like that, um, but a GW acrylic one, of course, um, if you whack it in one of those cases, it will just look absolutely mint. So for 16 quid, boy, done well. And then finally, old Son of Django on page 1661, it's got himself the action display stand, which I looked at that and I thought, right, yeah, maybe I need one of those in my life. But unfortunately, I, I asked him what the dimensions were, and it is slightly too long to go in my cabinet. You don't scare me, Darth Vader, because I have the strength of the Force. You cannot hide. I'm a Jedi Knight, and the Force is the strongest power in the universe. With Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. Figures, vehicles, and playsets, each sold separately, only from Kenner. Right, well, that's, that's the quick shout-outs. Obviously, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on, on a few of the other items. Um, but as I said, I was slightly concerned with what happened last month when I uh, ended up buying myself some programs. I've also committed to buying myself a Droid Factory R2 as well, so maybe, uh, maybe I'm going to be in a pickle after this one. So anyway, this month's latest acquisition thread, I've inadvertently or unintentionally created a bit of an international theme. So the first one I'm going to go with is Spoons on page 1662. It's just shown off his Takara wind-up R2. Now, Takara had a bit of a thing for R2. When you look at it, they had the rocket-firing R2-D2, the 6-inch bump-and-go sonic-controlled R2, a die-cast R2 with slide viewer, which also had a rocket-firing hatch, a die-cast R2-D2 coin holder. There was the plush R2, but that was slightly later. And an 8-inch tall disc-firing R2. And a wooden model kit. And even the Takara R2 yo-yo. So the Japanese seem to have a love affair of R2-D2, and particularly weaponized ones at that. But for me, we're just right now focusing about this little small chap who had a wind-up device which activated his additional legs to propel him forward. And there's a fair amount of detail on this little chap, who appears, not that I've had one in hand, but he appears slightly smaller than his Palatoy or Kenner counterpart. A couple of stickers, one on the front and one on the back, which are often missing uh, on the ones which come up for sale. Now, first off, any of you guys have one of these? No, but I really would love to have one. Yeah, I think it's just nope. a sticker on it. It's that racetrack that's kind of 3D'd itself around. It's just awesome. And, any, of course, anything wind-up in the walks is, is just an immense toy. I think all toys should walk. As I said, it's got the primary stickers on front and back. Traditional legs look like arms, and its little motorised legs underneath look like he's been hoplinged by that Cathy woman out of the film Misery. And it is a really, really interesting, cool-looking figure. So, again, unfortunately, the more I look at this, the more I think, yeah, you're probably going to end up with one of those in your cabinet as well. The history of them, then, yeah, obviously in 1978, Kara started making a bunch of knockoff Star Wars merchandise, including this little fella, and they were available in baggies. So you've said that no one here has got one. Um, people are interested in getting one. On SWCA, Robert Godwin's got a photograph, a cracking photograph, of the uh, Takara walking R2 shop display, um, which is just full of, of baggies, and, uh, and it looks really, really awesome. Now, talking about shop displays, I know that we've had quite a few shop displays seen and, and licked it, uh, listed, licked it. <laughs> Licking shop displays. Licking shop, yeah. We've had um, quite a few shop displays have been listed 
on Vectis. And uh, unfortunately, going back to yourself again, Grant, who seems to be um, someone who gets himself a lot of shot displays. Have you, uh, have you seen this one in particular, or don't say you've got it back? Yeah, I've seen it for sale. What was interesting, uh, what I found interesting, is the fact that these came in baggies in the shop display. I wasn't sure about that, whether they were whether they were baggies or just you know the single figure on its own. But but you're saying that they come in baggies. They initially came in baggies. Yeah, that's correct. Now, from a legend point of view, and I've I've looked at this on on various different sources. You know, people are saying that George Lucas himself um, saw these. And loved them, and this may well have been the sort of the clincher, the deciding thing um, to start the official Takara relationship, and uh, and so he got involved, and then said, right, we we want to get this. I really really like this figure, and let's see if we can get on with Kenner. Yeah, do you know what? That strikes a chord there, Jez. I think that's mentioned in Sansweet's From Screen to Collectibles book. Well, it has been seen. You know, you you just do research on these things and everyone seems to say it but it's it's all this sort of i'm not saying uh, fortune and glory you know folklore that sort of stuff but people are saying that you know they think this happens so maybe you know you get the opportunity in anaheim and um chatting to mr sansweet in rancho obi-wan it might be something which you know you just might want to ask or just yeah. obviously flick through the book yep but you know so so they were saying that he actually said to kenner can you do this and uh, the understanding is kenner just said nope we're not interested. However, Kenner Canada did, and uh, and that's where you can see some very very rare you'll find on, on a card. Now, if we think about cost, then, and, and we'll go through this, and then we'll look at again what spoons um, ended up paying. Loose with missing uh, stickers, I'm talking about one hundred and fifty dollars, hundred pounds. Buy it now. You know, grubby-ish, white-looking ones, still classes working, but without the stickers. So with the stickers, then. Not a huge difference here, actually. Uh, loose with stickers, buy it now. Um, someone's listed it as a reduced price, 143 So, you know, when you consider that how common these are, and then you weigh it up against maybe pop-up Sabre R2, yeah, I don't know, is that a good deal or is it not? So when it gets onto the baggy, that it gets a little bit more interesting. What do you expect for the price of a wonderful baggy? Um, I would say about 250 um, oh, I think a bit, a bit less. I reckon about one fifty. Having it going the other way, um, I'm going to say it's going to be close at four hundred. I reckon about five hundred pound. Well, we got five hundred dollars, which is three hundred thirty-six. Is a baggy a, a buy it now? So let's face it, you know, buy it now is obviously don't always um, get what they're after, and that sometimes they just stay listed for ages. There has been seen graded example um, AFA eighty-five. If it floats your boat for three hundred and seventy pounds, um, so yeah, they do, they do uh, tend to go up quite a bit. But if I had one, I'd want to see it go. I'd I'd want to see it. You know, this isn't. I, I I get the appeal of some baggies. You know, certainly the ones which you sent off for the mailers. But this, I wouldn't want it in a baggie. I I'd, I'd want it. I want to wind it up and I want to see it move. So as I said, these Kenner, the Kenner Canada ones. The carded ones, I've seen one on eBay, and when I looked at it, I think it was 2000 and, oh goodness knows, it was, it was a couple of years back, and it was listed for $7,500. Whoa! Yeah, now, it sold as a best offer. Now, I do believe that the one which I, I've seen online, I think it was um, SWCA and Rebel Scum, I do believe this is the same one, and it sold for 
$5,500. I'm pretty sure now. Was he happy to be corrected? Outstanding prices. Um, I want to go back to, to the loose item when you said you'd like to see it out of the bag and working. Would you not be scared, though, that just say you wound it up and it stopped and then you put it on your shelf in your IKEA cabinet and you left it there. <laughs> and then in the, in, in the middle of the night, it sort of like got a little bit of a kickstart and it walked forward and smashed a, a load of your other collections to pieces. You know, I'm, I'm thinking a bit like, you know, you know, that horror movie with those little monkeys that bash the symbols together. And every time you turned, they kept bashing the symbols together. Uh, Stephen King story, I think. Would, would, would you not have the little bit of fear factor in you? Almost like the Takara Awakens. I see what you did there, Rich, yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, these things are, are really, really cool. I think they look awesome. The Canadian version is just something which, you know, you're just not going to see. Would trade hands, maybe in some back room, maybe in, in Canada, but you, you just wouldn't see it. Now, Spoons, I know, he said his is missing one of the blue bar stickers on it, but still, um, I'm not going to I'm not gonna embarrass him and say how much he spent. When you look at some of the prices on eBay at the moment, Spoons, buddy... You got a good deal. Okay, guys, the second one which I'm going to go for is Clark's Pie and Chips put up a tri-logo ATAT driver on page 1660. Now, yeah, I'm not just going to talk about the fact that this is a tri-logo ATAT driver and the obvious distinction between standard um, mock ATAT driver and a tri-logo something which I didn't notice until you know, probably about 18 months ago. So I'm going to put it to you guys now as a, as a quick pop quiz. And I'll go for our loose collector, first of all, Rich. What's the difference between Trilogo Attack Driver and a, and a regular mock Attack Driver? Do you know? The logo. Apart from the obvious logo, yeah, good one. Anything else with regards to the, uh, the actual card, the picture? The picture. Um... I think I know this. Oh, go on then, Stu. It is the thing on his chest missing in the photo? The yeah. um, like the last support box thing, whatever it's called. Yeah, on, on the old sort of um, aircrew equipment assembly or whatever you would call it, as part of his of his uniform. Yeah, the box with the, the lights on. Um, yeah, on the on the tri logo version, that's not there. So it looks like he's got quite a bare chest on the tri logo. That, that's not the reason I'm bringing this out because that is a, a standard one. Um, the main reason I wanted to talk about this particular one is because I really liked the way this thread went. Because on page 1660, he puts it on, and everyone's like, yeah, you know, great. You know, it's looking really cool, nice price. He was happy with it. The following day, Christian, who's the um, entrepreneur and owner of GW Acrylics, commented, and, and pretty much I'll quote, he says, the bubble is a tri-logo late-issue miscard type. And it just so happens that it turns up on some mocks correctly packaged. Vader is another one that springs to mind. Um, if it's not cracked, it's a miracle and a great find. So here's Christian just coming out of the blue, just putting in there this bit of information about, hey, you know, you've got this, it's really nice, and actually it's quite rare because it's got this type of bubble, which everyone else was, you know, wow, okay, didn't know that. Joe then comes on, confirms it, pointing a link to his forum, Trilogo Info. Um, the actual forum element of it. Now, first of all, before I go on any more, any of you guys heard of this miscard bubble before? And and what do you know about it? Uh, no, I haven't. I just have to say that that Christian, he certainly knows a lot about bubbles, doesn't he? I mean, that guy could literally come over and check out my bubbles anytime. He he thinks about them so much. He even found a way of protecting bubbles. That guy loves bubbles, not the monkey. <laughs> okay. Um, anyone else? Any, anyone know about 
these miscarded bubbles because I certainly didn't and I, as you say Christian is it's just nice to know that he's in the background just watching keeping an eye on your bubbles <laughs> so mo- moving on so Joe confirms this and it, and it goes on to his forum where he actually details the, this miscard and, and you might say to yourself what's a miscard because I then thought I'm going to look at this I'm going I'm to check out this and see actually if my tri logos are, are any of these rare miscard ones and um and no, unfortunately, I haven't. The the regular trilogo bubbles have all got sort of they're all squared um, when they're attached. You know, they've got ninety degree edges pretty much on the bubbles. Now these these miscard bubbles are generally smaller but rounded around the side and a little bit thinner. They're quite fragile, and uh, they're often yellowed. Now everyone knows that the trilogo ones, whilst they often crush because they're big, they generally don't yellow. Some are starting to. But it, with a very, very keen eye, you can see this fact that it, it's rounded. So, yep, Christian came on, confirmed that. Joe came on. Then as you went down the forum, someone comes on, asks the question, excuse my ignorance, what is a Trilogo miscard bubble? And then Sean K comes on and directs him again to another link where it completely breaks it down and explains it. Now, you know, Joe lists all these different things, but I just wanted to point out the fact that whilst this initially just looked like a a regular card Um, it just demonstrates how our forum works and how the whole community works now recently we've had some you know bad stuff here or some weird stuff happening here and some people concerned about money here and and a little bit of negativity whilst we're looking towards celebration i thought actually then you know we can we can celebrate and actually enjoy the fact that this is great because the community just keeps an eye on each other and, and celebrates in people's success and, and points out when they found something, which which is great, which they didn't realise. So so good on Clark's Pine Chips for finding himself a nice Trilogo Attack driver. Excellent for him for discovering that it's a rare one. And thanks very much to the likes of Christian, Joe and Sean for just passing on their information. I need to go and check out my bubbles. <laughs> go and do that. Go, All of you, go and do that. Go and check out your Trilogos and see if you've got something rare. What I wanted to do is just list the ones which uh, very briefly if i may just list the ones which are on joe's um website where he has identified that they've got these miscarded bubbles because the thing is with our listeners out there and their vast collections in in some cases it we might just find out that actually someone's got a different one hasn't been um, ratified hasn't been put on the system and it'll be great if, if you do identify one that um you can inform joe and he can add that so that's obviously Trilogo Joe, and he's recognised so far that with regards to the miscarded bubbles, there's the A-Wing, Stormtrooper, Luke Poncho, and General Maydean, in fact, has been found with a miscarded bubble. And the Attack Driver, Darth Vader, Yak Face as well, Leah Bush, uh, Rebel Commander, Leah Poncho, Tuscan Raider, Wicket, Leah Hoth, Weakway, Zuckus, R5-D4, ATST Driver, and C-3PO. They're the ones which have been uh, seen. Well, why don't you see if you've got one which wasn't on that list? And finally, completing my unintentional international latest acquisitions piece, some might say, if you go to Italy, it's the country of love. The people, the fashion, the romance, the language. Well, who couldn't love a harbour monk? Our very own Ian Sanderson has bought himself a D3BO. 
or what we know as C-3PO, on page 1659. Now you look at this, and it's an absolute beaut. First of all, what are your thoughts on this piece? And does anyone have a Harbour mock? I think uh, you should answer that question, Jez, because you've got a Harbour mock, haven't you? <laughs> Don't think any of the rest of us have. Have you guys? <laughs> I would love to have a Leia Harbour mock, but it's just the artwork and the titles I just love. I love that mad European kind of crazy yeah. typeface that they've used. It, it, it's just unbelievably stunning. I would look at this. And um, I didn't want to be the one to say, woo, look at me, look what I've got. No, not at all. <laughs> Grant, I thought you may have one, but I've, um, I've got this C1P8, uh, the R2-D2, which has got, obviously, the same, same graphics, same R706, the same car back on the back. And it's just the way it's all there. It just looks fantastic. Now, you know, when, when we look at things, when we look at things such as these um, Harbour figures, and then you compare it to the cost we were talking earlier on about the Trilogo Medine and everything else and all, the, all these um, crazy figures going for crazy money. Harberts, yeah, they're, they're not as expensive as people think. You, you, you can't just come on and talk about DB3O, Jez. Come on, impress us. Why is it DB3O and not C3VO? Yeah, okay. Hang on a minute, it's actually D3BO, Rich, you said DB. No, you said DB3O. D3, I've typed it wrong, haven't I? It's, come on, why, why D3BO and not C3BO? You know, when we, when we look at some of the other figures, bearing in mind they've done the first 20, and I'll, I'll concentrate on those initially, there are some slightly odd translations. You know, we're going to go through these in a minute. Um, however, the, these do generally translate straight across you know, we're from Italian. However, C1P8, there's no reason whatsoever why that should be R2-D2. And the same as D3BO, why on earth is that C3PO? So unless that was just um, someone maybe had had a little bit too much um, drink in the afternoon on the continent or, or who knows what, just lost in translation somewhere, but there's just no rhyme nor reason why that should have um, done what it's done. Yeah, Jez, I don't think um, it's as random as what your pops might be suggesting because, you know, the French uh, version of C3PO is Z6PO? Yeah. Well, the reason for that is is because CISPO works better than TWAPO. So that's why that one was changed to um, Z6PO because it works better in the, in, the, in the translation in their films. So I'm going to assume that the same will happen in Italian as well. I'm not sure what the Italian for three is. But I'm, I'm assuming that the way that the consonants sound, it works better than, than seeing the actual letters of C and P. The D and the B must work better on the translation. Oh, mate, great shout. Now, you know, I, I've, I've looked a fair amount into this, and, and no one's come up with that whatsoever. So, um, yeah, mate, fairly credible, completely credible, and, uh, yeah, nice one. Thanks very much. Well, Italian for three is the tre, isn't it? So, trebio. Trebio. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound good, does it? I'm going to go with you. I think Richard's probably got it right now. Okay, so, here we go then, for an easy one for you. Jan Solo. Han Solo. <laughs> there we go, lads. So we're going to start off nice and easy. Right then, Sabipode. Some people. Yeah, Sabipode, right, okay. And then what else am I going to go for? Comandante Squadra. Della Morte. 
Death Squad. Death Star- Squad, yes. Yes, get in there. And then some of the other changes. We've got Principessa Lilia. Lilia, I would imagine. Yeah, but it's got an extra L in it. L-E-I-L-A. <laughs> and Lord Darth Fenner. An Ewok. <laughs> Squidhead. So there we go. Yeah, so there are, there are others as well. We've got the Capo Jawa and uh, Luke Skywalker Pelota a la X. Um, the particularly rare Luke X-Wing. So um, I, I just love some of the translations, but again, looking at Ian's card, that C-1-3, uh, sorry, C-1-3 is confusing me now. Even <laughs> that... Um, <laughs> what a dick. Um, e- even that um, C-3-P-O and D-3-B-O is, um, is just a, a, a cracking-looking card, which you can see that Ian is delighted with and um, everyone else. Now, I now publicly have to say thank you very much to Grant, I believe, because I was very close to selling my um, R2, my C1P8, um, uh, when we went to Essen, just so I could raise some more funds, and uh, Grant talked me out of it. So thanks very much, Grant. I'm, I'm glad I didn't sell him, and uh, he's still in my collection. It's just because I didn't have any money on me at the time, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well... We go on, so so that's the uh, the twenty backs, and they are regularly available for sale, or s- certainly some of them are. You'll find that the Darth Vader equivalent, and I'll stick with the uh, with the English language translations. I'm not going to try and um, change everything around, but the Darth Vader ones, yep, you know you you can pick these up. Two hundred and fifty four pounds. One recently went for wow. Fourteenth um, of Feb, one went for three hundred ninety five. And on the 1st of Feb, 520. So you can see, there we go, completely different uh, fluctuations in prices. The 254 one, I think, was in 2013. So this year, uh, doubled in price, £500. Um, and then you've got AFA 81s sold in June for $471. So again, not a great deal. One recently went unsold on eBay for £750. When you look at it, though, and as I said again, we've all said that these look like beautiful cards, which I don't think are going to be massively common. It's not a huge amount of, uh, not a huge cost in comparison to some of the other things we've been seeing recently. Um, I saw a thread on RS saying um, it was back in 2009. I, I found a thread dating back to 2009 that it, it showed a full set of 20 backs had been listed on eBay but ended early. Now, um, those 20 backs are out there, and for me, I'd much prefer to have a Luke X-Wing Harbour over a Trimadine any day. Now, they're the 20 backs. I'm not even going to go on to the Empire Strike back Yoda and Boba Fett, possibly the rarest production figure, carded mock there is. We'll leave that for another day. This month's community question is on bootleg items. What I'm interested to find out is how many vintage bootleg R2-D2s with three legs were available in the early 80s? Okay, so how many were available? Which countries did they come from? So if anybody knows the answer to that, could you please email us at swfukpodcast at gmail.com or post that on our Facebook group.
Welcome to this month's event section. First up, we are honored to have Sky Payne and Steve Danley from the original Vintage Star Wars podcast, the Kivecast Vintage Pod, who are going to give us an insight into all things vintage at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. Okay, guys, I'm here with Sky and Steve from the Star Wars Collector's Archive. Uh, if you're listening to this, no doubt you know Sky and Steve from the original first ever dedicated vintage Star Wars podcast, the Kivecast Vintage Pod. Uh, <laughs> these guys have all have just released their 59th show, as well as updating... <laughs> yeah, number f- is, um, am I right with number 59? Yeah, it, it's 59. It's our fifth anniversary, but our 59th episode, which means that we missed one somewhere. <laughs> wow. Any ideas what that, that one is? Uh, it's somewhere probably in the summer of 2013. Uh, that was a pretty rough summer, and I, I don't know, it just kind of went away. But at Celebration, we're probably going to record at least two episodes, right, Steve? Yeah, I think I think the plan's to do two, so we'll we'll make it up. <laughs> Excellent. And and you guys also uh, do articles as well for the Star Wars Collectors Archive about vintage Star Wars collecting. Well, Steve does. I. I consider all of my input and output for collecting to just be the podcast, where Steve has been writing some pretty cool articles. All right, okay. Well, I, I, I thought the best thing to do was to bring you guys on, because I noticed that Steve was in, at least in charge of the tickets for the archive party for Celebration Anaheim. So, uh, Steve, if I could just start off with you. Um, yeah. Could you give us a bit of a background on the, uh, the archive party? Well, it all started at Celebration 6, and it was really... Sky's idea to do a party that was kind of for the podcast, but also for the archive. We weren't really sure what it was, <laughs> and it turned out to be, it ended up being a charity event that uh, that was actually really successful given how little <laughs> we were really prepared for it. I think we had about 150 people come to the first party, and we, uh, we had some great <laughs> manatee-related uh, <laughs> joke items that were handed out for people, and for this one, it was just, I, I started thinking about it, you know, about a year ago, and trying to figure out what to do, and we were bouncing ideas around, and uh, we decided we wanted to do something related to uh, dogs and cats, so we, we went for a, a rescue society that, that's out here, well, they're actually nationwide, but they, I found them out here in LA, and um, yeah, it's, it's been kind of a year in the works, little bit by little bit, um, but it's going to be bigger than the first party. Um, wow. I think it's going to be about 275 people. Uh, yeah, I, I'm worried. I, 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 I trust me. I've been like losing sleep over it ever since <laughs> we first started. But and I'm really looking forward to it being over. <laughs> Amazing. But uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be great. Um, and I, this guy has a lot of good ideas for for activities. I think he, he's probably the best one to talk about those. Okay, Sky. Is it is it sort of structured then, or is it just like a sort of like a anarchy party? Or yeah, well, sort sort of to kind of go back to sort of the origins of it. It was like so. I mean, first of all, like Steve is doing the vast majority of the work on this party. I'm kind of the same thing happened with the vintage club in California, where I sort of had this idea, and then I was smart enough to give all the responsibility to Steve, and then Steve just does all the work. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of what happened with this party. But the original idea was that there were there's always like one night where people were sort of hanging around and didn't really have that much to do. You know, there's always be one night of room sales or a couple nights of room sales and things kind of here on there. So it seemed like there was space. And then it was also just like I knew that other podcasts did parties so we could have a party. But then it got complicated because we're not our own podcast. We're part of the the archive, so it became the archive party, 
And then it sort of had this added authority that we always get to throw into our podcast because we say that, you know, because we're affiliated with the archive. So it just kind of like spiraled uh, into this thing. And then the whole idea behind that, the activities is that they're like kind of structured, but not super structured. So like last time we had the C-3PO's eating competition, which was <laughs> yeah. more or less the, the, the centerpiece. Yeah, that, that was the prime prime event, I think. <laughs> but even with that, there were still people off in the corner who weren't paying attention and just talking. Um, yeah. the, the main idea, and we welcome anybody's input on this, right, Steve? Yeah, totally. The, the main idea is to play with vintage toys. Like, <laughs> So um, I, I bought a set of Canadian uh, coloring books. I actually bought three sets of them a couple years ago. And, you know, they're pretty... You know, they cost about 20 bucks a piece now. You know, they're, they're fairly rare oddball items. You'd, you'd like them, Grant. And they have really weird art on the inside that wasn't used anywhere else. And I, I thought, I looked at them and I'm like, this book cost $20 and I could sell it for $20, but it would be worth more if it was colored in by collectors at the party. It would, like, wow. it would actually bring meaning to me. Like, I would get play value out of it that exceeded the value that was lost by it being in near mint condition. Yeah. Um, so that's what we try to do. We're, we're trying to come up with ideas like uh, remote controlled uh, vintage uh, races. Um, <laughs> we're definitely going to have a vintage costume contest. So you can interpret that however you want. You can dress yeah, up as a vintage uh... figure. Um, <laughs> you can buy old underoos and wear them. Um, you can, you know, whatever you think that might mean. I think that would be really fun. Um, I, yeah, I heard on your podcast that you were saying about having a C-3PO poncho, and the only thing I've got to bring is a C-3PO poncho. So we, we might, we might <laughs> clash fine. a little, Sky. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, so Steve has the C-3PO poncho. Oh. I have the Darth Vader poncho. So, Steve, Steve, does your C-3PO poncho have one hand or two hands standing up? <laughs> That's a good question. I'll have to, I'll have to look. <laughs> Mine, I, haven't, I haven't looked at it in a while. <laughs> Mine's got two. Um, okay. Yeah, it, he's definitely celebrating like he's from uh, San Francisco. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Is there any C-3PO's tweet this time? Because I felt, you know, gutted that I actually didn't take part in that. I really felt like I missed <laughs> out. You know, Steve, we haven't really decided that yet, have we? I think we've sort of thought that's kind of an old trick and maybe we shouldn't do it and we got away with it without getting sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, someone had mentioned doing like a Pepperidge Farm cookie Contest, which I, I don't know if that scares me more or less than the three POs, <laughs> but uh, having survived the three POs, I, I don't think I'll be doing anything like that again. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I'm sure I'm sure that that Gus has some some extra three POs that he might he might be willing to bring. I, I definitely stay away from the vintage yoga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, what is it called over in England? The Dairy Lee? Is that? Is oh, that the Dairy the... Cheese Slices. That's yeah, probably not go. a good idea. Definitely not a good idea. If you can find any of those, that well, would be. A... <laughs> um, will there be any kind of like vintage to trade and sell at the Kai party, or is that more for the room sales? That'll probably be more for the room sales. Um, actually, definitely it will be. So I mean, I yeah. think that there's a good chance that there will be vintage items to win, so to speak. In right. And, and, you know, we've, the steering committee is still working on things. And by that, I mean, we're sending emails like every other month, so we better start doing it now. But, um, you know, like we had a pinata last time that was filled with vintage figures. Wow. Um, and, you know, I put a short mouth biker scout, which, 
I'm sure a lot of people were excited about. I, I don't. I was like, I don't know. Is this a good one? <laughs> so I just threw it in there, and I think someone threw in some other kind of cool variants. But in general, it was just an excuse to have a pinata. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, I would say that if you're looking to buy and sell, uh, you're not going to be missing much if you miss the party. But if you're looking to like have the sense of you know who is the vintage community and and how are they together and how do they talk and how do you meet people? I think it's safe to say that's the best place to do it. We're not yeah. at, at there, right, Steve? I'd say so, yeah. It was I mean, it's funny, it kind of started off a little slow last time, but before we knew it, the room was full and you couldn't you had a microphone and you couldn't get your voice out because there was so much conversation going on. So I think I think that was like a really great great sign that people, you know, new and old were were all gonna getting together and meeting each other and, and having a good time. Yeah, I had all these ideas, like, everyone's going to want to listen to me. And it, <laughs> I, I had, like, all the songs that we use on the show, you know, because we use a fairly eclectic amount of songs on the show, and I had them all set up for, like, a mix to, like, have for the party. I had to turn the music off because no one cared about it. I had all these speeches. I had to shelve them because no one cared about it. Everyone was just <laughs> hanging out and talking. Um, it will be a good place, I think, to trade the giveaways and, and swag yeah. and stuff. Right, yeah. so, right. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people bring in their um, their kind of fan-made buttons and stickers and pins, all that kind of stuff. That's that's going to be a good place to find that. Okay, and you, and you actually have some free gifts this time, um, depending on what kind of ticket you bought. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. So we kind of followed up from last time where we, we had kind of parody card backs uh, in the theme of the party, and, and depending on which ticket package uh, you got this time, you get a, there's a few different characters we've we come up with, and then there's a pin that, that we that's in the works right now. <laughs> we still have we, we have the design, but it hasn't been shown yet. Um, there's a couple other things too, but uh, yeah, it's it's fun. Like it's crazy how much effort goes into creating those things. Yeah, right. Takes, I mean, we've got a, a team of like 12 people that work on those. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but and 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 also uh, it and the coin as well, Steve. The right? coin, the coin. Yeah, right. the coin is is you know designed by Matthias and being produced by Tim Eckholt, uh, who made the first coin, and that takes a whole uh, you know a lot of work yeah. and, and time as well. So we're really excited about it. Um, I can't wait to to get the stuff in hand. Uh, that was the other thing I, I was hoping to get it all here before because last time literally we we showed up with like a suitcase full of card backs. It looked like. You know, stacks of drugs or something, <laughs> yeah. putting, putting the packets together the night before. So I'm, I'm hoping to avoid that this time. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so that yeah, that's the idea is that we, we tiered all of the tickets so that if you wanted to get all the stuff, you had to give more money to charity. And because everything goes to the charity, we felt like we could be as, you know, like, well, okay, fine. You can get in for this much, but if you want all the stuff, you have to pay more. And then at the end of last celebration... Um, I just took scissors and cut all the excess card backs in half and threw them in the trash. And uh, I think partly because of that, you know, they actually do go for, I've seen them go for 20 bucks on eBay. So wow. it, it seems as though it's possible to go to the archive party and make your money back, as strange as that sounds. <laughs> Before we move on, I've got three important questions now for the uh, archive party. And that is, where is it? When is it? And do you have a bar? Okay. Um, so it's at the uh, Anaheim Hilton Pacific Ballroom A, I believe. That's that's what they've told me, uh, and it's at seven o'clock. And there will be two cash bars, so there there will be 
There'll be drink, and there'll also be lots more food. That was <laughs> that was the joke from last time. I think we ran out of food in the first five minutes. So, wow. yeah, but they had the option of having C three PO's though too. Couldn't complain that yeah, much. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's what I had for dinner that night. It was C three PO's and beer, and I was fine. So, yeah. So, so we'd say, you know, if you show up, definitely bring lots of cash. Um, yeah. Because you're going to want to buy drinks, and then you're going to want to. You know, in order to do the events, you have to buy tickets or whatever. And again, right. all the all the money goes to the charity, and it goes to cats and dogs this time, and not manatee. Which I don't know if people relate to manatee quite as much as they relate to, to kitties and puppies. I just want to move on to uh, the next part, which is the room sales. If that's okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> the, the room sales in America, I think, because you guys have so much more access to you know a lot of the product that came out came out mostly in the states. So, what kind of things would we expect from the room sales? Well, that's really complicated because it's it's really changed so much. Right. I think because um, it, it used to. So I think every year nobody knows how it's going to go because it it has to be unofficial. You can't say because there is going to be an actual swap at that's right. one of the, right. the the collector events. So there is going to be a place where you can go and that'll have just as many people selling you know Star Wars modern stuff or Star Wars chess sets or whatever, plush uh, Padme's. Um, <laughs> actually, that sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> that, you know, that you could want. So, like, that's the official swap. But then the because the, the room sales, they're just kind of like, you never know exactly how it's going to work out. So at Celebration 3, it was in people's rooms. Um, so that's where the term room sale came from. But that, Steve, right, was right. the last actual room sale, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember being there when they kind of, I mean, I was there for that, and then it was Celebration 4 when it officially got shut down, right? That was when it became the, the cantina sales. So we were right. all kind of, it was it was getting to be pretty chaotic up in the, the hotel rooms, and uh, they said, uh, this, this isn't going to work, guys. And so I forgot who it was that, that went downstairs and asked, because the bar was under construction. Like, well, can we can we use this space to, to hang out? <laughs> and that became the, the cantina sales uh, back in... 2007? Yeah, yes. Yeah that, was in, yeah, that was in L.A., and then that was really where we started, I think, to get the idea that instead of trying to have it in rooms, try to find an unused location in a hotel and use that there. And so then at Celebration 5, it was in some weird big room. That wasn't too pleasant, actually. That, that, I, didn't, I didn't really like that. Uh, actually, no, it was okay, because it was in the hallway, and then it was in the room. Yeah, the yeah. Same for was... Celebration 6, is that right? Yeah, I think the same so. Two, I think... Yeah, they were basically hallway sales for five and six. Yeah, um, it was like a, a mercado almost. Like people were <laughs> because it was this long, you know, big hallway. People almost had like stalls set up. So it was it was definitely a different feel than than popping your head into a really crowded hotel room. But it, I so mean, the stuff, yeah. the stuff, you know, it's the same kinds of stuff though. You never really know what what turns out. Right, um, and so so to actually answer your question that you asked, I was trying to say <laughs> that first of all, you never know, like. A lot of people, when they first come to Celebration, and I imagine you're going to have a lot of first-timers listening to your show, a lot of people don't – there's no conspiracy behind room sales about keeping them from people who don't know where they are. You don't usually know where they are. You'll find you know, Gus himself walking around being like, uh, is there toys to buy here? Because sometimes people will have stuff in their rooms too before they go downstairs, and so you kind of have to be poking around, but then you don't want to be too pushy. Um, but then as far as what you actually see, it really depends 
on what people bring. And usually there's at least, you know, kind of like, I guess, the Rocket Fet uh, that you were describing. There's usually a couple like, oh, my God, I can't believe someone brought that right. kind of items. And then there's sometimes just a surprise. So there was a, a collector um, who kind of has an interesting reputation called Steve York. Yeah, he was even younger than Steve, which is somehow possible. And I don't he was, think he's younger than me. I think no. we're about the same age, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and he was actually an archive editor. I mean, he was really high up, and he wouldn't ship stuff very timely, and he wound up kind of getting out of the hobby. And so at Celebration 4, he brought like virtually all of his stuff. And that's the kind of thing you just can't predict. Right. So we're, we're talking, he had like, he had a Death Squad Commander run that included, I think, almost all of the proofs, right, Steve? I think, it, yeah, it was the proofs. It was the, I remember seeing the coin stuff, too. I mean, he had a bunch yeah, of... Yeah, like the soft copies, hard copies of the coins. <clears throat> he um, had the uh, the tri-logos. I remember he having a lot of tri-logos that people were, were going crazy for. Yeah, yeah and, was, and stuff like that you just you just can't predict, and, and it was amazing. And then Todd Chamberlain decided to sell a whole bunch of carded figures that were beaters, and that was just awesome because it was just like this kind of frenzy. And, uh, yeah, so I guess I'll say the lamest thing that's ever been said on your podcast and say you have to expect <laughs> the unexpected, Grant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no worries, man. No, that's awesome. Uh, so there is, no, there is no plans or anything like that. It's going to be sort of like a word of mouth and, and yeah, keep an eye yeah. out sort of thing. Right, yeah. and then usually somebody in the unofficial inner circle, you know, which would just mean like the people who tend to do all the work of organizing, you know, you sort of try and find them and ask them, be like, uh, so are people setting up today or tomorrow? And then usually the answer is like, oh, I don't know, we'll see. And then, because usually the people who bring, I don't know, like usually there's like people who bring a lot of stuff and you usually try to find them. Because, like, I mean, Steve, are you bringing anything? I, I don't think I really have much to bring. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll bring that uh, that Obi-Wan, that modern Obi-Wan prototype that I've, yeah. I've had forever. <laughs> it's like the my one item left. <laughs> but no. that is what I would say, actually, Steve, and we should say this on our show, too. I think yeah. everybody out there, bring a couple things. You know, yeah. bring bring three or four things, even if you don't think it really matters. Even if it's just like a, you know, uh a helix uh, pencil sharpener. If you have like an extra helix pencil sharpener, you know, bring it. Try to sell it. You know, who knows? It could be like kind of a a, a fun a fun. I always bring like three or four things, and I usually sell two of them. But it's just kind of a, a fun a fun thing to set up. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, in Star Wars Celebration Europe, it was sort of we were in the lobby of the hotel where the actors were staying and then all of a sudden people were dragging tables around and sticking imperial shuttles on them and we realized that <laughs> we were already standing in the party before it even started so that yeah. hopefully something like that will happen again in terms of the actual star wars celebration itself you guys um obviously like i said before in in the states i mean you guys had so much more when it came to you know whether it's oddball or action figures 12 inch dolls die cast i mean the states had basically almost everything is that noticeable? Because in Star Wars Celebration Europe, or even conventions just in the UK, it's very difficult to come across like large uh, selections of vintage. You might find one dealer selling it, or one or two at the most. Is that different in the uh, American celebrations? I, I'd say no. I, I would say immediately lower your expectations for finding vintage. Really? <laughs> um, I would say. I mean, I don't know, Steve. Is that is that too is that too much uh, to say? I mean, it depends. I'd, I'd say I'm trying to remember more recently. I mean, cause I 
I'd say there's more variety, but I wouldn't. It depends on 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 the show floor, really. And there's a couple people that I think have have kind of come and gone as far as big time vintage sellers. And then I mean, people like Todd. Like I, at one point, I remember hearing that he maybe wasn't going to set up, but now I think he is. So it's like it depends on who's coming and and who's actually selling at a booth. I mean, there's there's certain like the toy cave. I always find something great uh, at Andy's uh, booth, and I'm not sure if he sets up at, at Europe or not, but I just kind of, I've found that I've, like, found a select group of, of booths that I usually end up finding something neat, um, but it, I wouldn't, I can't really say if, if it's more or less um, in terms of Europe, because I've only been to one Celebration Europe, that was the first one, and yep. I was only there for, for a little while, and, and I wasn't really looking to buy anything, it was just more just to, I happened to be there, and I was trying to see if anyone I knew was around, and uh, I don't know, it, it's... It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see what you guys think coming to this one now and kind of comparing in the aftermath. Well, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I was just going to say because when we were at London Film and Comic Con, uh, which is the, one of the big Star Wars conventions, not Star Wars conventions, but a sci-fi convention in the UK, there was four carded figures and they were all Klaatu in the whole <laughs> <laughs> in the whole convention. So um, yeah, you know, we we do anything just for a Return of a Jedi pencil sharpener. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think I think what Steve was saying is is definitely true, and we, you know, he's not an official sponsor, but um, the the toy chamber that Todd has, especially if you're into oddball stuff, yeah, um, <clears throat> that is absolute heaven because there is no ending to the amount of stuff that he has, <clears throat> and just like looking around and having fun. There's so there's him, there's Andy Loney's toy cave, which usually has some good stuff. Uh, James Gallo usually sets up and has good stuff. I yep. don't think Brian's Toys. I don't think sells vintage anymore at Celebration, right? Or they they like it used to be there was Brian's Toys and Cloud City, and they'd right. set up and they'd have these huge displays and like crazy. You know, it's mostly AFA overpriced stuff, but still, it was like fun and exciting to see. Those sure, have sure. mostly just switched to selling like prop replicas or I, I don't know what. Cloud City doesn't appear, um, and then and then of course there's the there's the crazy old lady. Uh, who, who Steve has a has a feud with, and she has lots of good stuff. What's the name of her her stand, Steve? Oh God, it's Intergalactic, right? Is that yeah? That that, that must be it. So they'll <laughs> hopefully be there, and they they're kind of like Todd Chamberlain's booth. If Todd Chamberlain's booth was had one tenth as much stuff and was run by a crazy old woman, um, <laughs> excellent. Is um, Todd actually confirmed for Star Wars Celebration as a story Wait, now? You know, I thought he was, but if if. Uh, I thought he was. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he is. I, I can't. I can't say for sure. I'm, I'm almost certain he is. Because he's just bought uh, three pairs of vintage British uh, pajamas off me, still sealed, for his panel. <laughs> so, um, but I didn't know he's out of store there. Because I mean, I've sent so much money to that guy over the years for oddball items. Yeah. He always yeah. has such an amazing sort of eclectic mix of everything from store displays. I mean, everything that you dreamed of in the 90s and never thought you'd own because obviously we didn't have any internet or links to America, and Todd has it all. All you have to do is swap money for it. (laughs) Speaking about panels, Sky, you're on a panel. I am, yes. I am on the amusingly named Elite Character Focus Collectors. Excellent. (laughs) Is is there anything you can tell us about this panel? Have you guys decided what you're going to talk about? Well, you know, it's it's me and the two Bills, so Bill McBride and Bill Cable, and, um, you know, we're all focus collectors who have had websites and been collecting our characters for, uh, you know, for decades, and uh, so, I, I mean, we're still kind of getting it together. I know that I'm going to be 
kind of focusing probably a little bit more on how to be an elite collector without really being an elite collector, meaning like I'm on I'm not on par with with either of the bills as far as the scope of my collection. Um, but just kind of the, the ways that you can keep a collection going without necessarily having the funds that you would like to have to yeah. buy toys in today's marketplace. And, you know, just kind of, uh, yeah, which I guess is kind of a long way of saying it's, it's, uh, I'm not quite certain what it's going to look like. Steve, that was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> You're always so hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Steve, what about yourself? Have you, are you doing a panel? Uh, no panels this time, um, but we, I think just like you guys, we're, we're gonna be doing a, a live show on the podcast stage, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, that's the new thing for this, this celebration, so, uh, yeah, I don't know, I, <laughs> panel, maybe someday. We, we did a podcast panel way back when we first started, and, and I remember being, like, incredibly nervous for some reason. <laughs> right. I, I think it might have just been because, like, the, like eight people that came to see us speak were all right in the front row, and the rest of the room was was for the other podcast. But um, <laughs> no, I, I I enjoyed doing it. I'd, I'd like to do something again. It's just it's finding um, finding the right topic, I guess. But uh, we'll see. We didn't think obviously we, we'd get chosen, but when we did, the initial thing was, oh my wow, that's amazing, and then all of a sudden, this enormous sense of dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's it, I'm yeah, it's it's that's exactly it. So. <laughs> Have you guys started planning anything for that? Can you let us know anything, or still working on it? We, top we secret, have, Grant. Top secret. Top <laughs> secret. A, ba- a basic plan, <laughs> but it's it's nothing nothing incredibly fleshed out yet. Uh, I have to say. Well, well, no. I mean, I think we're going to try to have a somewhat similar, follow some of the format of what we've been doing. Yeah. Um, we're probably going to do like we did last time, where we're going to have sort of a on the floor market watch. Um, yeah. Kind of talking about where the market is actually at the convention, which will be fun. Um, uh-huh. And you guys can totally steal that idea if you didn't already have it, because there's enough stuff you could do that. <laughs> um, and then we'll just have, uh, I think we'll just have kind of a bunch of guests come up, because you know there's a lot of people who, who are going to be there. So I think we invited, I don't know, six or seven people to come up and talk. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we're still in the stage. I'm having a phone call with the guys tonight, and I just hope one of them's got an idea. <laughs> otherwise I thought yeah, our only thing, other thing to do is just bribe the audience by uh, giving stuff away for an hour yep <laughs> that works too yep <laughs> brilliant okay what time are you guys on at the podcast stage uh, I think it's 4.30pm on Saturday 4.30 yeah. Saturday okay yeah. So, yeah okay guys I'm going to wind this uh, interview down If I, I just got two questions to ask uh, for both of you First question is, uh, what are you looking forward to to in Star Wars Celebration Anaheim the most? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. I'd say uh, 11 o'clock p.m. on Thursday when the archive party's over. Amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I might say the same thing. Just not because you're happy that it's over, but because no, it's such no. a feeling of accomplishment and like knowing that through our efforts we have in some way helped other people to have a good time and that we've helped dogs not be murdered. You know, like it's, that's, it's, yeah, I, I would, I was going to say like maybe like eight o'clock or something, like a little bit after the party starts would be my my favorite part. Um, (laughs) Okay. But yeah, yeah, I'd I'd say definitely the archive party. That was the highlight last time. And that was for most people that we talked to, I guess it makes sense because they wouldn't come up and say the other, but they said that was their highlight of, of the show too. So, 
Excellent. Okay, and if um, for any of the guys who are listening, if you item, would you like uh, people to keep an eye out for you? If you're look, looking for something at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, is there anything special there? I'd say for me, it's it's the uh, Kenner Movie Viewer. Uh, I saw one of those at Todd Chamberlain's last summer, and uh, it's that little kind of camera-looking thing where you can wind through Super 8 film uh, cartridges, and I, I just I haven't honestly really been on the hunt for it yet, but it's something I'd like to pick up at some point. So I'm hoping maybe I come across one or one of the cartridges or something. Okay, cool. Uh, what about you, Sky? Well, boy, that's tough. Uh... Yeah, I guess just whatever kind of, uh, you know, like, I don't have a, a, a pine saw frisbee Chewbacca. Okay, so yeah. That's not particularly rare of an item, and I've seen them for sale before. But I think, I'm thinking about, like, picking up some more of those kinds of items. You know, we talked about on the show recently uh, York peanut butter lids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I wouldn't mind getting a Chewbacca of that. Uh, basically, I just want to go to go to Todd's booth if he has it, or if, if not, the crazy old lady, and uh, <laughs> kind of look around for stuff like that. I mean, it would be it would be great if you know someone showed up and and had a had an Emperor item or a Chewbacca item that I didn't have, or a you know it, it'd be cool to pick up a 48B that I don't have, or a or actually be really awesome to pick up a. a Empire 21 back I don't have maybe that'll be a thing I'll be looking out for I guess if someone sees one of those they can say you know hey one thing I will say is that definitely look because you'll find things that you'd be surprised I mean I found a on the second day of the show no the first day of the show but four hours in a uh, Italian imported uh, Darth Vader tri-logo so it just has a sticker on the back that says you know Sparati or whatever, and I got it for a trilogo price. And wow. you know, I've been, I have like five or six collectors who ping me about every two months saying, "Hey, are you uh, planning on selling that?" <laughs> and really, I just want to trade it for a Chewie of the same kind. We'll see if it ever happens. Excellent. But Excellent. Uh, yeah. So guys, listen. Big thank you for coming on to the show. Um, yes. For any of the guys who don't actually know about the Kivecast or the Star Wars Collectors Archive, where can they find you guys and download your podcast and check out the articles? Uh, so it's uh, if you go to the SWCA.com, uh, in the menu there's a little podcast section that'll take you to, to a feed of all the shows. And, and I guess we're the podcast now, it, all the archives are still on the old website, but the, the current ones are on the SWCA uh, blog. Right. So that's, that's ex- just straight from the, the homepage of the SWCA.com. <clears throat> yep. That that's really where to where to look, and that's a, a general thing for all beginning collectors. And we don't say this that much on our show, but uh, if you ever wonder, hey, how come I don't know more about Star Wars? Just go to the Star Wars Collectors Archive and spend five or six hours just reading old articles, and you'll yeah. know way more. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, your next uh, podcast, you just released one with two one B. Who's next? It's gonna uh, be Luke Hoth. Yeah, wow. Luke Hoth, that's right. Okay, that's pretty exciting. That's uh, one of the favorite card backs for me. Yeah, yeah, it should be, it should be fun. It'll be a little bit nerve, nerve-wracking because I feel like we should be focusing more on celebration, so maybe kind of a quick episode, <laughs> but who knows? It might, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got to be honest, guys. This is actually, I'm recording this now for April's podcast, so yeah. <laughs> I just want to get April's podcast recorded before Anaheim just because otherwise I'm going to just totally melt. <laughs> yeah, um, but listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, thanks for having us. We'll, you know, we'll have you guys on again real soon, and maybe we could have you on for the main interview where we spend an hour, you know, really talking about you know yourselves as collectors. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd okay, be awesome. 
Wampa Wampa, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, Thanks, Grant. Talk to you soon. We've uh, finalised our plans for Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. We'll be on the podcast stage at 12 o'clock on Sunday the 19th of April. Uh, we've put a shout out and we've had some feedback for some people who are coming on the stage. We're definitely going to focus on some of the people who have been uh, nice enough to you know, support the show over the last couple of months. I'm, I'm happy to announce that Marcus Dorin, who has been supporting us on Facebook, he'll be joining us on stage. Ian Sanderson we're hoping to have come on the stage as well so we can talk about GW Acrylic. We have loads of GW Acrylic cases that we're hoping to give out to members of the audience. Maybe we could have a competition or something. We're also having dialogue at the moment with none other than John Morton who played Dak in Empire Strikes Back. So hopefully Dak will come on as well and maybe uh, could join in some of the fun with us. We also have two fantastic posters by Mark, Sublevel Studios from the forum. He signed the posters. We'll be giving those away. Really looking forward to it. Jez, I think we're in a great position, bearing in mind that I know we've already said that we're up against some, you know, some competition um, on the on the Sunday. The fact is, it is on the Sunday. We have had Wednesday night, Thursday, the parties, you know, Friday, Saturday. We'll be able to cover a lot. So I'm sure that whilst we've got our plan at the moment and whilst we'll have the competitions and whilst we've got these extra people, you know, we're going to be kind of, it's almost like the, the wrap-up podcast as well. I'm sure we would have had some exclusives and we would have had a, you know, an, an amazing time. So we need to keep it fresh and, uh, and who knows what's going to happen. Um, who knows what's going to happen, but you've got to be there, got to be there to be part of it. Pete, I'm really hoping that you are going to be interviewing John Morton back-to-back as if you're sitting in the snow speeders. Is this true? Yes, absolutely 100% true. I don't think there's any other way he can act, so he's going to act that way for us. So that's going to have to be done, and if he argues, we'll turf him out. Well, listen, if you guys are listening to this and you want to be part of the show, please contact us, please come up and say hello to us. You know, the show is not about the Star Wars Forum UK podcast. It's about celebrating, collecting Star Wars, vintage toys, vintage everything. Come and be a part of the show. We'd love to hear from you. We've only got an hour, but uh, let's, let's celebrate and have some fun. <laughs> Okay, some events coming up. April 16th to 19th, Star Wars Celebration Anaheim in California, USA. April 19th, Stoke Con Trent in Stafford University. April 26th, Wales Comic Con in Glyndua University. May 2nd, Stars of Time in Western Supermare. Also on May 2nd, Sittinborough Sci-Fi Event. May the 4th, Star Wars Fan Fun Day in Burnley. May the 9th, Folkestone Film TV and Comic Con. May 30th, Mersey Comic Con in Liverpool. May 30th, Granite City Comic Con in Aberdeen. May 30th to 31st, Manchester Film and Comic Con. And as always, type the names of these conventions into a search engine and you should find them. If not, send us an email at swfukpodcast at gmail.com and we'll send you the links. Master Chef is back. What do you give people when they come to supper with you? And the answer I always give, or invariably give, is a cookies. Oh boy, oh boy. Hi, my name's Immy. I'm nine years old. My favourite character is Chewy. He's always been my favourite. Last year, I was bought the Star Wars cookbook, and ever since, I've been making delicious Wookiee cookies. You could say that they're the scrummiest cookies in the galaxy. Who's up for a competition to celebrate Star Wars Day? If I read out the Wookiee cookie recipe, why don't you boys and girls try to make the best cookies you can? If you send the podcast Facebook group a photo of your cookies by May the 4th, 
I will judge them and the winner will be announced in the May podcast. May the force be with you. Me no can wait till cookies are done baking so me can eat them. The ingredients you'll need are two and a quarter cups of all-purpose flour, one teaspoon of baking soda, one teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, one cup of unsalted butter at any room temperature, one cup of packed brown sugar, half a cup of granulated sugar, two large eggs, one and a half teaspoons of vanilla extract, one cup of milk chocolate chips, and one cup of semi-sweet chocolate chips. Me love cookies! Preheat the oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Put the flour, baking soda, salt and cinnamon in a mixing bowl. Stir with the wooden spoon until well mixed. Set aside. Put the butter, brown sugar and granulated sugar in another mixing bowl. Use the electric mixer set on high speed. Beat together until well blended and creamy. About three minutes. You can do this with a wooden spoon, but it will take longer. Beat in the eggs and vanilla extract. Add the flour mixture and stir with the wooden spoon until blended. Stir in the chocolate chips. I'm getting hungry right now. Scoop up around a tablespoon of the dough and drop onto a baking sheet. Repeat until you have used up all of the dough. Be sure to leave about one inch between the cookies because they will spread as they bake. Using pot holders, put the baking sheets in the oven. Bake until golden brown, about ten minutes. That's the timer. That means... Cookies done! Cookies done! Cookies done! Cookies done! The the big moment we've been waiting for! Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! Again, using the pot holders, remove from the baking sheets from the oven. Lift the cookies from the baking sheets with a spatula and place on cooling rack. Let cool completely. Makes about three dozen cookies. Me no can wait! Me got to have cookies now! Cowabunga! Oh, good to the last crumb. Oh, me one happy cookie monster. Come on, guys. If a nine-year-old can do this, I bet you can. But I wish you the best of luck. Star Wars cookies, the new taste in space. (laughs) Welcome to this month's Oddball section. Following our interviews with Frank's autographs and Star Wars Squidhead actor Gerald Holm, I speak to Neil Livesey, who is the organiser of Star Wars Fan Fun Day, to get an event organiser's perspective as we finally reach Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim and the 2015 Summer Conventions. Okay guys, I'd like to welcome Neil Livesey, who is the event organiser for Star Wars Fan Fun Day. It's an annual event that takes place at Burnley Football Club, usually around the May the 4th period. Welcome to Star Wars Forum UK podcast, Neil. Thank you very much, Grant. Neil, I've asked you to come on as part of our run-up to the Star Wars Celebration Anaheim and Summer Convention season. Uh, we start off with Frank's autographs, who discussed autograph display and protection. And last month, we had an opportunity to speak to Gerald Holm, who gave us the talent's point of view about the convention circuit. 
For our final part, I'd like to get an insight into being a Star Wars event organiser, obviously without giving too many trade secrets away. Uh, firstly, Neil, uh, can, can you tell us a bit about the Star Wars Fan Fun Day and what was the inspiration behind it? Sure. Um, first of all, you say I'm a Star Wars convention organiser, and I guess I am in a way, although I'm a fan, and this is perhaps a little bit different to some of the conventions that are commercial businesses that have to make money. This just doesn't have to lose money, if you, if you understand the difference. It's an event by fans, for fans, and so it doesn't really matter if it makes a profit. If it does, then there's a bit of money left in the bank for, for next year. But if it, if it doesn't make any money, it doesn't matter. As long as I don't lose any money, it's all good. But to answer your question, the inspiration for me came from Celebration Europe 1, um, in London, I went to that event and had an absolute blast. I'm a huge Star Wars fan and uh, I loved every single minute of it. And I just thought, there's nothing like that in the north of England. And if I can just bring a little of that kind of experience to the north, it's got to be good. And so the following year, we set about trying to put together the first Star Wars fan fun day. It wasn't in the the current venue, it was at a venue called Clayton Park Conference Centre and we chose that venue because it was right on the, the motorway junction so anybody travelling could, could find it easily. Looking back it wasn't very good we had one guest, Kenny Baker and we got about 400 people through the door and we had a few stalls and a few games for the kids and things like that and again it wasn't very good at all but it was the start of something and immediately we closed the doors we thought well at least we didn't lose any money everybody loved the fact that we managed to get Kenny Baker there what, and what we need to do is learn from it and uh, grow the event so I started looking for another venue and I looked at a few football clubs because everybody knows how to find those I spoke to Blackburn Rovers they were very very expensive and the next nearest well-known football ground to me was uh, Burnley and that particular year they were in the playoff finals and, and going, for rel uh, going for promotion and they actually fell over themselves to get the event they were more than helpful you know the event's grown very very big over the years and a lot of people say look you're probably going to have to move venues soon but I'm loath to do it because one Burnley Football Club are absolutely excellent in, in hosting the event and everybody knows when it is it's the nearest bank holiday to May the 4th and this year it actually falls on May the 4th and everybody knows where it is it's Burnley Football Club and it's been there for the last seven years how many years have you actually been doing this? Has it been every year since Star Wars Celebration Europe 1? Yeah, so, so this, this coming one on Bank Holiday Monday the 4th of uh, May will be the 8th one. Wow, crikey, I've missed a lot of them then. Yeah, I mean in the past we, we've done different things, we've tried to, to change it so... You know, you, you may have seen on the website that we had one year a full-size Jabba the Hutt's palace diorama where you could have your photograph taken with Jabba and all his denizens. And we've, we've tried different things. We had a Death Star wall there. We've had a few a, a different, you know, large props. We've had some full-size battle droids and, and um, IG-88 and other kinds of droids. But in the end, the, the, the event is growing. We do get more people uh, every year. And we've had to 
stop putting those things in there just to get the number of people who turn up inside the building. Yeah, I remember last year, uh, fortunately I, I bought my ticket in advance, but I remember arriving at the football club and the line was as long as the actual stadium itself. Yeah, it's a good point, you know, for people who haven't been before, if you haven't pre-ordered tickets, and by the way, that, that ends tomorrow night, but for people who haven't bought the tickets uh, in advance, there is a queue, you do have to queue to get in on the day. However, those queues are very professionally managed now. Yeah. Um, you know, we learnt our lessons from the early days, and, and, and they're very professionally managed in terms of, of, of a couple of things. One, health and safety, and two, having um, quite a lot of the costumers out there to entertain the, the, the people while they're queuing. And also, what we do is, at certain points in the queue, we give one of the visitors a, a number with a time on it, and get them to hand it in when they get to the pay desk, and, and then it's timed again. So we can always know the le- the time of the queuing, so that when people arrive and see the size of the queue, and you know sometimes look a, a little bit downhearted, we can say to them, we've been timing the queue, and from this point it's 40 minutes, or it's 30 minutes, or whatever it is. And the longest the queue has ever been was 55 minutes at one point last year. Which I know is a long time, it's almost an hour, but um, if you're a convention goer, then you know that that's quite a short time to queue. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you said that it's sort of like, you've given some examples of how it's evolved uh, since since the first one. What other ways have you found it's evolved? I know we're going to get to guests later, you have a, an incredible variety of guests, but in what other ways has it evolved? Over the years, we've recognised that there are different parts to Star Wars fandom. And so we have to cater for autograph collectors, serious autograph collectors. And, and again, we'll talk about that when we come to, to the guests. Sure. We have to recognise that there are collectors, and so we have to have the right kinds of stalls there. People selling modern Star Wars collectibles, people selling high-end collectibles, people selling vintage um, Star Wars collectibles. And then, of course, we recognise that there are just the kind of passing uh, Star Wars fans as we refer to them so you know a family who live in Burnley who are looking for something to do on a bank holiday that you know have seen the films but they're not absolute diehard fans like you and I Um, and so we have to have something for them and obviously something for the children so for example for the past six years we've had the laser maze which has been enjoyed by the children that come along where they can get inside the giant inflatable get a gun and and uh, harmlessly, you know, shoot each other kind of thing. But this year we're going to replace it with the 99th Garrison. I've kindly offered to put on an event called Shooter Troop. You may have seen before, if you've been to any events abroad, because the 501st uh, do it a lot at US conventions, and I think the 501st Germany do it, where the kids can pay a couple of quid or whatever they're going to charge um, for for the Dream Flight charity and get to shoot Nerf guns at guys in armour. So, you know, health and safety's covered. Nobody's going to get hurt because these guys are in armour. Uh, and they're not actually firing back at the kids. It's just uh, it's just for the kids to have fun shooting the stormtroopers. You've covered a question I was going to ask you. Have you noticed now that maybe, unlike before, you know, a couple of years ago, that Star Wars has now become very multi-generational? So that you have to figure in that there, there are going to be people now from maybe three or four generations who are going to come to your event. Absolutely. We get grandparents coming along. We get, you know, people, as you say, from all generations, from grandparents down to toddlers. And it's very interesting, again, how the fandom 
spreads itself and changes itself across the generations. Everybody will be aware, of course, about the split between the prequels and the original trilogy, and some Star Wars fans like like the original trilogy only. But believe it or not, I've spoken to uh, people at Celebration who only like the prequels. And I've also spoken to some teenage guys who only like the Clone Wars. They don't actually like any of the films. So it never ceases to amaze me, Star Wars fandom. One of the things I do know, I did notice when I came to your event last year for the first time was the, the massive variety in sort of groups and organisations that were there, from dealers to the 501st. And, and how do you actually identify uh, which groups and dealers to come to an event like this? Are you already networked or, or is this something that you need to plan ahead? I've known a lot of these people for a lot of years. I was 17 when Star Wars came out, so so I'm 56 this time. I've been a Star Wars fan a long time. You know, I go to a lot of conventions myself, which is, you know, again, where the idea came from. And these people are not difficult to find. They're, they have websites, they have uh, stalls and recruiting tables, they call them, at conventions. There are a number of costuming groups across the, the UK for all types of costumes, but of course in this instance we're talking about Star Wars costuming groups. And the main two, really, that support our event are the Rebel Legion UK and the 99th Garrison. The 501st don't normally attend our event because a lot of the 501st in the UK were based down south and they found it too far to come. But they are attending for the first time uh, this year. Uh, and then there are others like, you know, the Galactic Knights and the Milton Keynes Garrison and people like that, uh, the Mandalorian Mercs. They're more than happy to come along and uh, put smiles on faces. And, and one of the things that, that we do that a lot of other conventions, you know, that are commercial businesses don't, is we try our best to look after them. So we make sure that, that all the costumers have adequate changing facilities together with cold drinks because it gets very hot inside that armour. And uh, a sandwich for the lunch, it's the very least we can do when they've given up their time and petrol money to come along to the event. Fantastic. What about the um, sort of like, I know you've got like a really sort of mixed variety when it comes to the dealer tables. Are these actual friends or are you, are you, do you sort of plan ahead and have a sort of framework that you want to fill? Okay, in the early days, the actors and the stalls were the, were the most difficult things to to get on board and the stall holders a lot of them quite worried particularly the bigger companies because they want to know how many people you're going to get through the door because they have a formula each one will have his own formula if there are 2,000 people at the event I should take X pounds and uh, in the early days I couldn't really promise them very much you know the first one I didn't know how many were going to come then the second one we knew we'd have 400 but we were trying to, 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 to get more at the second one uh, and so it was very difficult to get those vendors on board. So what we did is we, we made them promises. Well, look, you know, we will limit it to 10 or we've now grown to the point where we limit it to 20. But unless somebody's ill or double booked themselves because, you know, there are other events on and around that bank holiday weekend near May the 4th, everybody rebooks. So it isn't difficult at all to get those, uh, those people on board. But in the early days, it was just a matter of going through the Yellow Pages websites um, and, uh, and asking people at other conventions if they would come and, um, you know, sell the collectible goodies at our event. Thankfully now, as I say, we're booked up months in advance of the day. 
And unfortunately for some vendors uh, that, that want to get in on the act now, we have to turn them away because we, we keep it limited to, to, to 20 because it helps the vendors have a good day. But also, as you've seen yourself, we don't have the room for any more. Yeah. Um, okay. For, obviously, the highlight for me is the cast and crew, which uh, Burnley delivers in bucket loads. Fortunately, you know, episodes 1, 4, 5 and 6 were filmed in the UK and we also had pickups for episode 2 and 3. Does that give you a wealth of guests in which to choose from? And if so, how do you make the decision on who to invite? It does give us a wealth, definitely, because there are a lot of UK-based Star Wars actors, particularly, as you say, from the original trilogy. Again, that was a difficult thing to, to get off the ground. As I said earlier, the first one, we just had Kenny Baker. But what, what happens is there, there are people that I really would like to meet, and there are people you know, that people let me know on our Twitter or Facebook pages that they would really like us to get to the event. And we slowly but surely built it up. So at the first one we had one. At the the second one we had four. And I was really pleased at the second one to get uh, Garrick Hagen, Biggs Darklighter. Because I thought for a small event, which is what we were back in those days, to get Biggs Darklighter to the event, uh, that was great. And then I managed to get Richard Lepermentier, Richard Bornill, both of who were... Uh, passed on now, uh, God bless him, and Derek Lyons, so we, so we have the four. But what happens then is, they go away to other conventions on the circuit, and they speak to each other. Right. And la- in the same way that we look after the costumers, we obviously look after the guests. We put them in a nice hotel. Uh, we make sure they have a great dinner, uh, and I'll come back to that in a second. And uh, they looked after on the day and they get tea, coffee, wine, whatever it is they need on the day. And also, because we are a fan event, we don't take any commissions or cuts of whatever money they charge for the autographs. They get to keep all that. So, you know, away went these four guys, spoke to the other guys on the on the convention circuit and said, you want to see if you can get on, on this Star Wars fan fun day because you're really well looked after and it's a well organised and well attended event. And away it went, really. I was very pleased to be able to get Dave Prowse, for example, for the first time, um, or or, um, Jeremy Bullock, because these were big heroes of mine. Um, You know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan myself. And then, you know, they will go away to the convention uh, circuit, and they will talk to other people. And, And, you know, these are influential guys. They do a lot of conventions all over the world. And so we've now reached the, the stage where, a bit like vendors, actors are, are, are coming to us and we are having to turn more actors down than we have at the Fan Funday. So we have to make difficult decisions. The first one is, what I didn't want to do is, there are some conventions, and I don't want to name them because it's not fair to them, who I think have the same old guests year in, year out. And I didn't want to be like those. So so we rotate our guests. The possible exception to that is is, is Dave Prowse, because he rings me and tells me that he's coming, and that's the end of that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Dave Prowse is Darth Vader, and, you know, still has the biggest lines every year at, at Burnley. So that's the first decision, that, you know, that, that we actively rotate the the guests so we don't get this reputation for having the same old guests and then what we have to do is we try our best these days to get a mix of prequel and original trilogy guests we were very lucky last year to get um natalie cox so so we had 
um, you know, Star Wars video games represented. I would dearly love to get either a Clone Wars or a Rebels guest because we've never managed that this year. And um, in the sense that the the, the show has grown, the, the organising team was originally me and a couple of members of my family. And there are now... Uh, a lot more of us involved in, in organising running the show. And there's a guy called Paul Dunn who is really, really helpful in getting guests. So for the last few years, I have to say that I can't take the credit for all the guest list. I booked most of them, but Paul Dunn has found some really, really good guests for us. Excellent. Do you actually go through sort of agencies in which to book some of these guests, or, or is it sort of like a word of mouth sort of thing? Some of the some of the actors, particularly from the original trilogy, are all getting on a bit. I'm sure they won't mind me saying that, and, and are retired or semi-retired in the sense that you know they just do conventions now, and they're easy to contact. Most of them have got websites, and you can deal direct with them. And a lot of them have become personal friends over the years because I see them not just at my conventions, but at celebrations and other conventions across the UK. So, you know, I, I hope I don't sound flash when I say this, but my form uh, contacts list is there are more actors in there than there are actual, you know, family and friends. But, <laughs> but, but that, you know, I need, I need that because I need to have contact with them because we always need to, to have, have guests. But then you're quite right that, you know, there are some younger actors or people who did work in the um, original trilogies who were young then who were kind of middle aged like me now that are either acting or have gone on to do other things like special effects or whatever and they're the tricky ones to get because they are one they're working and two they may have agents and, and you need to deal with, with agents and uh, if Paul Dunn was here he would tell you that uh, they're the ones that I passed to him because I, I don't particularly like to deal with agents Okay, no, no worries. Now, what about the um, the eight by tens? I've always thought, where do people get these sort of eight by ten images from for the actors to sign? Is that something the actors bring with them? It depends. Some actors who who you know kind of make the living these days from the convention circuit. Yes, they have their own. They they, they bring their own. And for example, we've got Eileen Roberts this year. Yeah, who who was um, found by a friend of mine. Um, who's never done a convention before. So that's a great one for us because that attracts the autograph collectors because she's never signed anywhere. And um, obviously she wouldn't have any 8 by 10 so, so we've had to order them for her. All ah, right, okay, excellent. One of the things that really sticks out to me, Neil, about the uh, Burnley uh, Fun Day is that you also bring on crew members you know, it's it's all a lot. Of, a lot of conventions obviously have the people in front of the camera, but to me, the most exciting thing is the the crew members. And what really sticks out to me this year is you've got Nick Malley and Brian Johnson. Um, yep. Could you let us? Uh, could you let our listeners know a bit a bit more about Nick Malley and Brian Johnson and the, and the work that they did on Star Wars? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll just cover the point first that you make about us having behind the scenes guests. Um, again, coming back to this different fandom uh, and the different kinds of visitors we get to the Star Wars fan fun day we have to have the big names like Dave Prowse because the kids know who Dave Prowse is, everybody knows who Dave Prowse is but then when you get to the other end of that scale where you're looking for the autograph collectors these autograph collectors, a bit like myself have been around the, the convention circuit a long time and they've got Dave Prowse and they've got Kenny Baker and they've got Jeremy Bullock and so on and so on and so they're looking for the more obscure guests hence 
you know, again, Eileen Roberts, who's never signed before. But also, these uh, behind-the-scenes guests. You'll notice uh, that Celebration Anaheim have got quite a big behind-the-scenes guest list because they've recognised this thing of, you know, most people have got Carrie and... Uh, and Mark and, and so on now and the real autograph hunters are excited by these people that, that don't do shows very often so Nick Malley is known as the Yoda guy in, in Star Wars fandom he's the guy that put together the animatronic Yoda and um, Nick did worked on a, uh, quite a lot of the creature effects uh, in, in, in the Star Wars movies so he, he, he did some of the cantina stuff but he's most well known for doing um, the animatronic Yoda stuff Nick lives in the Bahamas and has done for 10 years. Now, this was nothing but a stroke of luck that he'd heard about the Star Wars Fan Fun Day on the convention circuit and happened to be in the country that weekend. Amazing. And so he contacted me and asked if we would consider him as a guest. And I'm sure you can appreciate I ripped his arm out of his sock. <laughs> um, and so I'm very, very thrilled uh, that Nick's here. And um, the guy that does our uh, pre-orders for us, it tells us that Nick has got the most pre-orders out of all the guests. We've also got Brian Muir. Brian is is the guy who sculpted, um, well, a number of things for, for the Star Wars movies. He, he sculpted the Stormtrooper armour, but not the lid. He sculpted Darth Vader's helmet. And uh, here's a little known fact, I don't know if you know this, Grant, but the little indentation that forms Vader's nose is actually Brian's thumb. Wow, no, I didn't know that. That is interesting. If you have a full-size Vader lid with you at a convention, you'll you'll often get him to... to, You'll see fans getting him to put his thumb in the little indentation (laughs) on on Vader's lid, and and fans love him doing that, and then obviously signing it. Uh, And then Brian Johnson, generally accepted to be, you know, one of the best... Special effects gurus in the business. Um, he's, he did all the, the special effects for Space 1999 uh, and was recruited by Lucasfilm to do all the special effects for um, The Empire Strikes Back. He's also done a lot of effects work for movies like Alien and lots of other movies. Brian doesn't do very many shows and he was uh, introduced to me by a, a friend who's in a Space 1999 model building. Um, club and um, you know because he'd been recommended by some new sport very highly of the Star Wars fan fund day again I'm very very pleased that, that Brian's uh, agreed to come to, to this year's show well I, I definitely hope that you continue uh, with the idea of bringing crew members on because that definitely got me excited when I saw the poster one of the things as well that you do which I think is definitely worth talking about is the VIP meal the night before and the money that you raise for charity yeah I'll tell you where that idea came from. When we started to get our guest li- list up to eight, ten, we were taking the actors and, and other guests out for a meal the night before the event, and you know the, the bills with the drinks on top were fairly substantial, as you can imagine. And um, after one particular year, when we paid the bill, I said to my wife. Do you know what? I think fans would pay to come and um, sit and have a meal and, and listen to the fantastic stories that these actors and behind-the-scenes guys tell. And then thought no more of it. 
But as the, the next Star Wars fan funding um, came onto the horizon, I thought about this idea again and thought, well, I think I'm going to give it a go. And a friend of ours had, had recently passed on, and the local hospice, the East Lanks Hospice, had done a really great job of, of providing end of end of life care for this friend of ours and so we'd done some other events where we'd raised some money for the, for the hospice and I said well I reckon that if we could sell enough tickets we could make a few bob for the hospice from this what's now become known as di- a dinner with the Star Wars stars so we spoke to Burnley Football Club who were happy to provide us a room free of charge like most fundraising dinners we obviously charge more to the people who are buying tickets than Burnley charge us so that we've got a base of money already yep. um, and then we do the usual fundraising activities on the night um, we don't do an auction and I purposely don't do an auction because I think it's unfair that if you've got 10 guests there and they all give something like an autographed photo an autographed item or whatever it is uh, that some will, you know, obviously some um, stuff will go for more money than others and I don't think that's um, a nice feeling for one of the actors to think, well, my my item only raised X number of pounds when that guy's raised three times as much or whatever. But we do do raffles and um, and we have a, a, a draw for a couple of really good prizes. Um, RS Prop Masters, the prop makers, um, normally give us a replica um, lid of some kind, stone tree. Sandtrooper, uh, you know, tie pilot, whatever, uh, and we normally get some uh, nice things from the actors, uh, and also some some non-Star Wars uh, items um, for um, from local businesses because, you know, often uh, these people come to the event with with the with the partner who may not be interested in Star Wars but are interested in winning, you know, a meal for two or a bottle of champagne or you know whatever it may be, and. Um, We've been, you know, we've been fortunate that 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 has grown every year. I was very worried on the first one if we would sell all the tickets because it's quite a commitment. We have to tell Bernard that we will order so many meals and so on. But it's it's sold out. It continues to grow. We're limited in numbers because of the size of the room, but it it it, it does continue to grow and it sells out every single year. And we raised, in, I think, on the first one about two thousand quid. Um, on the second one about three and la- and last year we, we we raised about four this year I'm splitting the 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 money between the East Lanks Hospice as usual but also the British Heart Foundation excellent no I think I think that's um no, that's absolutely fantastic as you're putting on these events is there anything for yourself that you look forward to or are you just happy for the event to happen is there anything special there for yourself I there are still guests that I would love to get to the event. Um, I've tried uh, to get uh, Warwick Davis to the event nearly every year that we've been doing it, and it just hasn't fallen right. He's either been busy uh, filming or working or at another convention, or he does a lot of work um, for his um, Walking with Giants Foundation and his own Little People charity. And uh, I've ju- it's just never happened. I've spoken directly to him at conventions. I've spoken to his wife, Sammy. I've spoken to his his PA, and and it just hasn't happened. So I, I, I 
I'd love to get him. And there are other people that I would l- love to get to the show. Um, you know, I've already said I'd love a Clone Wars or a Rebels guest. Yeah. Um, uh, and there are others that I've got up my sleeve that, that I, you know, I keep talking to and, and try and get them. And sometimes it works out. You know, I, Jeremy Bullock took a couple of years to get him to the show. Tim Rose, that just didn't work out because he um, he was working or um, he was at other conventions or whatever. And, uh, you know, eventually we got Tim Rose and, and you know, meeting somebody I, who I haven't met before is, is, a, is a big thrill. And also getting somebody to our show, even if I've met them, that, that hasn't been before is a big thrill. You know, you're right, I do just look forward to the day itself. Um, I, I'm still a big lover of all the, the costumed characters. The, you know, the, the costuming groups do a great job because when you get three or four-year-old kids, and if you point to Dave Prowse and say, that's Doyle Fader, they'll, they'll say, no, it isn't, because they don't get that. But if you point to the, the, the guy from the 99th Legion, um, the 99th Garrison, I beg your pardon, who's, who's um, dressed as Darth Vader and say that's Darth Vader, they get that straight away. And, and I just love to see those um, uh, characters moving around outside and inside the event and putting smiles on, on people's faces. One of my favourite pictures of all time um, from the Star Wars fan funding, which I think is in the gallery, I should, should, should know that should know, on the website, is um, a, a good friend of mine from the from the uh, Rebel Legion UK called Keith Orman, and he's dressed as um, Commander Cordy, and there's a little kid just looking up at his costume with a massive, great uh, smile on his face, and that that picture, that one picture, sums up everything we've tried to do. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's such a nice thing to say. Neil, I'm going to wrap up these, this interview now. My, my final question to you is going to be, if you could get one actor and one crew member uh, to your show, who would it be without any barriers? Wow. If there were no barriers, I would love to get one of the big three. I would yeah. love to get Carrie, Mark or Harrison. But there is a real barrier there because you know each year in the social media we put out who would you like to to come to Star Wars Fan Fun Day and those names always come up but the problem is that these people can command huge appearance fees and will only travel first class flights and we just could not get enough people through the door to be able to cover those huge appearance fees and first-class flights. But if there were no barriers, definitely one of those um, three. Excellent. And behind the scenes, well, you know, if we want to be completely ridiculous about it, I'd love to get George Lucas to the event. <laughs> but, but also, I'm a great admirer of the, of the work that Dennis Muren did on the on the, uh, on the original movies. Yeah. So, so I guess that would be my choice. Excellent. Well, Neil, thank you so much for taking your time to speak to us on the Star Wars from UK podcast. Burnley Fan Fun event is at Burnley Football Stadium on May the 4th, which is going to be a Monday and a bank holiday. Is that correct? It is. It's uh, bank holiday Monday, May the 4th. Be with you. Excellent. Well, I'll definitely be there, Neil, and I really look forward to meeting you in person. I look forward to meeting you, and thanks very much for, in- for inviting me to be on the podcast. Thank you so much, Neil. My pleasure.
with streets and houses, rainbow climbing high. Everyone can see it smiling over the sky. Paint the whole world with a rainbow. Oh, hello, Bungle. What are you up to? Who do these toys belong to? Why are you opening them all up? Oh, Zippy, these are just Jeffrey's old Star Wars toys. He won't mind me opening them up and playing with them. <laughs> oh, dear, Bungle. I really don't think Jeffrey would be too happy with you breaking open his childhood collection of Minton Card vintage Star Wars figures. I think some of these are worth more than the entire Thames TV budget for this show. Well, Jeffrey can say you're in a lot of trouble. Oh dear, dear, Bungle, you're in a lot of trouble. Oh, shut up, Zippy. Toys are to be played with. I'm going upstairs to throw this yak man thing out of the window and see if he can fly like in the films. Crikey. <laughs> when Jeffrey gets here, he's going to want to kill Bungle Bones, isn't he? <laughs> Poor old Bungle. Jeff is going to go hunting himself a bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I hope Jeffrey doesn't... Oh, here comes Jeffrey now. Hello, George and Zippy. What are you two up to? And where did you get these open vintage Star Wars backing cards from? I've got a lot of these still mint on card. Bungo! You c- Don't be a bungle bonce with your collection. Keep your carded figures sealed and share your collecting experiences with like-minded collectors on www.starwarsforum.co.uk Okay, the... Auction, which, which I think is probably the most craziest auction I think we've had on this podcast so far, is with our friends at Vectus, and it covers an immense amount of areas. Now, this is mostly down to the auction, uh, the items of the auction being owned by a guy called Mark Jackson. And uh, Vectus very kindly put me in touch with them, and um, I asked him about his entire auction lot and uh, how he got to get it in one piece. I still can't get over that auction. I think I think that's the best auction we've seen at Vectus by a long, long way. The best thing about store displays is you can put stuff in them or on them. You know, so if you've got daft little things, like, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen the big Emperor's Royal Guard cardboard. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Um, thing. See, the things that are on that, like little bits of stationery and, and what have you, you know, it, it's stuff that you buy and you think, well, what can I do with it? I, you can't display it, so you just bung it in a box or bung it in a drawer. So you think, well, what else can I do with it? So, yeah. hence the store display. It's an ideal thing to shove them all on and display them on. Um, yeah, because I noticed quite a few of them actually had, you know, most of your shop displays actually had stuff in them, like the CTPO notebooks. There seems to be quite mm. a few notebooks in there. I mean, I think, I think that's what's made people very excited. It's like, wow, there's stuff in this stuff. It's good. <laughs> yes. You know, not just a display, because, I mean, like you said, people will then go and collect the stuff that goes in them, you know, mm. If, mm. If, they're, if they're collectors. How old are you then, roughly? <laughs> don't uh, want me 30, 32. Oh, you're young. You're a youngster. In podcast terms of our podcast, you'd be the youngest by some ways. I have been told that before, actually, when I've spoke to somebody else about collecting Star Wars, and he said, how old are you? I was like, oh, 32. He's like, blimey, you're young for collecting Star Wars. I was like, yeah, oh, right, okay. <laughs> have you ever sort of been involved in the sort of Star Wars collecting community at all? Because, I mean, I know it sounds really 
I, I'm trying to, I was trying to word this question in a better way, but just bear with me that, that I, it's not meant how it probably sounds, but no one's kind of heard of you. When you have a collection of your type, you know, you mm-hmm. are quite a well-known person in the community because you've obviously bought from people and, and people have helped you collect and stuff, but you've kind of come out of left field, if that, if that doesn't sound too insulting. I um, can honestly say I've never, ever got involved in anything like that at all. I just yeah. I collect myself and keep myself to myself, to be honest. Because um, seeing that collection, I, I, I mean, as you'll hear on the podcast when we, when we discuss it, I mean, mm-hmm. normally we, we kind of go through stuff, you know, uh, we go through three or four things. And yep. um, we, we just, I mean, we could talk about this for the next year of what you got to sell. It is unbelievable. I mean, it's just... Uh, I, will, <laughs> we... I will be honest, that, that is only half of my collection. <laughs> um, it, that, that was just what I decided to get rid of, basically. I, I have wow. still got same again about you know roughly the same again so what, what's that made up of then is that carded figures is that is that sort of what, shop displays well, or just all sorts well what it was i thought because i had so much i just thought right i'm just going to cut right down to the bare minimum um you know and just keep like one version of each carded figure yeah so i've still got like the full set of carded figures the 12 backs and then empire jedi and then power of the force ones you know and then obviously droids and Ewoks and what have you, and then just kept one ship of each box, you know, like, okay. rather than having an Attack in a Empire box and a Jedi box or a Millennium Falcon in a Star Wars box, then an Empire with the Star Wars picture, then an Empire with an Empire picture and a Jedi with the, you know, the, rather yeah, than yeah. having one of each, I just <laughs> thought right, save the space and just have one of each. I saw on the um, Vectus website you, you'd made a little mm-hmm. um, comment, and I said you'd done this in ten years. Uh, it's probably a little bit more than that, to be honest. Okay. It's probably like 15 years, but I thought I'll just say 10, just, <laughs> and it doesn't sound as bad. I would be happy to have 2% of that collection, and I'd be happy <laughs> with that the rest of my life. So when did you start collecting then, originally? I mean, you, you, you said that you had a collection when you, when you were a kid, and then you kind of sold it off. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it's basically the same old story that everybody, our, well, I say our, our age has got. You know, have all the toys as a kid, grow up a bit, sell them off to buy, you know games consoles and things uh and then i think i was about 16 i would say uh just literally going around car boot sales picking up odd figures and you know loose figures and stuff and thought ah i used to have them i'll get them again <laughs> and then it started from there basically you're probably too young to, to see the, the the films at the cinema weren't you so so what was yes. your introduction then into star wars i mean i mean was that through videos and and uh you know, fa- family members getting you into it, or or was this something? No, no, nobody else in the family likes it. <laughs> it's only me. <laughs> Fair um, enough. It was just literally when I was a kid having the toys, you know, just having toys to play with. Because um, yeah. it was it was still knocking around when I was, you know, because I mean, obviously they'd pretty much finished by the time I was a um, a kid having them, but there were still loads of them around. So yeah. you know, there was still plenty to be to be had and played with and what have you. So it was just a case of getting loads of them and just playing them, and then obviously the, the films are still. On video and on telly and what have you. So you must have you must have sort of experienced that sort of dark times when there was absolutely nothing coming out and you know and, we, and we'd kind of moved on to things like Ghostbusters and Back to the Future and we kind of dropped Star Wars and sadly you know it, it kind of gone away. So you you must almost come in in a time where you were, I mean I can see why you, you you're a master amazing collection if you're into it at that, that stage you know probably in the early 90s I imagine when you started picking up again it would be something which was probably quite easy to get hold of wasn't it. It was well. It wasn't easy, but it was. It, it wasn't as mad as what it is now. There was certainly, yeah. You know, you could you could get stuff a lot cheaper than you can nowadays. You know, because there wasn't that many people desperate for all the 
they're sort of rarer pieces if you like your sale on on vectus it seems to be shop displays i mean i yes. mean um grant on our podcast who is i think bidding on half of your collection i think um, <laughs> I, I, I kid you not um, it, um i will just point out there's no reserves on any of it so yeah yeah if he, yeah. he can get it possibly get it nice and cheap what were you? I mean, early, you know, sort of late teens, early twenties, and you're getting hold of this stuff. I mean, how on earth did you get hold of it? I mean, who, who are you contacting, and where? I mean, where, where were you buying this stuff from? Uh, I'm going to be honest. A lot of it came from America. Okay. I mean, when I first started collecting it, right, when I was 17, when I got my first job, right, my first pay packet. Yeah. I got on eBay, and I thought, right, I'm having Yak Face. That was like the, the pinnacle of the loose figure collection. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'm having him. So I just went on, and because I had that extra cash, I just thought, right. So I paid, I think I paid about 70 quid for him, which okay. was a fair bit when I yeah, first yeah. started collecting you know. But I thought, it's the, the one thing that I really wanted, and I was having. So I bought it from there, and then, because eBay, obviously, it was it was not that well known back then. You know, yeah. it was just sort of getting going sort of thing, but there was plenty of Star Wars stuff on there. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. Just click on there, and there's lists of Star Wars stuff to buy. <laughs> so I'll just go on and just buy it and buy it and buy it. And then I realized they have eBay.com, as in the American version. Yeah. Um, but it was hard to buy stuff from there, because, you know, because doing, like, bank transfers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, when they got PayPal going, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, brilliant. I'll just buy something in America. No messing about with the bank or anything. Just click on PayPal. They convert all your money and everything and just pay for it, and then you can get it sent over. So it was just easy. <laughs> I mean, it's, some of those displays are massive. I mean, I mean that yes. must have been a real pain to get those over here. Uh, some of them did cost a fair bit. Yes, yes. <laughs> what um, sort of job were you in, by the way? It sounds like you were you were, <laughs> you were work, You had a very well paid job to get some of this stuff, or was it? I nope. I, no? I well, I work for myself actually. Okay. I do. I, do um, I buy and sell secondhand stuff. Okay. So it does sort of tie in a bit, you know, so if I go around yeah, auctions yeah. and things, sometimes I happen upon pieces in just general sales and things, you know. Yeah, well, we have that in common. That's quite strange. That's ah. <laughs> exactly what I do. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, you'll know then. It's You know, every now and again you can just turn up to a sale and out of the blue is just a piece of Star Wars sat there. I would love to find that day when that happens, but I think I think those days are almost, almost long gone when you find something as... As crazy as the shop displays, I mean, those are just just staggering. I mean, have you? Uh, is there everything from your collection that's a shop display? Or, or, or you still? No, got, I've still got. I've still got a lot uh, of stuff. I've still got plenty. I've, you know, um, th- that was all the bigger ones because um, yeah. I literally didn't have the space for them. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll keep the smaller ones for now uh, and then see whether I, you know, whether I want them or not in the future. <laughs> um, it's, it's it's just daft little things, you know, like bubble bath displays and yeah, yeah. pencil displays and hey, things hey, like. The- those things are not daft. We love them. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, I've even got you know the the plush R two D two with the squeaker in. I've got a display full of them, you know. With it, so it's just you know. I thought, well, I can I can keep that because it's not too big. Um, things like the diecast display, you know, things like that. Just just nice little, yeah, absolutely. neat neat ones I can keep. One part which Grant is having a, having a, a go at Mister Criddle from our podcast. Is and I don't know where he's going to put it, but I don't think he seems to mind. Is the um, Return of the Jedi desk and chair? Yes. I mean, where did that I, come I did, from? I did like that. I, I, I bought that from America, um, <laughs> and that was a big box coming over. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's you, you don't get that much stuff furniture-wise. Yeah. Um, and I thought it would just be a good thing to collect because it's something a bit different. Yeah, very different. And it would be potentially 
easy enough to get the full set of it but obviously it was quite hard <laughs> <laughs> did that come in a box itself did that have packaging or was it just like a plain plain out um, packaging it actually came in it's proper box which I threw away <laughs> <laughs> I uh <laughs> best not admit that on here people get upset <laughs> <laughs> I was more bothered about the actual thing to be honest that, that is something I, I wouldn't even thought that, that um, they were actually made I think in you know furniture I'm sure there was furniture mm. made, but I mean, I, I get surprised about something every day. But uh, I mean, the Ewok cabinet is something which. <laughs> yes, well, I thought that was a handy piece because it, it opens at the bottom, so you could just pile stuff in it, and you know, if you want to hide stuff. Um, yes, I, I believe Stuart's had a pop on that one. So from the ah, right. So I think but, I think we I think we're going to end up your collection. I think. <laughs> well, the the only piece of furniture I actually kept was a bookcase under the bookcase, yeah. um, a Return of the Jedi one, just because I thought it must be useful. I can just bung stuff on it and oh, was find a space for it. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, what actually made you decide to part then with the, with the collection? I mean, I mean, was it just getting too much, or did you just think I'm kind of bored of this now and I want to try something new? I mean, it was gone. a bit of both. It yeah. was a bit of both, really, because um, I got to the point because see, I have a spare bed, a spare room in my house. Yeah. Uh, which I call the Star Wars room. <laughs> he says in inverted commas, um, and and literally I've I've lined it with cabinets and that, okay. that was the start of it you know i thought right i'll line it with cabinets put any box vehicles i get just stack them all in it you know and make them look nice um and then as i was getting carded figures they were just getting stacked in the middle of the floor um just you know in star cases just piling one on top of the other yeah um and then as i was getting more and more stuff it was just going in i, I couldn't fit it in the cabinet so it was just getting piled on the floor and stacked up and i got to the point i, I literally couldn't get in the room <laughs> Um, I had stuff from floor to ceiling just piled in front of cabinets and it was it was just crazy. Um, and I just thought, this is just getting beyond a joke. Um, it it does sound like a beautiful problem. Well, I, I, it, it I was for have. a while, but then you, you get sick of it, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, you, know, you can't get in to, to enjoy what you've got. Um, I mean, carded figure-wise, for example, as you say, I've got 90 figures in the sale. Yeah. I've kept about 100 figures. So that's like 190 vintage figures. What can you do with them? You know, so I literally, I had them put in staircases, put in big cardboard boxes and stacked one on top of the other, floor ceiling, and just <laughs> left. So I didn't actually get, even get to see them. Oh. So that, that was why you just think, nah. Cause I, I was still, and I was still buying, you know, I was still buying odd figures that I didn't have. Yeah. And just, just stacking them in there and not even bothering looking at them. You know, it was getting to the point where something would come through the post I would open it up and think, "Oh wow, that's nice." Bung it in the room and never see it again. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, I, I can understand that. I mean, I, I guess, I guess we've all, all done that. Um, you, you, you get, you get into like a collecting sort of uh, rut almost, where you're just going yes. through the the phase and not really collecting for not the pleasure. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there any there which you're you're kind of really hesitant about saying? I mean, it's something that's gone on there thinking, oh, I kind of wish I'd kept that. Really, it looks really cool. I mean, is there any that's, that's given you second thoughts at all? Uh, the only two things that I was dithering over were the Ewok display, the little yeah. wackling one. Um, that took me a while to, to to get that filled with the nice new wacklings, and <laughs> it was the Glasslight X-wing. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I did like that. It's it's actually I've seen a lot of them in really tatty boxes and because squ- yeah. it's quite a thin, flimsy box. Um, and that one's it's really nice with its you know all its packaging and what have you so I, I was dithering whether to or not and I thought yeah why not 
everything I mean, else it's foreign's going in so <laughs> I mean do you, do you have any ex- expectations for the sale I mean I mean did you have a target in mind of, of how much you hope to, to actually earn from the auction no no you just want no. it it's just it's just literally uh, I've got to clear the decks um, yeah. are you going to reinvest that money into into your your other collection or is it going to go somewhere else um, well, I, I do still collect it a little bit. You know, things that I want, I'll still, you know, I do keep an eye on things that are selling and what have you, um, yeah. Star Wars-wise. But I, I do collect a little bit of other stuff, like, you know, like Thundercats and He-Man, that sort of stuff. Okay. General sort of 80s toys. So, so I, I sort of just spread it about a bit now rather than just stick it. Because in the past, it was always just Star Wars. Yeah. That is all I would get. Um, and just not give any space to anything else. But now it's just a bit more varied. <laughs> so you won't suddenly be buying um you know movie props or something and bits of star wars uh, no I, I do however i do like uh there's some nice master replicas pieces i do like yeah um, you know like the lightsaber hilts and the, the, the blasters as well i have got most of them but it, it's stuff like that that i'm trying to keep now rather than the toys rather you know get like statues and things rather than toys. You're, you're kind of growing up on your collection then <laughs> uh yes yes <laughs> what think then is your rarest item that you currently have which maybe could be a one-off or maybe it's, that's just you're never going to let go but it is ultra rare um if, if anything I, I don't know really I, a lot of what i've kept i'm going to be honest a lot of what i've kept is pretty common sort of stuff yeah you know it, it's just general sort of i i have got a, a Power of the Force, coin-carded yak face, which I do yeah. like. Yeah. Uh, he, he's pretty scarce. Yeah, yeah, he is very scarce. <laughs> um, yeah, I got him a fair few years ago. You saw another one of these ones where I just thought, I, I want it, so I'll, I'll try and get it, and then couldn't part with it when I was sending stuff to Vectis. I would think if you put that on an open market now, you, I think you'd be looking at probably, well... I mean, just speculate basically. I mean, it's the the market is 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 to a point now where I think a lot of collectors are coming out and selling their collections. Um, mm. You probably saw the Craig Stevens auction um, recently. Yes, uh, then start, Pally start Yeah, I mean, I mean, but I mean that was just a you know a, a basically a bunch of carded figures, and I know I know they were rare, but some of those prices, I mean, the fifteen thousand yeah. fairs and those sort of things. But yeah, I'll I, be honest, I wouldn't have even considered bidding that much on anything like that. Uh, it, I, I just I can't understand why people pay that much for things like that. To be honest, I guess if you're bloody rich, <laughs> it doesn't really matter, <laughs> does it? <laughs> well, um, it, it's uh, you know just because it's I know I know it's rare because it had that big pally toy logo on and blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. But if you could get the same figure on basically the same card back, but with a, a Kenner version for virtually a tenth of the price. You know, I know which one I'd much rather have. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand it. I mean, if, if if there's something you really want and you've got the money, then you know yeah. it's it, it's a short life, so you might as well just go for it. But yeah, that's a that's a lot of money. I I could it's never ever justify that. No, so that, that's another reason I've, I've sort of given up collecting a bit as well, because a lot of the stuff that I need is this super rare stuff, which you're just sort of spending money for the sake of spending money. Yeah. You know, and it, it's all dear stuff, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just gets to the point where you think, do I really want to spend like thousand pound or two thousand pound on a figure? Yeah. You know, and you, it's just going to get stacked with the rest of the figures. Is there something out there that you're thinking, well, oh, you know what, I would actually spend money on that? Is there is there an item there? At this moment in time, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. It, it, it got to the point where literally I was I was like going on eBay and whatever and scrolling through 
pages and pages of stuff and just it was just like got 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 you know <laughs> and it, it was just it just took that long for something to appear that i didn't have yeah that you know even stupid things like i mean i mean i've actually got a lot of stuff on ebay at the moment um yeah. just getting rid of it like daft little things that weren't really sort of vectus uh sort of suited for vectus yeah uh, things like socks things like toothbrushes things like sleeping bags duvet covers and child's underwear <laughs> stuff like that you know see carried figure wise it I, I actually started off thinking to myself right i want all i want is um star wars figures on star wars cards empire yeah. characters on empire cards you know yeah. a bit like that jedi card and then once you get them all then it's a case of what do you do <laughs> you know do you, do you just give up then but then you start thinking well i'll get the jedi uh, the Empire characters on Jedi cards and and Star Wars characters on Empire cards, so that that's when you end up just getting multiples of these figures, and that's when it gets a bit crazy. Because I've, I've never been I've never been overly fussed about, you know, if it's a, a 65 back or a 79 back or a, you know any of these different backs. Yeah. All I was bothered about was on the front rather than okay. the back. You had a few you had a few like bootlegs and stuff. I mean, is that something you've you've explored a lot? I mean, some of those items are amazing. I think the Hungarian Princess Leia is. If I had the money, I'd go for it. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, I did, I did it, like that one. That, that was is. another one, actually, that nearly didn't go. <laughs> um, it's, it's pretty nice condition. That, that actually came from Vectis uh, a while ago. Okay, okay. Mm, a few years ago now. I mean, is is that a sort of a line of collecting that, that, that you've got into, bootleg stuff? I mean, it's, it's something I've only sort of recently kind of kind of discovered myself, and it's... Uh, it, yeah. It, it, it is fascinating, but I'm really hesitant about getting into it. I don't know why. I think it's just... I don't know, bootlegs kind of... They fall between two stools for me. So like yes. they are amazing, but yeah, I think you know, I don't want to spend any money on them. Yeah, the other thing is it, it's so easy for people to fake some of them. Yeah, um, exactly. Because because they're always that little bit different, and people aren't that sure about seeing them because you know you don't see them that often. Yeah. So it's always a case of when you see it, is it real? Is it not? Um, that, that's why I'm I'm I've never really got big into bootlegs. I, I like foreign stuff. Yeah. Um. I mean, like the the, uh, the little Meccano carded figures I've got in there. Yeah. I I, di- I wouldn't mind getting a full set of them, but obviously they're a little bit scarce and a little bit yeah. expensive. So <laughs> <laughs> send you an email after this auction with um all my regrets about selling it all and. Ah, oh, you know, can I, can I always buy it back later? <laughs> well, I will be honest. Some of the things I've never seen again since I, since I've bought them. Yeah. I've never actually had another chance of buying them. So yeah. that did go through my mind when I was going to sell it you know I thought ah, do I sell it do I not am I going to get a chance to get it back if I wanted it back yeah um, I mean like, like you said that CPPO cardboard display <laughs> it, that was the only time the, the fella I bought it off I bought it off from America and the fella I bought it off from over there said he's only ever had one of them yeah uh, and seen one of them so it was pretty scarce-ish <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I can imagine. I, mean, I, I used to work um, for well, I used to work for Procter and Gamble many, 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 many years ago, and uh, I used to work and, and actually shared a house with a guy who worked on point of sale design for Procter and Gamble, and uh, you know, some of the stuff I would imagine was just done in a few stores in one area. Um, it might have just been for for a launch of something that was trying trying the market, I'd imagine. So it, it mm. might have, it might have literally been like you know, let's just say the Californian area. They might have done it in a very small area as a test market. It maybe didn't sell, and they knocked it on the head. And it could have been yes. a, a, as much as that. So, I think to find some of like that is just incredible. I mean, you must have—I know it's on eBay, but still, just to just to have. But it wasn't actually on eBay. A lot, a lot of these displays, I was buying off direct from a guy in America. Okay. Uh, that 
I, I, I met him on eBay, sort of thing. I was buying a few bits off him. But then I would say, yeah. look, if you've got anything a little bit nice, yeah, give me a shout rather than putting it on eBay. So he, he did keep, you know, um, wow. mentioning things to me. So I That's got first amazing. look at them. So it's pretty incredible then that this entire uh, quantity of stuff has been assembled over 10 years. I would say normally that the standout stuff in an auction like this would be a bunch of Palatoy 12-backs. And this, this auction of 12-backs has got Darth Vader, it's got Jawa, it's got Stormtrooper, C-3PO. Um, it's got an absolutely beautiful um, Leah Bespin Palatoy figure as well. So alone, those will probably go for anything between... £800 upwards, um, so he's going to get a lot of money that way. But it's just the variance in the auction. Now, if you're just into to car back figures, then fine. You've got a bunch of mocks there which are going to impress you and take your money away from you. But it's the shop displays which I think has impressed absolutely everyone, including our resident shop display purchaser, Grant. Time the droids we're looking for. You can go about your business. So, Grant, you've got your eye on a few of these pieces, haven't you? So, by the time this goes out, it's going to be a bit late for him to bid, so you can talk away at what you thought is some of the rarest uh, shop display items out there. Wow, man, there are so many amazing shop displays here to choose from. It's quite a collection, to say the least. I've narrowed it down to three that I would just like to briefly talk about. The first one is the, uh, I think it's Lot 175, the Burger King Coca-Cola Empire Strikes Back Collector's Glass Set. Now, the Return of the Jedi one is quite common. This Empire Strikes Back one, this is the first time I've seen it come up for sale. We talk about rarity versus desirability. This is pretty rare and massively desired. So I was shocked to see this. And um, yeah, I've put a fair whack of money on it. Fingers crossed that I'll get this one. This is a beautiful piece. Really odd-shaped angle on it as well. Beautifully presented. Immaculate condition. Uh, yeah, so I, I thought that was that was a big shocker. What's the estimate on that? Because some of these estimates are, well, as we know, they're, they're kind of just there for a kind of legal reason. But what's the estimate on that? But what do you reckon you're actually going to end up paying on it? Do you know what, Pete? Uh, the estimates for £100, I'm convinced, or I've talked myself into this actually, that people are going to go crazy for the carded figures and fingers crossed run out of money by the time <laughs> the shop displays come up. So it, it's hard to say. There's um, on the shop display threads, or if you if you talk to shop display collectors, very often this one comes up, and very often people jump on it and say like, "Oh yeah, I'd love to have that." So it's quite a surprise to see it up for sale there. And um, oh, please, fingers crossed, really want it. <laughs> so what's your, what's your upper limit then? Do you think on this? I think I'm most prepared to pay. Well, it's tricky because it, it, the auction ends whilst we're on a plane halfway across <laughs> an ocean. So, at the moment, I think I've put about 200 on it. Whoa. Do you know what? If we weren't going to Anaheim, it would, I'd probably put more, because, I mean, I'd, I would really, really love this. And you said you got two other items that you you fancy. Yeah, crazy. Lot 178, the Marvel Whipman Star Wars Giant comic shop counter display. Now, I've never even seen this. I never even knew it existed. Done a little bit of research on it and realised that it's the American shop display. It's like a kind of shop display for the super-sized uh, large Marvel comics. Now, remember that Marvel did three super-sized uh, Marvel comics in the States and only two in the UK. But I never even knew the shop display existed. Just like buses, another one has turned up on Facebook a matter of days later. So, you know, now I've seen two of them. But, yeah, didn't even know it existed. So jumped all over that. And I, I can't remember how much money I've put on that. Probably far, far too much. But, you know, the things with these displays as well is it actually comes with you know, comics or the collector's glasses or, you know, 
uh, notebooks, pens, whatever comes with the display, toothbrushes, you know, he's selling these with them. So, you know, what a phenomenal find. And remember, it's been, been assembled in a very short time, so this guy's either very rich <laughs> or he's, uh, he's got some great contacts because goodness knows where you get this stuff from. Yeah, he's, he's done an absolutely phenomenal job. Finally, though, uh, Lot 190, I've been outbid on this, and I, I want to thank whoever outbid me on this because I, I really don't want it. It's massive, <laughs> it's ugly, and that is the Star Wars C-3PO uh, shop display bin for the Stuart Hall notebooks. So I don't sure if anyone's ever seen this, but it's a really awkward, giant, yellow, goldy coloured C-3PO that looks nothing like C-3PO with a massive chest. And it's for these, like, spiral notebooks or... I think they're Empire Strikes Back that Stuart Hall produced, I think, in the States as well. Really difficult shop display to find. Uh, really unusual looking as well. It's, it's really ugly. And I was thinking about what Bruce White said in the interview last month when he said that he wasn't going to collect the uh, Sigma Princess Leia mug because it's too ugly. And I thought, no, I'd always collect all Star Wars things. As shop displays go, this is pretty ugly. And I was thinking to myself, I, I, I don't want this. Why am I bidding on it? And thankfully, someone's uh, outbid me on it. So I'm not going to go any higher than what I've already put down. What did you have on it, Grant? I think I had about 80, maybe. So he's already gone above that. Yeah, I believe so, man. Well, yeah, it must have. It's the only email I've had. Please, obviously, feel free as well to bid on all the other items as well, because I can't <laughs> afford any of these. So there's at least another, I don't know, there's like 20, 20, 25 displays on there. Go crazy, because I can't afford any of these, and I, you know, I can't even pay for them. I think the, 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 yeah, the lower estimate puts all the shop displays at no more than about, probably about £750, but I think it's, some of them might go for that alone. So uh, I think Mark's will be very rich after this auction. Some of those shop displays are definitely way over the estimates. But like I said, there's a lot of carded figures in front of it. So I think there's a few bargains could slip through that net. Fingers crossed. Let's hope. Stu, you, a bit like me, you like to, to buy a few lots here and there at auctions. And uh, especially the last vexed auction, you made quite a lot of money out of a, a nice little find with all bits and bobs. Have you had a go at anything on this one? I have got numerous... Numerous bids in at the moment. I don't really know what I fancy the most, because a couple of them I will up, up my bid quite a lot. But I don't know. I like the toothbrush display, because it's nice and big, and it would really annoy the missus if uh, that came through the post. But, yeah, I'll just pay for it. I've got, I've got a list of what Grant's bid on, and I will avoid them, because I'd love for him to come back from Anaheim <laughs> with hundreds of items to pay for. That's Is there it. anything that, that, that's really taken your eye, though? Something you go, wow, never seen that before, would like to have it. A lot of the um, displays. I quite like some of the furniture bits as well, which are quite random, which I've not seen there's a, before. There's a beautiful um, Ewok cabinet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure Rich would love it if I uh, phone him and say, can you just pop a Vectus for me and uh, <laughs> pick up some an Ewok desk or Ewok chest or whatever it is. I think Richard needs to hire a van if Grant wins his auctions. I'll tell you what I did like on there was the um, Darth Vader clothes rack. That was a bit um, <laughs> a bit peculiar. Uh, fingers off that one, Stu, please. Are you on in for that one, are you? <laughs> yep. Grant, yeah, aren't you bidding for about 40 things? I, I don't know, man. I just got carried <laughs> away. It was, it was just so beautiful for so long. <laughs> okay, Jez, there's a couple of uh, X-Wing parts on there. I know I've been tempting you with them during the, uh, the last week. One is a beautiful, beautiful card back. Are you, you going to have a pop? Yeah, there, there are definitely no Luke X-Wings there. There's nothing to see here now. There's there's no Luke X-Wings for anyone to bid on. Don't worry, Jez. No one have any time to listen to our podcast <laughs> before the auction. Uh, so you can wax lyrical about them and tell oh, us man. what yeah, you're going to have a go at. 
There's the uh, 77 back coin offer, which um, is definitely one for me to look at. And uh, there's Luke X-Wing Power of the Force, which I was just curious um, regarding, you know, what, what going rate is for those. Um, because I, I recently got one, which I'm pleased with, and I just was curious as to see, you know, how much of a deal I've got on that, or if I just paid the, the market value. So so that's the Luke X-Wings that I've seen. And obviously there's, yes, yeah, some cracking Palatoy ones as well. Um, but I think that might just completely blow my budget before Anaheim. There are some things there which I'm thinking, ooh, okay, that, that's really got my eye. Um, really like the look of that. If, there's a villain set, three pack, which um, I think the estimate is really quite low on that. I'm not sure. I don't have it immediately accessible. It's probably. I think it's like £1,000, the, the lower end of that estimate. So Yeah, which I, which I think for that one is, is um, certainly low. Um, three pack bootlegs. Have you seen the three pack bootlegs? I have. There's a there's a few, isn't there? There's a there's a yeah the, yeah, the Hungarian Princess Lear as well, which is really tempting, but yes. I just can't justify it. Well, you know, when you when you look at the estimates there, that's definitely one which I'm <laughs> going to look because uh, I can't see that going anywhere near those estimates. That they're just something so so cool. You just think, right? If that goes for that estimate. That's a Chinese takeaway for me and my family and makers, makers. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's, that's like Jez's fuzzy logic. Um, but there, there's some really cool stuff. There's the Glasslight X-Wing, um, which is obviously an X-Wing, which is my thing. Um, it's got a Luke farm by on it because Glasslight didn't do Luke X-Wing pilot. Um, don't see those come up for sale that often. And there's the Topps Toys Stormtrooper which uh, I'm particularly interested in looking at as well, just because I think the market has gone crazy over the last couple of years. That's got an estimate of 200 to 300, which is um, quite significantly more than I got mine for about a year ago, uh, and or maybe about 18 months ago. And that didn't fly off the forum. That had been advertised for a while, when I eventually said, yep, I'll, I'll get that. I'm delighted with it. It's got a very unique weapon on the Topps Toys Stormtrooper. And when you consider that Stormtrooper... Mint on card Return of the Jedi ones can now get quite a premium. I'd be quite keen to see what that one goes for. Uh, there are loads. I, I could be here all night. There's, there are so many. Um, but as Grant said, we're going to be on a jet plane thinking, hmm, what's going on here? We could. I mean, it, it, it is a vast amount of stuff. And uh, thankfully, Vector's going to send me some catalogues, all the pictures in and uh, the, the explanations in that I'm going to bring or take to Anaheim. So anyone who wants to catch us on um, throughout the show, we'll, we'll have I'll we'll have those on me. So just grab me. And we'll also put, after the auction, we'll put all this stuff on, on the, the Facebook group as well because the pictures alone will, you know, will bring people to our yard because uh, they are, it is just a stunning auction with some beautiful, beautiful things. Now, Rich, you're someone who, this is probably the worst nightmare auction for you because there's carded figures, there's cardboard, there's packaging... Uh, there's very few loose pieces, so anything here tickles your fancy? I'm sorry, Pete, you were boring us to death there with uh, your talk <laughs> about packaging and stuff like that. Um, no, actually, this is a perfect auction for me because, um, obviously, I, I just get past all that uh, dull stuff. <laughs> for me, it's the tie bomber, the die-cast tie bomber, and I'm not going to tell you how much I've bid on it, but I am the current uh, leader on that. I've actually bid on 24 auction items. Wow. I've been, I've been outbid on three, and I know Stu's one of them. 
Um, so I'm not <laughs> going to tell you how much I've bid on the tie box because I know Stu will go in and bid 50p more. <laughs> but if if I came away with that, I'd be happy. I've already got the box sorted out to be uh, passed on to somebody else if I win. So so that's uh, fantastic. But uh, no, there's lo- there's lots of other items in there that I looked at. I've done a Stu. I've had a look at some of the um, collections of other toy lines that have a couple of Star Wars vehicles in there, and, and I've put ridiculously low bids in for them. Um, just in the hope that I might get a complete Y-Wing, which is the only ship that I'm missing. Um, not really interested in the rest of the stuff. Uh, if, if, a few little items dotted around, but none of the display stuff and none of the mocks are interested in me in the slightest. Which, which 24 bids suggest you're quite interested in this auction. I'd be, I'd be fascinated to see what your spread is, because I mean, there's not that much loose stuff in there, is there? Well, there is some, some non-Mark Jackson stuff, but majority is in Mark Jackson's auction. Yeah, there's hardly any of his stuff. It's mainly from the stuff that's on the first few pages. Um, there's a Vader's Vader's Collector's uh, case with um, some like 30-odd loose weapons in there that I've stuck a price in for. There's a a few few items. It is worth mentioning that it's not just Mark Jackson auction. There's plenty of Star Wars stuff in there, which would have been a reasonable auction on itself, but uh, his his stuff has really made this awesome. There's a couple of little things which I wanted to mention, which... um, which are rather interesting and, and slightly odd. There is um, a small selection of carbacks just with bubbles and they're Palatoy carbacks. So it's worth keeping an eye on those. There's about five of them. One has a stormtrooper on, which I believe has been opened. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what carbacks of bubbles go for. And also, there's there's a rather odd selection. And this is it's five carbacks. There's a few loose carbacks. There's a, a few Star Wars figures attached to them. But with them is a bunch of probot baggies. Now, I've never, ever seen probot baggies. So I don't even know. They existed. I guess they existed within the play sets, but to see three of them in a lot, I mean, again, it's another part of Mark Jackson's auction. It is just incredible, and I I really do implore all of you who are listening to go and look at our stuff on Facebook when this auction is over. I'm sure as soon as it's finished, we'll be putting up every single item of interest because it is incredible. Right, now I want to welcome back Andrew Norton for this month's Rapid Fire. You ready, Andy? I'm ready, Stu. Favourite Star Wars movie? Empire Strikes Back. Favourite Star Wars scene? Probably the Hoth battle in Empire Strikes Back. Favourite on-screen character? Let's go for Han. Han Solo. Your favourite line of dialogue from any Star Wars movie? They came from behind. <laughs> um, favourite part of the prequels? I like the, the Battle of... I think it's Geonosis. Optimistic or pessimistic about episode 7? Optimistic. Which character would you most like to see a standalone movie of? Hammerhead. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> which actor or crew member would you most like to meet? Yeah, I think Ralph Corey if he was still alive. Favourite Sith? It's got to be Darth Vader. Favourite figure as a child? That was Han Solo Hoff. And favourite figure now, need I ask? Probably, as excluding him, it would be Yoda. Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? The uh, Just the Rebel Fleet Trooper in the opening scene. Your favourite Star Wars toy monster? Rancor. And your favourite toy vehicle or playset? Darth Vader TIE Fighter. Vehicle or playset you wish they'd made? The Carbon Freezing Chamber. Your favourite oddball item? My Waddington's jigsaw puzzles with the, uh, the vintage scenes on them. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? 
that should be easy as they only arrived this week. It was the wind up Takara R2D2 and a Takara Diecast X Wing. What was the first vintage Star Wars toy you purchased when getting back into collecting? It was a Luke Stormtrooper. U grading is evil. And finally, what is your holy grail item? A hard copy Han Solo Hoff that features on the back of the 30 back cards with the, the really good paint job. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Andy. No problem, Stu. Right then, lads, so another month nearly over. This month's rapid-fire question, which I want you all to get involved in. I have chosen from the list, what is your favourite part of the prequels? This always makes me laugh as a question when I ask rapid-fire, because everyone goes, oh, nothing, 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 and then you'll get to something like, what's your favourite Sith, and they'll go, Darth Maul, and you're like, <laughs> so, Grant, let's start with you. Phantom Menace teaser trailer, or the, the hype running up to Phantom Menace, it was the most amazing time to be alive. Yeah, nice. Jez? Uh, I said it before in my interview, I just like the very end of Revenge of the Sith, just as soon as the whole Vader thing, putting Vader together, and just that bit in the cinema where you hear him breathing was just brilliant. Pete? I'm going to go with, again, Revenge of the Sith, but I'm going to go with part of the soundtrack. I think some of the part of the soundtrack when yeah. things things are going down and getting evil and people are dying and you know things like that, some of that music is absolutely stunning. I think it's not talked about enough. Rich? I think when the logo appeared for The Phantom Menace and the opening crawls started, I, I, I do think the opening crawls are absolutely fantastic and sitting there thinking, I'm watching a new Star Wars film. Do you? Well, I, I'm kind of in Pete's boat here. I'm going to also say the music, but I'm going to say the music to all three films. Yeah. Regardless of how bad parts the films were, John Williams nailed it every single time. And yeah. um, all three soundtracks are spot on. I love them. That Order 66 was good as well, though. I really, really like that. I, I think we could sit here. I think we could pick out lots and lots of positives from those pre Darth Maul. Yeah. Rich, do we have any feedback from last month's episode? Yeah, lots of feedback and a lot of it pertaining to Jez, which is what we're kind of expected. So it was quite clear that the addition of Jez was correct choice. Um, the earlier sections received some great feedback um, over the last month. Many people enjoyed the shout-outs and the diversity of the items chosen, which is something that we're going to keep evolving. We're going to keep trying to improve um, all of the sections. Very, very popular choice of adding Jez to the team, so I, I think we've made the right decision there. The Bruce White interview, as expected, received lots of positive praise Many people commented on the fact that above all else, the interview was very fun. Um, Bruce laughed quite a lot through that interview. Um, I mean, I think all the interviews have been fun, but some of them may have sounded more serious than this one was. And it was very clear that Bruce was having a good time, as was uh, Stu and Pete, so that, that one went down really well. Paul Ford from Take joined in with all of our thanks to Mark Carraway and his Luke X-Wing help. I know that Jez, in particular, did a shout-out to Mark, helping with our last episode and with um, Jez's panel at FF, so that was very, very uh, appreciated. The interview with Gerald Holm was a winner. Many have asked us to get other original 20 guests on the show, and it, it is something that we're looking at, but only from a collecting point of view. Other shows out there, like Radio 1138, have guests in the original trilogy, and they talk about discussing the time in Star Wars. We don't really want to go over that and hear the same stories again and again. So we've put contacts out to lots of different actors, and we're waiting to hear feedback but we are only going to get them on the show to talk about Star Wars collecting, however diverse that's going to be. It's also pleasing to say that both Bruce and Paul posted some of the items that we discussed on the forum. Bruce posted that image of the inflatable pig that he got from um, Carrie Fisher, and Paul added in 
he's I think it was a theatre programme that he added and there was a, a good discussion on that and if anyone wants to see the tattoos for any reason although I can't think of any reason off the top of my head Stu has loaded up all those tattoos onto the forum and they're on the thread too so keep your feedback coming guys send emails to swfukpodcast at gmail.com <laughs> Jez, while we're over at Anaheim, you're going to be training for something rather special, aren't you? Um, and raising money for brilliant, brilliant charity, which uh, is very dear to my heart at the moment. Yeah, Pete, I'm, um, I'm in the fortunate but also poorly timed position that I'm going to be doing the London Marathon this year, which actually falls five days, um, four or five days after I get back from Anaheim. So whilst everyone's going to be throwing back beers, I'm certainly not going to be holding back from doing that. But no, I need to put some miles on my legs whilst I'm there as well. But because it's just the week before, I'm not going to be going crazy. But yeah, I, I'm getting ready for the London Marathon for Click Sergeant, which was to particularly um, close to your heart with the story which you put on for um, raising money for someone locally to you. Click Sergeant, fantastic charity, which does so much for children with cancer, leukemia. Now, you know, when I... When you look at it, I'm, I'm sure that everyone out there who's listening will will know someone or, or will know someone who's been affected or family's been affected um, through cancer, which is obviously terrible, terrible thing, which is um, in our world, but particularly cutting um, when it affects children. And Click Sergeant do so much. There's a very good friend of mine who I work with who unfortunately was devastated to find last year his uh, young son has been uh, diagnosed with leukemia and when I said to him who's helped out the most in an instant he just said click sergeant. Now when coupled with the support which you've seen as well Pete I just had no hesitation to say right this year I'm going to run for click sergeant. Now I've got myself a a free public ballot which means that I haven't got to to pay any big subscriptions or to be part of, of a team every single penny which I raise will be going to click sergeant um, you know I paid for my own uh, race entry so so everything which I'm doing and therefore to try and raise some more funds I've started a thread on the forum which is called the best competition ever again and uh, essentially what I'm asking for is, is people have sponsored me, which is really easy to do, and I'll come on to that in a second. And uh, and for everyone on, on the forum who has sponsored me, for every pound they sponsor me, they get a uh, ticket, a lottery ticket. These uh, lottery tickets all go in one, and last year when I did it, it, it all went in the Millennium Falcon, and you can win a prize. And the prizes, again, have been donated by people on the forums, really, really generous people on the forum. And the prizes are all going up on the thread. What I'm hoping for whilst I'm at Anaheim, as well as trying to get some um, more fundraising, possibly a little bit of sponsorship if I can of some people um, for Click Sergeant. If anyone's got any swag, if anyone's got any um, collectibles or merchandise or anything which they're taking, you know, Anaheim specific or, or what have you, if there's any uh, pin badges or something which you think, oh, actually, yeah, that would make a really, really good prize, a reward for someone sponsoring me. I, I would gladly take that off you and, and put that in the prize fund. Now, it's really easy to donate. All you need to do to sponsor me is to go on www.justgiving.com forward slash fanboy. So www.justgiving.com forward slash fanboy, where you'll see my page. Even in the UK, you can text me a donation by texting F. Boy 77 and then a donation with a pound sign either 1, 2, 5 or 10 quite simply to 70070 but the website has certainly proved to be most popular way 
Now, at the moment, I'm at the £200 mark. That's what I've um, raised so far, mainly from people on the forum. So it would be great if people can sponsor, and you may well see me at Anaheim whilst people are queuing, and whilst Grant and Peter are in the queue outside on the Thursday morning, I might just be doing a couple of laps just to keep some miles on my legs. Thanks very much for the opportunity for me to mention that. I really appreciate it, and I know that you guys know it's a really good cause. Yep, so please, please, please support uh, Port Jez. It really is a fantastic charity. So if you want to leave us feedback, obviously Richard just said it, go to um, email us at swfukpodcast at gmail.com, on Facebook or on Twitter. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, you can listen back through our archives at Podbean or find all our episodes currently on iTunes. And we would also really love it if you're a regular supporter or listener to go onto iTunes and leave us a review. It takes two, three minutes, but we really do appreciate it more than you could possibly know. Huge thank you to Andrew Norton for taking his time out to be our focal interview this month, plus huge thanks to Neil Livesey, Ross Barr, Matthias Rendell, Sky Payne, Mark Jackson and Stephen Danley for also taking time out of their schedules to join us. So, finally, anyone who is attending Celebration Anaheim have an absolute cracking time. Be sure to stop by and say hi to Pete, Jez or Grant, or all of them if you want. Uh, They'd all love to chat about anything on or off the record, so everyone have a blast and stay safe. So, with nothing else to mention, it is good night from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant. Thanks for listening. Farewell from Jez. See ya. And bonjour from Pete. Good night, flowers. And it's good night from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All the original content of this podcast are the intellectual property rights of Star Wars Forum UK. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swfukpodcast.com at gmail.com if you don't like this podcast tough are Star Wars products going to have the durability of say that old favourite the teddy bear teddy I'm amazed that Grant calls his face his Star Wars collection was that Geordie humour there Rich <laughs> there was like a silence Geordie uh, uh, Rich I'm known as a beautiful Welsh mountain gazelle now you have is to that, ask yourself. You have to ask yourself if you find gazelles attractive or not. Um, that, I can see they're very feminine looking and beautiful runners. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Does this often happen? Do uh, Geordie men often marry gazelles because they're very feminine looking? No, we eat them. Or do Geordie <laughs> men often judge how attractive gazelles are? <laughs> is there a scale of prettiness? Uh, it's. It's a topic of conversation that comes up every now and again in the pub, yeah. <laughs> what other animals are attractive to Geordie Man? We think we need a list here, Rich. Jellyfish. Whippets. <laughs> shrews. We've tamed all them. You've tamed the shrews, well done. Did you make them humble? <laughs>